Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode number 189. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined today, as always, by my son, Chris Reagan. Chris, you're in yet another venue. People have been commenting, wow, are we doing so well that Chris can have multiple homes and apartments all strewn about the world? So where are you now? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in California having some talks with uh, some uh, pretty cool people. So that's, uh, you know, I can't say much about it, but it's, uh, it's, it's exciting. So that's, that's really all I can say, but I'm, I'm operating out of a, a friend of mine's room right now. He's got a little bit of a studio. I got, I got some like sound foam in front of me. So it's like the best possible place I can record from. Cool. Don't read into anything in the background. I'm not a Rocky person. <laughs> You're not teasing a Rocky video game. Of some sort. <laughs> full, full like Phil Spencer. Like no, not yet. Not quite. All right. Fair enough. Well, good to see you and welcome. And and uh, I like how your, your shot this week is a little closer. So you almost got like the 1984 kind of thing going on. Where yeah. You're, you're big brother and you're telling us exactly we'll what we're doing. We'll put Chris above us. Next you, know, like cover, you know, like his head exactly. or something. Exactly. Throw the thing at the, <laughs> just like that old Macintosh commercial. Dustin, 
executive producer of Last Stand Media. Welcome. How are you? I am very good. I uh, it's been this week has gone by really, really fast and just doing I feel like I'm doing a million things at once. And then like you finish one, but then there's just a, a million more, which is is fine. That's kind of the nature of the, of the biz. But we'll see right now. There's an impending ice and snowstorm again. Mm-hmm. Another thing up here. It's just been raining all morning. They canceled school and nothing has happened. But apparently it's supposed to hit now. So uh, I, I don't know. Maybe I'll be be stuck inside for the next few days, but that's fine Damn. because it really doesn't change anything yeah. for me. So, like, oh, darn. Right. <laughs> I can't go out. Now, people people often say, Colin, you're such an, an introvert. You're always inside. And I'm like, that's true. I like to be in my house, but very similar to Santa Monica. I go outside and walk around like every day. I walk my dogs and go about and do things. I think people kind of they they think that because I don't want to talk to anyone means I don't need to be outside. Those are not necessarily too things are not necessarily exclusive to each other. So yeah. uh, it's raining here. We have the same storm here in central Virginia mm. coming up, but it's, it's too warm. It's I'm looking right now. It's like 50 something degrees. So, oh, nice. oh wow. but it did snow here not too long ago. And it's been, a, been a weird winter and I'm kind of ready for it to be done just so I can jump in my new pool and hang yeah. out with all it's... the cool people that I'm <laughs> friends with, which is no one around. So it's just gonna be me in the pool with Mike <laughs> it's that whole thing started when I like I remember I was getting on the plane and it started snowing and I was like oh my god this cannot happen right now like this is the worst possible time but I got out I got out before any of the crit and there's supposed to be another one in uh in New York uh kind of soon so I kind of got out like right when everything got real shit yeah I was nervous for you actually because I knew you had to fly out um, yeah yeah you got in between the two storms basically that nor'easter was coming about and now we're dealing with this other thing so anyway it doesn't matter i don't care about the weather i don't go outside no. anyway in Who fact cares? i've been looking into getting a and I'm probably going to do it i'm, I'm getting at solar panels on my house just because no. like that's economically smart my neighbor did it and he's like we don't have an electric bill at all and i'm like well that's why would you not do that then so but just to be safe i want to get like a natural gas generator which just taps into the natural gas and when your power goes out everything still works and uh, I'm, but I'm doing it less for weather and more for anticipation of the end times. Of course, if you just look outside and read the news, you know, who knows if we'll even get Final Fantasy seven remake part two by the time the world ends. Yeah, I don't know. All right. Welcome to Sacred Symbols of PlayStation podcast, our weekly PlayStation podcast. You can get it three days early and ad free over on Patreon.com slash Last Media, the biggest and most successful games media games podcast related uh, Patreon in the world and in the history of the service. And we're so appreciative of that. I was thinking about this. I don't know how to exactly quantify it because I don't think we have all of the data. But if you include kickstarted video games and other crowdfunded things in the game space and mixed in the, the popular podcast networks like kind of funny Jim, Jim Quisition has been on there a really long time. Others, Easy Allies. We're probably all mixed up in this list of pretty popular products that are funded all by the fans. And it's it's a great honor because it's hard out there to make, you know, a business out of candor. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are kowtowing to companies and they're afraid to say what they need to say and they're boring. And we don't take it for granted that people go to Patreon and support us by the thousands, even though you can get most of the content for free if you just wait and that you have many choices. So it's a great honor to us. Thank you for that. 
And uh, so join us over there on Patreon, patreon.com slash laststandmedia. Of course, this gives you access to Sacred Symbols Plus twice a week as well, which is exclusive to Patreon. We roll some of those episodes out later, uh, but we just did Sacred Symbols Cross Defining Duke, all five of us for the first time, which was really fun. I had Vincent Genito on recently to talk about his Me Too movement. We did an episode, Dustin and I, about Bungie and the acquisition, which we're going to talk about much more deeply here on the show. I did one about unionization that just went up. I have one going live soon with the editor-in-chief of a liberal gaming publication. I have one going live soon with an expert on Chinese economic policy, which was awesome. I think that that Chinese episode is maybe one of the best, if not the best episode of Sacred Symbols Plus so far. I'm really excited for people to hear it. It is really insightful and scary. <laughs> and so I, I want people to check that out. The Jeff Ross interview is going to go live very soon. I have an episode about Christianity and faith and gaming. We just did one about GT7. There's a lot. There's a lot. The, the Jeff Ross will go up as long as nobody fucking buys somebody this right. week or next week. That's the right. freaking problem. Every time we want to release something, it's like, oh, I'm going to buy a, a publisher. I'm going to buy Bungie. You know, take it easy. Take yeah. it easy, big Stand companies, down. corporations. Stand, Stand down. down. And the thing about the Jeff Ross episode, because I, I emailed him again just to apologize that it keeps not going up, is that I've been holding it because I want it to go live on Tuesday, not Saturday. Typically, I put the I don't want to say the less important episodes, but the episodes that might not hit as good as the bigger episodes of Plus, they go live on Saturday. I want the bigger ones to go live on Tuesday. But every time I'm waiting to hold his episode, then we get fucked. So I'm like, fine, fine. We'll put it live on a Saturday. Fine. Sorry, Jeff. But a lot of good news in there as well. Wow, I got really incensed there for a second. Ooh, yeah, geez, calm down, maybe. Join us on Discord, of course, course through Patreon. Easy to do. A lot of people on there. Like, a what is it, 4,000 something? Now? Yes. So thank you for that. And of course, Sacred Symbols 200 live in Richmond, Ooh. Virginia. As we announced last week, it's going to be at the National in Richmond on Saturday, April 30th. We're having Snark Tank, Chris's comedy podcast, open for yeah. us. And quotes open. Now, we don't even know what that means, really. We're going to figure it all out, I think. But. It's going to be fun. I'm really, really looking forward to I have this really fun vision for what I want to do at the show for Sacred Symbols, and I'm really excited to see how it all comes together. But uh, those tickets are going to go on sale imminently if you're just listening to this podcast when it goes live. But for everyone else, tickets are live on Patreon right now. So just go to patreon.com slash Media. If you're a patron at any level, you'll get access to a post in the post is a link. You click on the link and you buy your tickets. It's really that simple. You have to put a little code right. in too, but. We At 1 some, p.m. 1 p.m. Just because I know there's some right. people right off the cuff and they're going to be like, where's the tickets? Like right. 1 p.m. Eastern. 1 p.m. Eastern. February 4th is when the tickets go live. That will be an hour after the show goes live. So right. just go to Patreon. Check it out. We really appreciate you. It's a much bigger show than the last one. The last show we did sold out in 30 minutes. I don't think that that's going to happen this time. I think we'll be able to satiate demand, hopefully. Um, yeah. But, you know, you want to act quickly. Of course, get your hotel and plan uh, plane plans in line if you're doing any of that rental car you know got to get your drugs ready yeah uh, you know and all this you okay. know, what orifice are you going to put them in etc and so on orifices actually. orifices yeah plural <laughs> so we're really looking forward to that it's going to be again the top 25 playstation 4 games we're going to rank them with you it's going to be i'm gonna, i'm so excited about it and so come join us at the national a renowned venue in richmond that 311 has played and many other bands and that we have no business being on that stage. So it'll be a lot of fun for us. <laughs> Topics of discussion. Chris, I wanted to know what you thought of this and I'm going to, cause it's, it's about, it's about Dustin. And so let's hear about it. It's Jeff wrote in <laughs> Jeff with a G, by the way, I used, there used to be a hockey player named Jeff Sanderson. He played on the Vancouver Canucks when I was a kid, I had his hockey card and it was spelled G E O F F. And I thought it was G off. 
Geoff. And so I kept saying Geoff Sanderson, Geoff Sanderson. And people used to make fun of me because they're like, it's Jeff, idiot, Jeff. And I'm like, why is it Jeff? It's G-E-O-F-F. It's a dumb way to spell Jeff. <laughs> anyway, Jeff wrote in and said, dear sacred symbols. Wow, I'm really like, I don't know. <laughs> you got a I'm short today, today but, man. Dear sacred symbols crew, it seems quite apparent that something has changed in Dustin. Between the absolute roasting of Jaffe on Twitter, consistent defensive <laughs> opinions on the podcast, and his overall change in demeanor and sassy retorts, Dustin has some major big dick energy going on. Is this change in Dustin good? Only time will tell. Maybe another. It may be time for another Twitter poll. This is. Um, I've noticed this. Have you noticed this, Chris? I, I've noticed a bolder and a more forward Dustin. That yeah, he's doing great on the show, but outside the realm, outside the boundaries of our show, he's. David Jaffe made Twisted Metal and God of War and our own Dustin Furman is roasting him with seeming impunity on and also apparently making things up that other people say, which is what David Jaffe's, I think, claim was, wasn't it? That you he, he you said something he said, then he says something you you know, it's it's this like back and forth. Have you been bearing witness to it, Chris? I have. I have noticed it. I think uh, it's a combination of. um toxic masculinity <laughs> and uh just uh, getting sued I, I think he's just comfortable now except now he you can't contain him mm-hmm. you know he's like a, he's like a what do you call that box from that sh- pandora's box pandora's box that's right yeah it's open well, it's hopefully, done. hopefully he's not that evil we'll have to see uh, we'll see oh. man you, you never know, man. It could be like a, it could be like fable, where like the, the, as time goes on, you get like a, you grow horns and your face right. gets all I got cracked. Flies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you have like a, you have a, a je ne sais quoi right now, Dustin. I don't, I just don't know what. How do you feel about that? Are you invoking something unique and interesting in your okay. life? Two, there's two sides to this. First of all, with the Jaffe thing, listen. Jaffe tried to publicly gaslight me in front of everyone, saying things, saying, oh, that I brought up the conversation about who's more attractive. The receipts are there. Just go look. You know, that's fine. Um, so, you know, I'll, I'll let the, the audience decide what they want to think about that. Now, as far as uh, my change in demeanor, it's not intentional, but I was thinking about this and I wonder if uh, the the last stand live event was my Joker moment when Chris roasted me in front of everyone. That's been brought up as a turning point for me. But maybe that was it. You know, maybe I just got maybe I got called uh, little boy, Duddy, little boy, Dustin, one too many times. And now I'm unleashed. This is you're getting. Is this the real me? Is it not? Am I having it? Have I been infected by a symbiote? Now, you know, like I got my hair is getting longer yeah who knows there's any number of possibilities <laughs> you have bully mcguire energy someone should yeah. um someone should uh if, if anybody's out there is who if there's anyone out there listening who's like very uh artistically capable i want a really detailed uh sonic unleashed cover art but it's dustin and i want am sound. i a hedgehog yeah, no no you're you you're oh, you okay. in whatever pose uh what <laughs> sonic is on sonic unleashed and i want that as a poster right now mm. you have 10 mm. minutes to finish it Whoa. go wow from the time this goes live or the time they hear it from the time they hear it i'm, I'm gonna check in with you in 10 minutes 10 exact minutes and if you're not done turn in your papers pencils down oh man that that just brings back such bad memories i know right <laughs> god i haven't been in school in so long just it's been so long since I've had to do anything like that, even in college, it's just been so and, long. I'm so yeah. old. And yet 
it's still it still punches <sighs> oh my god worse than anything yeah. just to dream about it all the time all right snail killer wrote in it's an interesting name seems like a kind of a target that can't fight back i'm being honest yeah. he says sorry to ask this here can you guys just give your thoughts on the joe rogan spotify situation i believe there's a time where they will also come for our games if this keeps up have a wonderful day i i wanted to ask about this situation because it is so notable mm-hmm. for people that don't know and i'm sure you all know but joe rogan is a famous american podcaster and commentator ufc commentator he's a comedian I'm sure you know who he is, but he does the most famous podcast Joe Rogan experience in the world. It's the most famous podcast ever. And um, the podcast is popular, I think, for a reason, because it hosts just a bunch of different random people. I listen to I've listened to Rogan for years and I haven't heard most of the episodes, but I am a regular listener because so many episodes go live and I skip most of them. You know, whenever I see like blah, blah, blah as a comedian skip, that's like the one I always skip or the MMA one skip. But when I get to the science and the the technology and the religion and all that, I like to listen to those. And he's been under fire lately. He obviously signed an exclusive deal with Spotify for $100 million. And he's been under fire for basically kind of just letting people say what they want on the show. It sometimes goes uncorrected. Most of the time it does go eventually corrected. Spotify has actually fully removed certain episodes of the show and actually put a COVID-19 warning on some shows. But a lot of people are talking about this as kind of an inflection point. And I think it's interesting because, in my opinion, it's the first time we see a situation where the person, I'm sorry, where the company needs the person more than the person needs the company. Like, no doubt. Joe Rogan would, can you imagine if Spotify fired Joe Rogan, how good that would be for Joe Rogan? If I were him, I'd want that. I'd want that. They'd have to owe him the money. And then he can just go and do whatever he wants. But I feel like this is a conversation about freedom of expression and I don't want to boast our own show and myself too much. It's not what I mean, but some people say that we have a Joe Rogan esque angle, especially with sacred symbols plus on our show. I try to invite as many people as I can, no matter what people that Mm -hmm. I don't like people that I don't agree with all, all the rest. And I think it's important and I think it's why we do well. And I'm just curious uh, if you guys have any thoughts on this, Chris, do you feel um, to the question that I asked by snail killer, he says, I believe there is a time where there will also come for our games if this keeps up. I agree. I mean, I don't know if it's that literal and that linear, but I agree. And I think that at some point you have to draw the line. The same people, the same people that complain about six days in Fallujah. Yeah. The yeah. same people that complain about jiggle physics or whatever in a dead or alive game, right? Whatever incidental thing are the same people trying to cancel Joe Rogan. You can draw that Venn diagram as a circle. And so I feel like there is something to this and I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I I think potentially, I I think my, I'm a little conflicted on this, honestly, because I think Joe Rogan is so popular and so ubiquitously like, like as far as in the podcast space, especially like his, his numbers are insane. Like they're wild. Dude, his episode, just to be clear, one of his episodes does more traffic than sacred symbols does in a year. Yeah. And Sacred no, Symbols is the biggest PlayStation podcast in the world. Yeah. So just let's just put that in the context for you. <laughs> it's it's no joke, those numbers. <laughs> like, I, I think he's by far in a way like it, it's kind of like, um, do you remember how back in the day uh, they had this list of top YouTubers? And then number one was, I think, uh, I think Felix uh, PewDiePie. And mm-hmm. then the second person was like. 
like I, I think like 50 million people behind him or something it was like an insane like jump it's kind of like that with joe rogan's show where he's so far ahead of people and he has so many people listening to his show that i do think in some ways there is kind of an implicit responsibility that you should probably have with that platform to make sure that you're not like misleading people but at the same time i can't get out of my head that he should be able to do whatever he wants you know it's kind of like this weird i don't know i I can't even imagine having that scope of influence you have to imagine even if when when you consider just seven billion people on the planet you you think one percent of those people are crazy that's a lot of people and if all those people are like taking your word as gospel that's like some cult shit and i could see that being like a, a huge problem but i don't think i'm ever going to divorce myself from the notion of you know you should be able to do whatever you want with your platform as long as it's you know as long as you're not doing like crazy like jared fogel shit <laughs> you know <laughs> you know? Oh my god I'm just saying, you know, yeah, no, I, no, I, I there's well, a line somewhere. I think I think, well, of course, I think. I got to admit that part of my part of my empathy, I think, for Rogan is not only that I do some I'm trying to do something he does a lot worse than he does it, but that I have been on that show twice mm-hmm. and I know what it's like to be on Rogan's show and I know how he operates because I did it for seven hours right with him in on live looking right at him and he really walks into a room and he really sits down and he really just starts talking to you. Yeah. And when you do stuff like that, it's bold and it's brave and it's interesting and it's going to come with mistakes and people have For to sure, know what yeah. they're getting into. He's not claiming he's anything else. Just like six no. days in Fallujah is not claiming that it replaces your history textbook. And For sure. yeah. so I think that maybe my, I'm not going to claim I'm friends with Joe Rogan. I, I, I'm not, we're not friends. We're friendly. I mean, I, I know him, but I empathize with him because I, I kind of you can get the feel for him. Everyone that meets Joe Rogan loves Joe Rogan. I, you never meet. You, I don't know anyone that's been on that show that doesn't like him. Yeah. And that's because you get to know him and you get to kind of get a feel for him. And, you know, Dustin, I wanted to just throw it over to you if you have any feelings on this, too. I just I think it's worth talking about because I'm personally paying attention to this situation about who falls on what side. And I'm remembering. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to get involved. But I know you're a fan of Ethan, right? H3, H3, for instance, Chris. And I noticed the side he's on. And I'm like, we're as far as me watching you, we're done. Right? Like, because I can't get down with that. Yeah. No, like, I, 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 really, and I, I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I should. I should. Like, I, I know Ethan. Like, I don't really watch the show or anything. Yeah, well, so I, I know that's what. OK, fair enough. Like, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm not trying to disrespect him as a person is what I'm kind of saying. I mean, right. No matter what you are, you know, very similar to what I think how you feel about Dave Rubin. Right. To right, me. right. Yeah, yeah. And like Dave Rubin's a, a contentious person, but he's my friend. He's a personal friend of mine. And, you know, I have no problems with Dave Rubin. So but mm-hmm. I also don't pay attention to him politically. I don't listen to what he says politically because that's not like the realm we're in. But yeah. as I interface with someone like Ethan as a creator, I'm like, well, I can't if you're going to kind of try, try to tackle a person for trying to do something like this, then your, your values are different than mine. Yeah. And it is very weird. Like, and I, I don't I, understand that at all. Yeah. And, and so, because I want as many people to talk, I want as many opinions out there. I think the best way you combat someone like Rogan, they're doing Rogan a huge favor. Everyone, I can't, I imagine his numbers are just up and up and up and up and up because people are like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? Joe yeah, Rogan. It's free marketing too. Like it's, it's insane. sure. And then, and it's easy enough because you listen to it and no offense to Alex Jones, I guess, but it's not Alex Jones. You listen to it and it's not crazy. Oh, oh, and, dude, and, oh my I'm God. Sorry. 
No, no, no. Can I, I just, this just came yeah. into my head and I just want to mention it because like when this, I haven't really been paying attention to this whole thing because I've just been like traveling and like kind of like talking to people and I've been kind of like on a, on a relax, relaxation kind of mode slash work. I haven't been looking at this Joe Rogan stuff as intently as a lot of people, as a lot of other people have, but I noticed when it happened, everybody was like, oh man, I'm leaving Spotify because they have Joe Rogan. I'm going to go uh, get an, uh, what is it? An Amazon music subscription. <laughs> it's like what the hell are you talking like oh man you know yeah jeff bezos has his below minimum wage workers pissing in bottles but at least joe rogan's not there right what moral is that like it's so it's so well, that's insane. why that's again why i just don't choose to play these moralistic games because it's the same it's thing with stupid. people going to apple music it's like oh you mean apple that uses parts in their phones that are definitely sourced from slave labor camps <laughs> according to ngos around the world but Colin, but Colin, so Joe Rogan isn't there. <laughs> and indeed, Spotify, first of all, isn't even American, number one, which is interesting. I think they're Swedish. Yeah. And the second mm. thing is, is that they're probably the smallest entity in all of these entities. You would actually probably want to root for them because they're they're the tiniest. And mm. uh, but so we're getting into the weeds. I want I want to jump over just to ask you, Dustin, how you feel about this, because I just feel like it is germane to our show in the sense that. Replicating Rogan's mantra for open conversation, open-mindedness. This is a man who supported Bernie Sanders, but also has vaccine, for instance, vaccine skeptical people on the show. I think having a wide spectrum of opinions is great. And uh, I feel bad for him. And I'm I'm very interested to see how it falls because as a consumer, first of all, I've been with Spotify, I think since 2011 or 2012, like a really long time, Spotify yeah, premium. If they get rid of Joe Rogan, I will cancel it, number one. Number two, and I'll just go to YouTube and I'll listen to music the old fashioned way for free. Number two, the the so that's like to me, I'm like, try me like that. And I'm going to I always tell people to put their money where their mouth is. And I'll be like, I'll just do it that way then. And that, that'll be the end of that. And number two is uh, with Rogan is it's just going to make him more powerful and more interesting. And the only thing that we're missing from the conversation is Joe Rogan is completely indifferent to video games. And just couldn't give a fuck less about them. And it's so it's hard yeah. to show him that we are in our in our space kind of with him because he doesn't care about this yeah. space. He's never, I don't think, done one episode about video games. And if he does, he's done like one or two. I think maybe he had like Tim Sweeney. Yeah, the guy from uh, Id On, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's John what Carmack. Yeah. Yeah. Carmack? Yeah. yeah, John Carmack. But they were talking oh, about John VR, Carmack. I think. Yeah. I, I think if, I think if we did a, a, a Sacred Symbols episode that was just called Quake, Quake, look, it's Quake. He might uh, he might pay attention because he's a quake yeah. guy. Right. But that's, that's well, about it. And I should say, I guess the the attitude of going to YouTube is not even the right solution, although I, I pay for YouTube premium. So there's that. But maybe finding like going back to Pandora or finding some like budget or some, you know, uh, boutique music service, because I just I don't know, man, I'm, I, I'm really bothered by this. I'm scared about what people's people just want to shut other people up it's fucking crazy it is uh, yeah yeah, uh, yeah I, anyway dustin i'm sorry i keep talking what do you what do you want to say so first of all i think it's just important to say you always have to say this when this type of situation comes up is that spotify can do whatever they want these mm -hmm. artists can do whatever they want we are not arguing a i, I personally wouldn't wouldn't make a, a free speech argument about this even though some people oh, no, i wouldn't to. either yeah. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I just want to make that clear right off the bat. But I, I the thing that just is so funny to me overall is that the fact that 
these the statements these artists have made have clearly not listened to the show at all. And many of the people that are making these statements have not listened to Joe at all. And it's it's just the the thing that's the most obvious to me when you see this type of attack is a lot of it is being um, highlighted by big media outlets. And they think that it's a reflection of uh, this corruption, this poison amongst our media, Joe Rogan. It's like, no, idiot. This is a reflection of you guys. Mm -hmm. Why are 11 million people drawn to listen to Joe, a a comedian who is self-claims, I'm an idiot, but is willing to have honest conversation with people over giant outlets like Literally all of them, CNN, Fox News, whatever. It doesn't matter, left or right, whatever. There's a reason why people are drawn to that. So they can try all they want and try to take down Joe over and over and over again. It never works. Uh, it, and who, I'm not saying it will, it will never work, but Colin, like you said, if Spotify bends, it would be the absolute best thing that would, uh, that would happen for Joe because he could just have his podcast everywhere once again. And he would and be get his hundred million dollars because they're certainly yeah. not going to be able to weasel their way out of that. And yeah, it's very it would, similar. It would, be, yeah. it would be just like that ninja thing with um, what was that? What was that Microsoft oh, mixer? streaming service? Mixer, yeah. When yeah. when they paid him like a bunch of money to go on Mixer and then they shut it down, and then he he got all that money and then he could just do whatever he wanted. Right, it's exactly. It's yeah. going to be just that again. And Spotify is not big enough, really, <laughs> to. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to be kicked off of Spotify. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Spotify I is too small to withstand that big of a loss. Uh, it, they're not Microsoft. That's you know? what I was reading too. Is that they are incredibly dependent on Rogan. They were saying that someone had put it in a piece I was writing, like an expert saying, like Rogan is to Spotify as if Taylor Swift released a record every day, and it's like that's nuts. That's a so much money. And they were talking about other deals they had, like they have a deal with the Obamas. That's like twenty five million dollars. That's not done anything. They have a deal with uh, Prince Harry or something for, you know, whatever. And like no one cares about anything but Rogan. So they're in between a rock and a hard place. And I like Neil Young. Like I like some of these guys that have been taking it to him. But I dis- I've been seeing a lot of tweets. It's true. Like the 60s were a lie. These people were full of shit. You know what song I was thinking about? I don't know what it's really about, but you know that Smash Mouth song? What is it? Something in the sun. Walking in the Walking sun. Walking on the sun. And he says something like the the hippie chicks were all hypocrites or whatever like some there's some verse about how like everything that was going on with our parents was just full of shit because when they had the moment to sell out and corporatize and make money and stuff they did and someone like neil young really literally went on a freedom of speech tour Mm -hmm. that's true you can find pictures of it and posters you know and i just feel like it's freedom of speech freedom of expression all these things are so vital to our industry uh, video games are protected by the First Amendment. We know that. That's literal now. We know that for sure. But the way people play around the edges creates artificial rules that everyone has to play by. So a lot of what we talk about with and we're going to talk about with Bungie in different ways about rules that are set by others and then you have to play by them. And anyone who tr- sets, seeks to erode conversation and open ideas is, is an enemy of me. I mean, <laughs> I'm not I'm not. I don't think we can play around and be hypothetical with that stuff anymore. Like you're not going to shut someone like Joe Rogan down because then they're going to go after someone else and someone else and someone else. And you're right, Chris, the, um, anyone who survived, I know. Cause I got, I tried to get, they tried to cancel me a few times too, for not this badly, but if you survive, you're just better off. And so I think that 
Rogan is in a and is in a really unique position. I was disappointed to see him even say anything about it at all because I was really loving how he just wouldn't say anything. He like wasn't even acknowledging anything. Yeah, but he did. He finally said something. So anyway, I wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you for writing it about that. Yeah, we obviously are for freedom of expression. You will continue to you'll see the proof in the pudding on this show. Yeah. Because not only do we all disagree, I mean, Chris and I will probably never vote for the same people for president or very yeah. rarely would that happen. We might have voted the same way once, mm, you know, I'm sure. That doesn't really matter. That makes the content of the show better. And people that seek to only speak to other people that reinforce their ideas and their viewpoints and their worldviews are shallow and stupid. And I don't want that in my life. We're not yeah. going to do that here. So keep an eye out for continuing conversations on sacred symbols plus that prove the rule yeah by the way pencils down on that on, on those sonic drawings oh that's right. Yeah. that's right you're done give us your scantrons <laughs> scantrons do they still use those they probably do probably yeah angie's list is now angie and we've heard a lot of theories about why i thought it was an eco move Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. All right. Landon Hansen wrote in and said, Hey guys, I became a patron last year after being enamored with the amount of quality content LSM produces. Since LSM has had its biggest year yet, I, we have, thank you. I imagine many new fans don't know the origin story of Sacred Symbols. Colin, what inspired you to return to covering PlayStation? How did you and Chris meet and what led you to the decision to include him as your co-host? Where does Dustin fit in all of this? Thanks for the content. Have yourselves a wonderful day. I'm sure we've told this story in the past, but it is interesting to note that there are so many new people listening to the show that they really have no idea where it comes from. I imagine that that was the same thing with Podcast Beyond back in the day and, and all these others. Yeah. I guess for people that don't know, I was internet famous in quotes for being a senior editor at IGN and I basically pioneered and helped pioneer and build the PlayStation coverage there. And Podcast Beyond was my show that I co-hosted. It still exists today. It's a frankly a hollow shell of its former self. <laughs> and uh, so... It's still out there as a brand, but it was this thing that we did and we um, we became popular and, and famous on the Internet for doing podcasts beyond because it just became this like zeitgeist PlayStation show, especially during the PSP, PS3, Vita era. And then I left and did another show at a company I founded called PS I Love You, which also still exists with a different cast. And um, and then I found my way here. But Chris and I had met, ironically, for the first time at Dave Rubin's house and um do you remember that? Yeah. And I, we had known I, and spoke to each other first, but I had gone over there for some reason and you were there uh, doing something with her, their producer or something. And so we met that way, but I liked Chris and I was kind of following him online. I was familiar with him and his work. And when I started considering coming back to PlayStation coverage, I was just like, it would be interesting to have someone who's really not in the PlayStation space do it with me and check me 
Um, yeah. And maybe someone a little more on the, not the casual is not the right word, like the more mainstream side where like yeah, you're the, not playing you're not spending all this time playing mercenary fucking links or whatever it is i'm playing right now the, I, I guess i guess like the the content agnostic side where like uh, not so married right. to a single brand right or an ip yeah and so i had left kind of funny the company i've co-founded at the beginning of 2017 and i left originally to try to do some historical content i had majored in history at Northeastern as everyone I think knows and I just wanted to kind of go back and see if I could do something with that and I did and I kind of satiated that side of me but I found it quite miserable I I found anything touching politics just regularly made me miserable and mm-hmm. I just couldn't do it and it was it was lucrative and it was interesting and I, I had all these interesting opportunities one day I'll tell you guys like the people I talked to and the things I could have done in that space because I think people have been like wow that would have been an interesting turn for you but I ended up getting back in the games because people just pulled me back and in the comment section of every video would be like, this is great, but, or some people didn't like it, but some people would say, you know, this is great, but we really love you to come back and talk about video games. And I noticed when I left that there was just no one doing anything that I wanted to do, like that I was trying to do. And so the next year I came back, we launched in July of, I think it was July 2nd, 2018, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know it was 2018 for sure. I know it was summer. Yeah. I remember it was sweltering. Because I would have to, I'd have to go to your place in Santa Monica, which was like a forty-day journey <laughs> to there from where I was in Burbank. I know it's awful. It's, <laughs> I don't know why I chose to live in Santa Monica. I just didn't know at the time that it was the worst place to live. If you want anyone to come see you, but yeah, so we we got the show going, and there's a lot of little histories you can listen over time. But Dustin joined us as a editor, and what? 2018 late 2018 and then full-time i think in 2019 and then joined the show in 2021 but he's been behind the scenes since around the time sacred symbols launched basically so um and so that's how he fits in all this and we have other employees too we have um ben smith who's uh our audio editor and he's head of our event planning now which is great we have micah who's our coordinator and and she's going to get on more shows that that has been vital to me to do better episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus. We have a bunch of freelancers that work with us. So the enterprise has grown a great deal. And again, as we said earlier, it's because you all support us on Patreon. So thank you for that. I hope that basically at least gives you the cliffs notes. Yeah. Of how we got to this point. Okay. Oh, Hassan Karaman. Dustin, so you had te- uh, tweeted out something about Hassan the other day. For people that don't remember, Hassan Karaman is the purported head of blue box which is the studio making that mysterious playstation game abandoned that no one really knows about now he had said on twitter that he wanted to do sacred symbols plus and we were talking behind the scenes a little bit about it but over the last few weeks he kind of ghosted us and then i don't know i i I emailed him some stuff happened and then i emailed him back and was just like listen dude um and, and this is just kind of being honest if you want to have an adult conversation about what's going on with you and your game, like we'll do it. And I, I said to him, I'm like, I don't think you've ever sat with anyone that really knows games. And I do. So come sit with me and we, I'll ask the right questions and we'll be judicious with your time. And I haven't heard back from him, but we want to just be clear about that. And I'll throw it to you, Dustin, just because he, I, I don't want people to join up or think that they're getting something that's not in that, that that's not being planned. And people know me well enough to know that if I was having Hassan Karaman on the show, like, and we had that plan, you wouldn't know until it was out. So, because that's how Colin rolls, and you all know it. The mm-hmm. Jeff Ross thing is an example, uh, is a an ex- uh, a difference because we just wanted to tell you that it was coming because it was supposed to be like a month ago that it went live at this point. Yeah. So, uh, Dustin, do you have anything to add about that before we move on? 
No, not. I'm trying to think if there's anything other than just the biggest point was that he had responded. So it's just so funny. All these things happen. He had responded to somebody saying that sacred symbols was in the works well before it was planned out. And this was after the the first time he had had ghosted us. And like you said, Colin, the the biggest factor for us was just we didn't uh, want people signing up under any false pretense or anything like that, because that one tweet. I got asked about a million times and there were posts in various places about this tweet. It caused quite a stir. So Hassan is is welcome to come on the show if if he's willing to schedule it. But we are no longer pursuing this uh, actively just because the ball is in his court. And we're not as Colin says, we're not going to beg. Yeah, I said that and, to him. Yeah. I, I was like, I'm not begging you for this for this interview. Like, you're either going to no. do it or you're not. I respect you one way or the other. I think that and one thing I said to him, which is clear, and I want to be clear about this to the audience. And, and I said this is that it's time for you, Hassan, to take responsibility. For what you have done to make this mess. What it is, I'm just reporting on it. I'm not involved in this at all. The biggest culprit is you. Now, if you don't want to come on the show, that's totally fine. But I can guarantee you we'll treat you fairly. I'll ask the right questions. We'll be kind. The audience will make up their own decision. But we don't pussyfoot around things here. And I'm not dicking around anymore. And I think that I really do think that there is more to this than meets the eye. I do. And so I want to talk to you, Hassan. But, you know, we're not we're not part of an ARG and we're not messing around with uh our own name and our own reputation and that's it so i just wanted i don't want people to come in because i'm happy if for some reason you subscribed last month and i see that you subscribed last month and you want to write in and say like i did subscribe on patreon thinking this was coming i'll i'll refund you and we'll take care of that definitely you know? yeah so just dm yeah if you have that problem all right guys let's talk about some video game stuff now i wanted to acknowledge nintendo today we're going to talk about them a little later too but nintendo switch has officially surpassed ps1 in sales it is now at 103.5 million and is almost certainly going to pass PS4. It's uh, been almost, well, no, let me see. It's been about five years since Switch came out and yeah. it's pretty wild, actually, almost five years. Chris, what do you think about the last five years with the Nintendo Switch and this this meteoric sales success that puts it at 103.5 million outselling the Wii as well? This will if you count this as a as a console, which I really don't, it is the best selling Nintendo console ever. Yeah, I mean it's a hell of a it's a hell of a second wind after the uh, after the Wii U for sure. Um, just to go from that thing to something this successful is is pretty outstanding, and uh, to get that many units sold in five years is is, is a feat for sure. Um, but I, man, it, it's so funny because everybody I know has a Switch, but we're never playing it. <laughs> It's, it's the weirdest it's i guess it's because we also have other things and it's we'd rather you know we'd rather play on the 60 frame 4k machines that we all have for sure uh but i can't deny man there's something special about nintendo that just keeps people coming back i don't know that that new pokemon game is apparently very interesting even though it looks like it's from 15 years ago you know animal crossing was a phenomenon even like early in the, in the early days of the pandemic. So, I mean, they, they got the, they have the content and as long as they keep that content going, I, I don't see this slowing down anytime soon. And, and as much demand as there is for 
a new switch, like a, like a high powered, like proper, like switch two or whatever the hell they want to call it. Uh, I don't even necessarily see that happening anytime soon either, just because of the pandemic and, and, and all the, you know, the supply constraints and all that nonsense. And, and why even bother doing that when your software, you know, clearly sells, even though it's not hindered, like it's not hindered at all by the fact that it's ancient tech by, by modern standards. Like it's doing better than the Xbox one did, you know, like yeah, way, 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 way better. Certainly. So like, in a fraction of the time. So well, not a fraction, but like a half of the time. So, so I mean, <laughs> you can't argue with numbers, man. They're, they're, they're kicking ass. They're at something like 750 million software uh, sold too, which is absurd. Insane. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, that's a lot of games and those games are already, I mean, there's a lot of indie games, a lot of smaller games, but a lot of those games are first party games and a lot of them were sold at 60 bucks. I mean, this is a lot of money. Nintendo makes a lot of money. We're going to talk about them later because it, it, they are somewhat related to what's going on with Bungie and that they're taking the exact opposite tact. And I want to talk about that since it of course makes means that I've been exactly right the entire time about what I've been saying. But I want to ask you, Dustin, you're more of a switch player than either of us are in fact i gave my switch to my best friend ramon because i'm like I'm, i never play this thing so you can have it and he's fucking enamored with it he loves it but i never play it so i played zelda a little bit probably 10 or 15 hours i played odyssey which was good i think overrated but fun and i played a couple of other like indie games that came to it but otherwise my experience with it is pretty pretty minimal my nephews have ps3 ps4 ps5 and switch and they're still totally obsessed and biased towards the switch. And my brother, Dagan, his kid, uh, Graydon is just a total Nintendo fanboy, like straight up, just like I was when I was his age. It's actually quite fun to watch because I was like, oh, my God, I was if I were I would have been all over. I was all over Nintendo when it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool at all to be all over Nintendo in 2002 or 1997 or even 1994, really, you know, and if it was like it was now, I'd be oh, my God, I'd be gushing. So it's a really wonderful ecosystem that they've created. And with PS4 at, I think, 117 or 118 million, it's going to get passed. The only thing Nintendo has sitting in front of it that will probably remain the bestseller is PS2 at 152 million. But now all it has to compete with in sales is its own handhelds. I think this shows above all else, though, Dustin, that I really think Sony is silly to leave this hybrid idea on the table. And Nintendo does this with no Call of Duty. They do it with no whatever, like lots of different big games. And I think that, I don't know, I don't understand why they're not more heavily aggressively going after this. Yeah, I mean, the the thing about Nintendo to me is there, it's just the proof purely that software is king. The games are king. It's not necessarily uh, how great the graphics are, if it's native 4K, if it's whatever, how many features does it have it at the at the end? It's just the games what that's what really matters and it's and that discussion is always interesting too because there's some core gamers that the the thought of nintendo's success just purely enrages them because the, those games don't uh, appeal to them and that's completely fine you know not everything is going to be for everybody but i i absolutely love the switch like chris said there i go through phases where i don't play it much at all and then there's times where I play it a ton. And I love that about it. I love that that's where that device fits into my life. And, you know, Nintendo's not perfect by any means, but I know in a lot of ways. But um, as far as Sony and the hybrid thing, it's 
it's I don't know if Sony can do it at this point, just because with the VR pillar kind of replacing their their mobile pillar, I don't know if they could stretch it out that much. And then the other thing is just that. I don't know. It takes so much commitment. Sony has shown that they are just not. I mean, look at Vita. I just don't know if they can do it after Vita and have have success. But we've talked about this idea of like making a a PlayStation, uh, uh, some kind of console that is like a PlayStation 4 that is portable at this point, if they can get that tech into that size. But who knows with the upcoming Steam Deck? I think that that's kind of the real competitor as far as can the switch is kind of a catch all for for casuals and you get some hardcores in there or whatever. Steam Deck is a hardcore gaming device for hardcore gamers. If they latch onto that, then I think that you very well might see Sony kind of uh, dart its eyes a little bit, thinking, hmm, what yeah. could be? Yeah, I could see that happen. I think so, too. And I, I think their, their salvation might just still be through DualSense used on any device. Yeah. Phone, tablet, yeah, TV. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, but I feel like Nintendo, I feel like you can't, I have a lot of respect for Nintendo. If it wasn't for Nintendo, I wouldn't be playing video games at all. None of us would. <laughs> I don't think. But Nintendo is, as you said, Dustin, or implied, a certain kind of company with certain kinds of games. And I don't believe in a future in which they don't have some sort of dominant place at the table because Nintendo the industry without Nintendo kind of like when we saw Wii U, that wasn't a great era for video games. Like when Wii U and 3DS even, which was still successful at 75 million, I think a weak Nintendo, I think weakened the entire industry. So uh, a a resurgent Nintendo and a dominant game centric and games focused Nintendo, I think is good for everyone, but I just, I don't think it can be understated that Nintendo has sold this many units in part because of, I'm not saying in totality or even mostly because of, but in part because of they have no competition. And I don't think that that's talked about very much. There is no competition. If they're playing in a different space, which a lot of people say that they are, then there is no competition in that space because what they're implying is that the other space is the gaming space like PlayStation and Xbox. So there is no conflict with them on the corporate level because no one's making anything like them. And I agree with what you said, Chris. I don't, I think, Maybe Moore's Law said this. I don't know, though. I don't remember. It was something like I thought that the Nintendo plans about a a, a new switch kind of got like pushed or scrapped or something like that because of what they're seeing. We're definitely going to they're going to need a new one. No doubt. I mean, but who knows when they're going to we're going to get it. Yeah, I don't know. It's very impressive. Very impressive. I remember when they named it. I was like, that is the worst name ever. I thinking I will never get used to that name. It's just horrible. And of course, I was wrong. There you go. There was a uh, Gran Turismo 7 state of play. Game looks beautiful. I just want to let everyone know it's there. The big news out of it is that online connection is required to play GT7 no matter what. I don't know that it's that dramatic, but that's something interesting to note. Did either of you scrub through this thing? I I just scrubbed through it and looked at it. Chris, what do you think of Gran Turismo 7 if you got a chance to look at it? Yeah, I mean, it it looks great. It looks beautiful. Um, It's a car game, so I don't know what I can really gleam out of it. Like, I like Forza Horizon. That, That kind of opened me up to it, so... Uh, I, I'm looking forward to play it, but it's not like there's much, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get Gran Turismo spoiled for you, you know? <laughs> so 
I feel like it looks cool. I uh, the the always online thing probably would have been a bigger deal if this was you know 2013 <laughs> when people did not uh, not appreciate that terminology. But I don't think that's a big deal now. I feel like most people are constantly like yeah, who's online not or... online? That's what I'm when people bitch about these things, Chris. You're totally right. Like I'm always I'm always wondering like, who who amongst you isn't online. What, yeah. is, what is the big deal? <laughs> the worry, <laughs> though, is that these servers will eventually come down and then you will never be able to play GT7 again. They would certainly. I mean, this is such a weird worry, though, because as uh, they'll patch it. And I understand you say, like, well, if I have the disc without the patch, it's like, but that's so unrealistic. You know, you're going to find guess, a PS5 look- and then just put Gran Turismo 7 in it. And that's just going to be the end of that. But what if, what no if one's going to do that? Jim- what if Jim Ryan is like, oh, Gran Turismo 7, nobody wants to play that. Look how dumb it looks. <laughs> <laughs> Go play Gran Turismo 8 in 15 years. Who wants to play that? It's one of the great I, quotes of all time. I think it's a fair concern, though. <laughs> if you look at the expand. graveyard, the graveyard of games that you can no longer touch, there's quite a few. And if I guess that, you know, there's an argument like, well, no one cares about certain games that are in that graveyard. But I don't know. I, I am a firm believer in the preservation of all games, good or bad. Uh, and you're probably right that maybe sometime down the line they will fix it or patch it so it's not online only so it can live forever but I don't like trusting Sony or anyone to do that Uh, I just I don't know I believe in in keeping games around as long as possible and and making it have an online check not good for me I think that's very compelling but but I will note that think of the use case just as like, let's get rid of this. The I don't want to say the outrage, no, of course, outrage, but just we're 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 criticizing this thing, right? And that's our instinct is to criticize, and I get that. But who is going to buy a PlayStation Five and a copy of Gran Turismo Seven and never put it online? If they're going to do that, that's weird. That's weird because it's made to go online. I'm not saying the game isn't, but the machine is supposed to be connected to the internet. Even if you live in the middle of nowhere, you can still use a satellite connection to at least ping the PSN. That's not going to be a problem. Soon Starlink is going to take care of a lot of this stuff too. So I don't know. I think the only use case I can imagine is if you have a PS5 and Gran Turismo 7 and no ability to ever get it online, then I guess this is going to be a problem for you. Because I I do believe that if and when they shut GT7 down as like a supported game, they'll just give it a legacy patch. Hmm. You know, I I just can't imagine. I don't, I don't, I don't share this particular concern, but we'll see. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, 
answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Discord. Dustin, let's stay with you. Discord cross PlayStation begins rolling out. I connected my so I wasn't going to do it because all you you have to you connect your PSN account to your Discord account. But then when I logged into Discord, I don't know if it just knew that I liked PlayStation or if it's just asking everyone, but it prompted me to connect. It was like, do you want to do it? I was like, oh, okay, I guess so. I don't if this is all I have to do. And then I just logged in and that was the end of it. But I don't know what else that means for me. So Mm. you're a Discord person. You're a fan. I'm a fan of it, too. I'm getting to really learn the platform more and understand it more because I'm very dumb. But what do you what do you think of this? uh, this beginning of what will mature into probably a pretty important relationship for PlayStation. Yeah, it's a good first step. Basically, all it does right now is if you, to my understanding, if you connect it, then when you're playing something on your PlayStation, it will display under your username on Discord that you're playing something. So everyone was pointing out that I was playing Dying Light 2. Everyone was, maybe, well, I don't know. I I would say it was being a little nosy, but then I was the one who made the connection and then thought, oh, that does that. Right. Yeah, so... So anyway, it's a nice first step. I think that it'll be really exciting once we actually get an actual Discord app on the console itself. And then so you can start doing cross-platform voice chat and stuff like that. That's going to be where the real exciting features are. But uh, you got to start small. So it's good to see that we're moving in that direction. Yeah, I agree. When I saw that from my, because I don't understand, literally, I don't understand anything about technology. So when I read things, I have to read them like five times. And I was reading the thing and I was like, so literally it just, it kind of just acts as like a way for people to see what I see on PSN. I think that already happens as we've noted with Steam, noted with Steam and everything. So right, it yeah. just seemed like incidental. But my hope is that now that I've connected it, whatever future use will be kind of more automatic for me. Chris, did you uh, log in and, and tie these two together? Uh, no, not yet, because my PlayStation login info is all screwed. I don't know what the hell, man. Like the, the app just does not work for me, even though I know it's like the right, <laughs> the right password. And well, there the is email weird stuff with, with, um, two factor authentication that does break some yeah. stuff specifically. I know that's true with like everything on Vita. So that might, you might be having something that, that might have a problem. Yeah, uh, probably. I, a problem for you too. Yeah. Because I was, I was talking to you guys about like, uh, trying to get, um, dying light to the code that we got. Uh, working and I was like I can't I can't do it until like until I get back basically which sucks because I have a PlayStation here but like it just the login it, it doesn't fucking work and I know it's I know it's the right one it's it's baffling but I haven't done this yet uh, but I, I I do share kind of like the hopefulness of that, that that this is like one step towards this future of cross-platform voice chat which is that that is such a huge I I don't think people are really aware of how convenient that is going to be like because I, I think we were all kind of used to like oh we'll just pop on discord on pc or whatever and it's like it's that's convenient but like the second you can do that from a console dude the second you can talk to people on your couch and it doesn't matter if they're at their pc or at their xbox or whatever that's going to be really really huge and and especially in this in this kind of glut of cross-platform uh cross-progression games like it's going to be it's going to be huge uh, way bigger than I think people are giving credit for. So hopefully this is a step in that direction. And I assume it must be because why, why else? 
would you have this functionality? Yeah, this this investment that Sony made with Discord is wise. I, I, I just think that's obvious. When I don't understand something, it's it can go either way. Either I don't understand something because it makes no sense, like NFTs, or I don't understand something, but clearly there's more to it, like Discord. And it was only recently, especially with game development mm-hmm. over at Lilymo, it's turned into like this amazing tool. I know it's not unprecedented. There's Slack and all this other shit. We used to use something called Yammer at IGN. I don't even think that exists anymore. Microsoft actually bought Yammer a long time ago. I don't know if they ever what they did with it, but so it's not new to be able to talk to people instantaneously and have all of this, but I've just found it really useful for content planning to talk to all of the people in our company, to talk to the people working on our various games. We have different channels for our different games so we can keep all the notes straight. I, I don't know. I, I'm an antisocial person in a lot of ways, so I think it just takes me longer to not embrace to, to embrace rather these these really important things. And as, as you said, Chris, this is maybe being understated how important it is for people to be able to talk across platforms. So we'll see. All right. I wanted to, before we get into what we're playing, bring up one more small news item, which is about It Takes Two. I know you guys are both fans of this Hazelight developed game published by EA. Absolutely. Turns out, according to Variety, a an entity that we bring up sometimes, DJ2 Entertainment, is adapting, has the rights, I guess, to adapt It Takes Two for film and television. And that's all we really know about it right now. There's really nothing else to say. What do you think of this, Chris? Uh, do you think this will translate well into TV or movies? I feel like, in in my opinion, isn't what it... I didn't play It Takes Two, but isn't what makes it special that you play it with someone? Isn't that yeah. the whole thing? Otherwise, it's just a story about two people getting divorced, and we have a million of those. And and that's also yeah. my life, you know? <laughs> I don't... I don't need, <laughs> that's my childhood. Yeah, yeah I... Uh... <laughs> I question this. This is a little confusing because the narrative is arguably the the weakest element of It Takes Two. It's not like these characters aren't particularly. I mean, like the the two main characters are are somewhat endearing by the end, but that that annoying book, that oh. annoying <laughs> book character is like I don't want to see more of that. Like in a in a in a slice of like like villain of the week episodic TV series. That sounds horrible. I, I don't really understand the the cold behind this. The, the whole, the, a lot of the magic of it takes two is in playing it with somebody and in just seeing how many different styles of gameplay they can emulate, uh, and and do like really really well. Like it, it's such a shockingly good game from like every every way you look at it. Like there there are sections of that game that play unlike anything in the rest of the game like you just have hey here's here's 10 straight minutes of this exact like hyper specific gameplay loop and then it's gone it, it just continuously like is always moving forward it's a, fa- it's a fantastic game that i recommend best co-op game i've i've played for sure like without a doubt and i just don't see how this translates to film and tv like i i just it's like Tet- it's like the Tetris movie that was that was rumored back in like the the, the early 2010s. It's like oh it's such God. a gameplay focused game. Yeah, what is what could you like, even what? what it so that's like this is what I keep telling people. There are more people than you think. You would be surprised by the amount of people that are in these rooms that do not understand video games, that do not play video games. They see a thing like Tetris that anyone with two fucking functioning brain cells could tell you couldn't work as anything but a video game. And they're like, no, we'll license that. And the people on the other end are like, fine, you can license Tetris. Good luck doing something (laughs) with that. 
And I just, so it, when, I, when you see like the picture you shared of Jim Ryan holding the controller, Dustin, is so funny because that's time. not how anyone holds a controller. <laughs> Who is holding the controller like that? And you know what it reminds me of is that I did this show at IGN. It's, it was actually on Fox. Uh, Jessica Chobot hosted it. It was like a buyer's guide for 2007 or 2008 or something that we did at IGN. It was just on like one random Saturday when we were owned by Fox on Fox. And so there's just a shot of me that they had me and they had me hold the controller, an Xbox controller, and just pretend like I was playing it, like looking at something. And then they're like, oh, it's not in the shot. Hold it higher. So they had me hold the controller like here while I was playing, like sitting on a couch playing. And I'm like, you know, no one holds the controller like this, right? And they're like, yeah, but it, it won't be in the shot if it's not like that. And it just reminds me of that. It's like, you guys don't know what the fuck you're talking about. What do you think of It Takes Two coming to TV and film? Do you agree with Chris's uh, pessimism? Yes. A hundred percent. In fact, I think that the story and characters, I don't, they're not bad. Uh, they're at points annoying, though, to me. And mm. again, it's not bad, but it is the part of the game I liked the least. So this has absolutely no appeal to me. And it's just it's interesting that it's this game after the the fuck the Oscars rant just because, you know, he talked about how this you know, video games are the better medium for expression. And then it's like, oh, which maybe it's not his choice. Uh, Joseph Ferris, Ferris, right? Yeah. Fer- yeah. Well, I think it, um, I think it probably has something it to do with him. I don't really know what their relationship is in terms of IP ownership. It could be something like Microsoft where the EA is just helping them publish these things, but they can do what they want with the IP. Very similar to Titanfall or Mass Effect. The original Mass Effect, of course, was funded by xbox in part so and we we ultimately got that so i don't really know i don't blame them for chasing the money it's like i said if i were if i were joseph ferris i'd be like yeah do whatever you want but they're gonna pay me for this license window and you can do whatever you want with it within that window it's fine it's the same thing if i was patching off whatever the guy that owns tetris i'd be like yeah okay make a, a tetris novel for all i care but but on the other end is a bankruptcy of creativity drawn by people with too much money that do not know anything and that's the thing I'm concerned about. Here's the yeah. idea. Sacred Symbols, the movie. Let's license this shit now. We made it into a we game. Can, we can do it. You know? Yeah. Who, we could get the movie. We got to just figure out. It didn't make any out. sense, but I did it. That's not the point. You know, <laughs> yeah. it, it doesn't have to make sense. We just, yeah. we have a valuable brand name with Sacred Symbols. Right. Let's get a movie going. I don't know who we got to talk to. Get Let's... the cast going. <laughs> this could be, I think I'm onto something here. Fair Let's enough. see if we can sell our, our podcast to Microsoft for uh, $6 trillion. Oh, my God. I would sell to Microsoft we'll make, in two seconds. People we'll would be like, well, at least it wasn't. Because then I can go to people and I'd be like, at least it wasn't 10 cent. And then I can go away and live in a mountain somewhere and be done with everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I wrote. Right. At least it wasn't 10 cent. And now Sacred Symbols is owned by Netflix or something like that. <laughs> God, I'm real ornery today. What's going on with me? Huh? Oh, I never I liked see. that word. I hate that word so yeah, much. Yeah, it's not a great word, but. Ornery. Yeah. Uh, it's not a great word. Totally forgot to put this in the show. Wanted to put it up earlier. My sister, Allie, of course, friend of the show, family member, sibling. She runs an online shop, very well respected here in Virginia, AllieAndAyla.com, A-L-I-A-N-D-A-Y-L-A.com. Strulery, mostly earrings and other stuff. Uh, Use the code LSM for 20% off. I'm just doing this as a favor to my sister. Uh, It's Valentine's Day almost. So don't fuck up. Go order. All right, back to the show. All right, let's talk about we're now we're into the show or so it's time to talk about the games we're playing. Mm, Chris, let's start with you. Says you're here playing Death's Door. Yeah. So obviously I've been I've been traveling. Uh, so I haven't and I haven't had access to my PlayStation, even though there's a fucking PlayStation in the 
Ah, it's so frustrating. But uh, I, I, all I really had to play really was Death Store because I made, I think, a wise decision in getting it on the Switch, uh, mm. which is, just feels like a really good portable game. I'm still playing that. Uh, I'm enjoying it a great deal. Uh, I kind of forgot because I, I, I touched it a little bit back when it first came out on PC and I was like, yeah, this is fine. But it, it feels really at home on like a portable display. There's something about it that's like a lot more compelling to me personally about it. I feel like a lot of the, you know, 4K and, you know, it's a lot lot of it's kind of lost on a game like this. And it's just it's fun, man. It's 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 really charming. I love the art design. I love this little little bird character. I'm I'm getting into it. But I like uh, the bird a lot. Yeah, that was the best part for me. The the bird, (laughs) the bird is the best. Yes. Uh, But yeah, I I haven't really had much time to play anything else. I I, I would love to. uh, I would love to play a certain game that Dustin's playing. but but i can't uh so i'll make do with that store but it's it's a it's a worthy companion game for for my uh for my travel period so fair enough dustin let's kick it over to you you seem to have had a busy uh, week here with a trio of games to discuss indeed i've been playing quite a bit recently i'll start in a different order than i've listed here first of all decided to pick up pokemon legends arceus And this is one that I refused. I I wasn't just going to pre-order and go out and get it. This has been my stance with Pokemon since Pokemon X and Y. I I don't think I've bought a Pokemon game since X and Y. Other than the remake, the the Hey You, not Hey You Pikachu. That's the N64 game. The uh, whatever you got. Let's go Pikachu. Let's go Pikachu. That's it. Yeah, I played. I mean, some I'm of just going to stare at you. I don't know the answers to these questions. I, I don't know either. They all blend in my mind. So anyway, I've There's been nothing there when you ask me about that. You know? Sure. That's no, totally fair. <laughs> so I've been avoiding Pokemon for a while just because I've been so sick of the formula. I think the formula is great. I grew up on it. I played many of those games, but I've uh, had enough. And so this one with the reviews saying acknowledging some of the the technical issues and and whatever i gathered that it was different enough to intrigue me and so my my horrible analogy in my mind after playing it for a few hours is that think of pokemon like pizza and throughout the years we've gotten an, a regular pizza uh bagel bites strombolis whatever it's it's different forms but ultimately you wouldn't want to eat it every day cuz it's the exact same flavor Pokemon Legends is a taco pizza in that the format may be familiar, but the taste is different. And I'm in, I'm finding myself very charmed by this game. The, the focus on catching Pokemon is elevated extremely. The world looks like balls, no doubt. This game looks like... <laughs> <laughs> this game, I don't know what they what what happened over at Game Freak. It is not necessarily a looker. But as I said earlier, gameplay is king. And I'm not saying this game's a 10 out of 10. I'm not even saying it's a 7 or 8 out of 10. I don't know yet. But I'm finding it very charming. I am enjoying it. And I am I'm glad to just be in the Pokemon world once again. Being such a strong, strong part of my childhood and something that I put on the shelf for many many years to be yeah. going around catching geo dudes feels good yeah. so i will update as we get more into that I, i'll i'll let you guys know this is my geo dude looking... I, I can't am i i'm not in the uh 
Oh yeah, like this. <laughs> just a ball. I was, I was actually looking into picking it up. Uh, yeah, it's um just because just because I haven't played since silver and gold. Woo. So like it's it's that's a good it's one. It's been wow, a, that's a long time ago. Silver and gold, Game Boy Color, right? Yeah, that was that was uh yeah before Game Boy Advance. Uh, that was the that yeah, was the last Ruby time. And I, I think, one of those? Yeah. Yeah, I, I played because I played yellow, red, and blue, and I was like, those were fun. And then I played gold and silver, and I was like, these were fun, but it was also the same. I think I'm done. <laughs> then, right. Like, I don't have the money for this. And, uh, you know, but this one looks different enough that I'm I'm actually kind of curious. And, I like, Pokemon was really big for me for, for like, a hot second there. And I, I, I'm not going to lie. it's It's been piquing my interest. So maybe I'll... Yeah. I think if, if you have the right expectations of this game, I'm yeah, I think that that's fine. The problem is, of course, I mean, the Internet, it's like this is 10 out of 10, the revolution that Pokemon needed. No, or no it's, I'm, I'm sure this is, I'm <laughs> this is dog shit that looks like balls, which it does. No, and, I'm, and you I'm should sure skip, you know, I'm sure it's, somewhere it's in the middle. fine. I'm sure it's yeah. fine. And I'm sure it'll be like a, a charming little game, even though it looks like it was built on a Motorola razor. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's right. It's going to be very. Very satisfying, Colin. I've never seen anybody's eyes glaze. It, look, you had glaucoma for a second when he was, I, when he was talking about "Let's Go Pikachu." I, ju- I just, just, just a fog in your Pikachu. eyes, like I've never seen. I don't know, man. <laughs> I, I loved Pokemon when I was I was too old for a Pokemon the entire time it existed. Basically, not maybe not when the first games came out. I was in ninth grade, but I really loved Pokemon. I have great memories of playing it, and I played all of them from. I played red, yellow, then I think I had silver, then what was it, ruby, and yeah, whatever, so on and so forth. And I played all the way through platinum, and I actually wrote several strategy guides, like big strategy guides for these games. But I plat- platinum is what broke me. I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. I was like, what the fuck am I doing over and over and over and over? And it's just at some point, there's just nothing appealing about it and to me. And I'm so I'm glad that they're doing different things. I always liked how they tried to do some different things. You had Pokemon Stadium, you had Pokemon Snap, you had right. Pokemon Pinball. Remember that one on you know, Game Boy Color? There's a bunch of things that they tried to do. But it's just to me that that IP is just devoid of any meaning to me anymore. It's just it's too big. There are too many. Cre- you can now start putting up these cute creatures and tell me like these are Pokemon. And I'm like, All right, I, I, I believe you. I don't remember any of the Pokemon after the first 200 of them or so. But yeah, I'm glad people are out there enjoying it. It's just. There's a there's an undeniable crack addiction type thing going on with Pokemon. You know, it, it there's just I get it. I get it. It combines everything that gets people collecting mm. and cuteness and accessibility and color. And I don't know. It just takes one whiff in your back. You got to be careful. One little. <laughs> some so. of those some of those designs are getting a little wild, though. Like, I mean. I don't know. I'm pretty. You could put like a, a vaguely animated Gary Coleman in a Pokemon game, and, and you'd you'd probably be convinced that it's like, yeah. It's, well, yeah. What else are they going to do? Cold, I mean, they're running out of things to do, or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're running out of things to do, and that's how we got things like the what was the well that was early on, Mister Jinx, the blackface one. Oh, that's not <laughs> Jinx. Oh wait, it, it is, is Jinx. Jinx. It is Jinx. Yeah, just totally. Yeah, like this. Jinx. This is totally just a man in blackface. Trudeau. Yeah. Don't act like we're not going to acknowledge that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right. We're banned from Spotify now. Yeah, whatever. What else are you playing? Uh, I'm playing the Uncharted Legacy of Thieves collection. I paid the Jim Ryan tax. He came knocking at my door. I, I handed him the $10 uh, begrudgingly. And then he said gamer time and ran away. So 
the this is a great upgrade. I again I'm not going to um celebrate this yeah exactly like that exactly wait hold on <laughs> this is how he holds his control yeah like that <laughs> i'm not going to celebrate the ten dollar upgrade but i will say that it is a very good upgrade if you i think there's a limited time that if you get the upgrade you get a free ticket to the uncharted movie oh nice which that was what i was like okay fuck it i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna go see this damn movie whether you know i like it or not so i might as well just get the upgrade and get the free ticket I have to shout out, of course, the uh, performance plus mode that the game runs at 120 frames per second. It is 1080p, but it still looks really good. And the it's just so smooth. I, I, I love seeing stuff like this. So it's a great upgrade. Uh, again, not supporting Sony's uh, nickel and diming. But if you're curious about the quality, it is very high. Last but not least. Dying Light 2. Mm. I've been playing this not uh, not as much as I would have liked. I think I'm maybe five-ish hours in approximately. And so I don't want to get into it too much just because there's a lot of reviews. Like I would recommend checking out Maddie's video um, and people that have played the game much longer than I have for uh, takes about if it's good or not. Specifically, I do want to address that the situation with bugs overall and that I have experienced even in the short window that I played the game pre day one patch uh, a few major bugs a few crashes stuff like that but this is a weird situation we're in with this game where the reviewers played it pre patch mostly and now the patch is out and so I don't know whether it's complete like if it's fixed in a better shape than it was uh when i was playing it earlier this week i don't i don't know so and it's also the other thing that just is so annoying and i'll just i know we have the the platform here to say it so if there's any publishers out there the tiered release of your reviews the the tiered embargo thing sucks stop doing it and it's it feels unfair to the the content creators when you're letting the big outlets go first and then some content creators, which arguably get more views than the big websites, go second. It sucks. So other than that, though, I, I am enjoying it. I'm curious what the hardcore Dying Light fans will say, because it is very, very RPG heavy. And I know that that's kind of a bit of a change up from the last one. But I'm I'm really curious, Colin, what, what you'll think about it overall. But I just... I don't know. I, I wanted to acknowledge that I've had some bugs, but there is a patch. So I don't really my hands are kind of up on whether or not that's going to be an issue for the people going out and playing it. Andrew Walsh wrote into us on Patreon. And he says, hello, gentlemen. My question is in regards to Dying Light 2 and how Techland sent out a version of the game kind of similar to how Sony sent out a version of Days Gone before the day one patch. Reports today said the day one patch for Dying Light 2 will fix over a thousand things. I'm puzzled on why they would do this with reviews coming in mixed, but lots saying the game is fantastic, but a buggy mess. Maybe this day one patch would have helped a lot, but those bugs and but those bugs and made reviews more positive. I'm sorry. I'm excited for the game, but why rush and get it now? Definitely going to wait for it to get cleaned up and grab it on sale. Keep on killing the gaming podcast scene. This podcast plus all the others you guys put out help make my 40 minute drive to work enjoyable. Thank you, Andrew, for writing in. So first of all, I have to acknowledge the reason that we even got early access to the game. Uh, at all was because head the 
the lead programmer over at Techland is a, a fan of the show and, you know, a friend of ours. So he offered and, and I actually was I, I emailed back and forth with him pretty often. And I at, at one point I was just like, you know, I, I saw the game won gold. Congratulations. And he's like, oh, we're we're going to get you on the list. And I told him, I was like, it's not necessary. It's not why I'm emailing. I'm just congratulating you. And nonetheless, I, I heard from a, a PR person at Techland. They sent over a bunch of code. So I just gave them to everyone in the, the company to do what they want with. I got the game, but I haven't had a chance to play it yet. Part of the reason why I, I kind of for for went to playing it was because I knew it was going to be broken. <laughs> and I don't know why we keep finding games in this position, but it's just the mathematics needs need to change in the sense that a game developer and a publisher, Techland one in the same in this case, but they they identify the date that they're going to hit. They're really going to hit this date. And then for some reason, they're like, we have to go gold now on this particular date. And then we know the game won't be done. But we're just going to cram in as much as we can under this patch. And I don't really understand it. Apart from getting the game out earlier and maybe making a little bit more money off the top, you're putting out a worse game that's going to be criticized over time. And isn't it worth the time to just take the extra couple of months and polish it so that the 1.0 version is the real version? I understand the argument from developers, and I hear from them often about how a game is never done and never complete. And I, I know that. But that doesn't mean that a game should go out in a state that if it was never connected to the Internet, as we said earlier, just hypothetically, it wouldn't really function. So when I saw this, I, I was hearing about this and they know that the game's not running well internally. I was like, well, I'll just wait. I'm. Um, I'll just, I'm not going to play it right now. If, if, the, if basically what's being told to me is that the game is just has catastrophic errors and it's still, and you know what I was, what I was reminded of is my old friend, Greg Miller, when Dead Island came out on PS3, I think this was in 2011, I want to say something like that, 2010 and mm -hmm. same company, Techland. And the game came out early and he played through it all and the trophies were broken and he didn't get the platinum trophy, even though he did everything in the game. And it just reminded me that, man, Techland kind of has a history of just really putting out. It's not it's not a new thing. It's not a modern thing based on expectations today. They just kind of don't put out the most polished things right away. And then it takes a little time to polish it. And it just makes me wonder, why couldn't you just polish it before you release it? If the date doesn't facilitate that, then move the date, but don't sacrifice the game. And I don't know how anyone in the AAA space to Andrew's position or Andrew's question can see what happened to Days Gone, a game that demonstrably got screwed by not being ready to be in the hands of critics. It is not a 71. I'm gonna, I know a lot of, some people disagree with that, including on this show, but I just, I just feel like, how can you look at that and then be like, we're going to do the same thing? You can't do it. You have to make sure. There was a time when Sony first-party games, for instance, were done sometimes really ahead of time. We had Killzone 2 at IGN like four months before it came out because they were just sitting on it and it was great. Everyone loved that game. So I don't know. I'm, I'm going on and on here, but I, yeah, I want to make one thing clear real quick, just because I saw some people saying this online is that I would not say this is a cyberpunk level situation uh, at all. In fact, yeah, stop I being racist found, to Polish people, everyone. It's not the same. <laughs> yeah, it's not that bad, but I did see instances of people losing saves many many hours into the game and that's, that's unacceptable that's unacceptable totally is it fixed in this patch i don't know but i think it's an important thing to keep in mind if you're investing your time into this game if you're picking it up today right uh friday keep that in mind and 
this is the the I think that Colin waiting is is the right choice. And obviously you want to support the games that you care about and the developers you care about at launch. But at the same time, it's like you could wait a couple weeks. Maybe there will be a sale and the game will be in a, a better you know, shape, which arguably you could say that about uh, a lot of games. But when you have a small slice of press, even it's let's say it's two or three hundred people that have access to the game right now. Maybe it's more. I don't really know. And you're seeing multiple instances of eating, getting saves, getting eaten. Dude, that would, try, that would yeah. that would I would never play a game if it, uh, that did that. If that if that happened to me, I'd be like, this game's done. I'm done with this game. There's, yeah, you can't let that happen in your right. game it's uh it is a sad state of affairs that that that, that is see the thing is like i i know colin you were talking about like uh, oh a game is never done and that's uh, that's true yeah you could always add on to like art in general is never really done like you could you could give like the final cut of a movie to an editor and they, they could work on that thing until they die uh but you know there is a point where a game is at least functioning as intended and i think that is the bare minimum that a game needs to be when it's when it's gold like you shouldn't have a game eating saves you shouldn't have a game like just completely crashing every every couple minutes you know there's there's a there's a an acceptable state where something isn't necessarily done but isn't broken and you know there there were plenty of games like even some of some of our favorite games from the PS1 PS2 generation arguably kind of broken games but they're not they but they 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 functioned as intended your saves didn't get eaten you know you could you could play it from start to finish and say oh that was a really good time sure like oh oh man my arm clips through the wall in this section for like a half second or whatever it's like that's we're not talking about that but like we're not we're i don't think we're demanding like inconceivable levels of polish here like i don't think the expectation that players have is unreasonable that a game functions as intended like that seems like such a bare minimum i to hit i and it's so confusing that games can't hit it what happened there's so much more money in it there's so many more people working on it how the hell are we backtracking on quality on release just delay the game until it's functioning as intended no one says it has to be absolutely perfect but it should function dude this is insane i agree I, i you asked what happened i think what happened is internet connectivity this is a way out and yeah. and publishers took it and we let them. And now it's baked in this idea. You couldn't release games like this in the PS2 era before that. You just couldn't. No. I mean, you, you could. could. People did. But you pay the price and there's nothing you could do about it at that point. It's not the cyberpunk situation where the game went gold and then basically went on gold, which is still one of my favorite things ever. That was I was like, what? It's it's like it's very similar to the reverse draw distance where I just think that's one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> but going gold used to mean this is the master disc. This is the, the disc to print. And now it just means this is what you should upload as the base model for on PSN. And then we'll just build on it constantly. And yeah, so something has changed. And I want to be clear to what I was saying, Dustin, I'm not going to wait any more than this weekend to play dying light too mm. but as one of the games to I, I now it's now it is as it's supposed to be for the consumer and i wanted to make it clear earlier that we, we it was just a happenstance that we got it early because we don't we don't talk to pr and we don't ask for games and have any of those relationships by rule 
But when we know people that work on games and care about them and want to check them out and they want us to check them out. And also there's a sacred symbols Easter egg in the game as well. We want to obviously, you know, we, we have the option, I guess, to play that early. But I was happy to forego that because, first of all, it fit within the parameters of how I like to play games. And it reminded me of the pressure of being under embargo and how I'm just so happy to not do it anymore. And I guess I'll, I'll take over here at this point because I've been playing the same two games that I was playing last week, even though I have Dying Light on my machine. I was like, I'm going to keep playing Mercenaries Rebirth because it's so good. And I love it. And I'm so surprised by how few people are playing and talking about this game. It's like I said, what Final Fantasy Tactics Advance was to Final Fantasy Tactics. And I think it's not as good as Fell Seal, which I think is just the just the uh, the triple A. It's not really triple A, but it's it's the A version of what we hope. We've never had a really triple A Final Fantasy Tactics, I guess. So it's about as good as it gets. But Mercenaries Rebirth is just a really fun turn-based strategy RPG. And then still playing Persona 4 Golden. And I had noticed noted this in Discord. I was up till 4 a.m. I actually missed a meeting, which is very rare for me. I'm, I'm really like buttoned up on that shit. I slept through what I was supposed to be on like a meeting because I stayed up till 4 in the morning playing Persona 4 Golden. But I had noted in our Discord that it wasn't because I wasn't necessarily that into it. I'm really just ready to be done with this game. It's just kind of overstaying now. And I couldn't imagine. I'm playing with a walkthrough. I couldn't imagine how much this game would demand of someone who didn't know what to do next. It's just, it's kind of reminding me of that, but it's very good. I hope to be done with it soon. Surf the Void wrote into us and said, hello, Colleen, Christina, and Dusty. I asked Colin for the P4G guide he's using, and I sent it to him. He says, thanks again, King. And I asked him who the best girl is. Like an absolute buffoon, he says, Rize, baffling. Dustin, please correct this great transgression and tell him the best girl is obviously Chie. No contest. How do you feel about that? Chie has the most annoying voice. To me, it's like, when I went to Northeastern and I lived in Boston, you'd meet a pretty girl, right? And at a party. And then she would be from East Massachusetts and she would have a mass accent. You're just like, no. Thank like I, I just <laughs> no matter how no matter how pretty you are, no matter how fun you are, I just can't get past the fact that you sound like you're in the bleachers of a Red Sox game and I can't do it. And with Chie, it's not the same accent, but it's a similar thing where I'm like, I like Chie, but I just can't get past the performance. It's just too much for me. It's too much. Surf the void. Stand down because Rise is the best girl. And that's all I'll say about that. I mean, I chose Chie because that's what the walkthrough told me to do because I'm following that walkthrough. But I Dan, went and beholden and, to the walkthrough to even the, the choice. Well, because because it matters waifu. later on certain things that happen in the walkthrough I, itself. I, I but Rise is clearly the, the, the best. I mean, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's fun. Okay. Pervert. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Let's get into the news. Big piece of news. Now, we did an episode of Sacred Symbols Plus about this. However, we didn't get to talk about it too deeply. There's new, there are new developments. And of course, Chris wasn't able to join us. And Chris, being Bungie mega fan, will have much to say here. So we'll throw it right over to him. But let me introduce the story to those that are not familiar. Number one. As you've no doubt heard, PlayStation has made a big splash on the mergers and acquisitions market. It has gobbled up developer Bungie for an astounding $3.6 billion. Bungie, once best known for its Halo franchise, which it created alongside and for Xbox, 
and its ongoing Destiny series will enter the PlayStation family parallel to the first-party structure rather than sorting underneath it. As such, Bungie will explicitly continue to both support Destiny 2 across all platforms and create new games in multiple pla- with multiple platforms in mind. To repeat, this is explicit in the language from both Sony and Bungie announcing the deal. Bungie will not be making first-party exclusives. Rather, it seems that there are two major reasons Sony wanted Bungie. For starters, Sony identifies itself as needing Bungie's help to achieve its online goals. Indeed, the company intends on investing in a staggering 10 first- and second-party games-as-a-service releases by the beginning of 2026, an almost unthinkable number that puts, re- puts second-party relationships with the likes of Haven, Firewalk, and others in perspective. The second reason, however, is likely more important and also less glamorous for PlayStation fans. Sony can leverage Sony Pictures to help Bungie achieve its long-coveted cross-media goals, not only with Destiny, but with future IP as well. This means movies, television shows, the works. Remember, Sony just made a billion dollars on a Spider-Man movie, which is six or seven times the budget of a modern AAA game. The deal itself seems questionable. Yahoo Finance reports word from well-known industry analyst Michael Pachter, who suggests the price tag was a substantial overpay for a studio that essentially owns one IP. However, sources tell this podcast that the motive and, and it's this podcast tell, tell this podcast that the motivation may have been talent oriented as well. Hiring in the AAA space in gaming is becoming increasingly difficult and increasingly expensive. Bungie exists, has a pipeline and tools that can help Sony skip ahead for better or for worse with their online ambitions. Meanwhile, sources like lawyer Rick Hogue suggest Sony may have painted themselves in a corner, giving Bungie everything a studio could possibly ask for and perhaps making the price to do business even more expensive and exorbitant as a result. This is, of course, a great point from Rick, and I want to get into that more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I won't say anything more. I want to get your just initial takes here. Uh, Chris, we we weren't able to talk to you on Sacred Symbols Plus. You're obviously a, a mega fan of Halo. You're a mega fan of Destiny. And so Bungie is an important studio to you. Mm-hmm. Seeing this under the PlayStation umbrella is not surprising. In fact, I kind of jokingly guessed that this was going to happen a couple of weeks ago. But it's important yeah. to note that they are not really a first party team. I want people to look at this very similar to the way Microsoft absorbed Mojang in the sense that they got Minecraft and Mojang, but it's going to be everywhere. And we're just kind of taking the money on the back end of this deal. And by the way, that deal was shrewd as hell. So tell me a little bit about how you feel about this. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I definitely had a lot of thoughts. I I, I felt uh, a little confused initially because just the price tags insane. Like the 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 um the sheer negotiation power that Bungie had to do this is must have it's crazy. Like they they got like a super saiyan negotiator over there. But I think you know I think in in some ways it makes a lot of sense. Bungie is a you know it, it's not the Bungie that it once was, but even modern day Bungie is is still like. Uh, a phenomenal force in, in in the industry as far as just being able to just hit deadlines and make good shit like consistently they they know what they're doing and and especially given the rumors of their next you know so-called hero shooter i think i think it's like rumor that it's matter i think it's wise to maybe get in bed with a studio like that who has so much history and so much knowledge on on not only on a genre that Sony has struggled with and for for a long while, but also in a in a in an ecosystem in the sense of live service and and, and multiplayer and, and community building IP that uh, that they can leverage now. I, I just um, man, I this was like a fever dream type thing because this was like this was almost like Microsoft is like, yeah, oh, we we have Crash now. It's like Sony's like, oh yeah. <laughs> I know it's obviously not a response. These these deals take a long, right. long time. Right. It's been reported that this deal is in the works for about six months. 
for sure. Yeah, there's there are people in the I've seen a lot of like a depressing amount of people online acting like this was like genuinely a response to the Microsoft Activision acquisition. And used that, shows, to, like, to borrow that language, I also saw a depressing amount of people being like PlayStation's got Halo now. And it's like, oh, my God, dude, it, <laughs> it just really goes yeah. to show you how fucking stupid a lot of people are that talk about video games. Like it's it's dude, just unbelievable to me. But nonetheless, I'm sorry. I'm feeling dude, snippy still, today. <laughs> I'm still like because sometimes I play split screen uh, Halo like infinite with like uh, roommates of mine or, or friends of mine. And they're like, man, Bungie has to fix this. And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh but no i I mean i think it's i think it's smart i think i think it's a lot of money um i think bungie's no no doubt they're happy with this i I heard also that there was like a one million dollar like per per staff like incentive to stay or whatever the hell like some some crazy some crazy part of this deal that's like everybody there's no doubt happy destiny gets to thrive get destiny gets to learn from you know other studios in the playstation parallel i think it's like really cool like i the thing that makes this acquisition a little bit less depressing for me uh than i i otherwise would have thought because playstation when they when they acquire a studio i mean typically they don't acquire studios like this but when they do acquire a studio that means you know everything's kind of off the table uh as far as multi-platform goes, like you, you buy Insomniac, you're not seeing Spider-Man on Xbox, you know, you're not seeing, you might see Spider-Man on PC now because that's their new kind of thing that they're doing, but that wasn't always guaranteed. And one of the, one of the biggest, in my opinion, one of the more favorable things about Microsoft acquiring all these different things is because we, we knew that these games would at least also come to PC as well. Um, Whereas opposed to if, if Sony had, had done similar things, they would stay. The fact that they've acquired them in in a multi-platform capacity is a lot less stressful um, because I I do think that Bungie would be really unwise to go, you know, exclusive. And I think it would have been a, a massive loss to the industry, like especially on, on the PC side. Like that would be so such a shame. And the fact that that's not happening is is, is great. I am I am not happy necessarily that consolidation continues to happen especially because Bungie has for a long time uh, for, for at least for a few years now existed as this one of the few independent studios left that actually kind of had their shit together uh in in some way um and I, I know they're still operating in some independent capacity which is like very confusing <laughs> to I, I don't know it doesn't make my thoughts sense. are all over the place on this yeah. it's, it's it's all very this is all very unprecedented especially for Sony so we'll just have to see how this shakes out. But I do think uh, they are both no doubt very happy with the with the talent that they find themselves a part of now. And I am sure that Sony will learn a lot about multi, uh, not not just about multi-platform, but a lot about live service stuff from Bungie for sure. They've been doing it for a very, very long time. Yep, they're open about that. They're open about this need to jump ahead it's one of, it was one of the things that we discussed on sacred symbols plus without you which was this this notion for the first time really the second time with sony because they did it with gaikai and it failed really with where they were like we gotta acquire something to fill in a space and help us and i don't know that it always works out but i don't want to be too predictable with what i'm going to say because obviously i'm totally negative on mergers and acquisitions i don't want any of these things to happen so people are tired of hearing about that i have some new things to present but before i do Dustin, I just wanted to throw it over to you. Do you have anything new that you wanted to add, maybe above and beyond what we already discussed on Sacred Symbols Plus? We obviously have a sequence of inquiries here from the audience that will allow us to, a big sequence of them to, that will allow us to explore yeah. this in many different ways. Colin, do you mind if I actually touch on one of these questions? Because it's very related to the the thought 
that I wanted to present, and that's from Joel Hernandez. Uh, he, he says, hey, CDC, I hope all is well with you. My question is, will single player games become a niche demographic in the near future or at the beginning of the next generation console? With the new report that Sony is looking to create at least 10 multiplayer live service games by 2026, are we in trouble on losing single player focused experiences? We have to be realistic with ourselves that the amount of money in, a, in single player games is limited and multiplayer games like Fortnite, Warzone and others are cash machines. Sorry for the doom and gloom, but it's not looking so good for us old folks. So this was the main thing that I've been thinking about recently is the the live service future of Sony. And I think that I feel a bit mixed in some ways. I'm with Joel that there are reasons to be concerned. But at the same time, I think we can pump the brakes a little bit about the doom and gloom specifically thinking about just that a lot of the games we already enjoy are already kind of live service games they're being updated they're adding new stuff all the time stuff like uh i guess maybe particularly we're not seeing this in the sony space which is why they want to do that but people love forza horizon that's Basically a live service game with online new stuff regularly. Halo is a live service game. One of Colin's favorite games from this past generation, uh, The Division 2. That's a live service game. And so, yeah, there, there may be some concerns about the future of multiplayer, but I wouldn't necessarily say that just because a game is a live service game doesn't mean that it's not going to appeal to the single player minded people because a lot of times they design these games that you know if you want to play through the game if you want to play by yourself or with a friend uh that's fine you can you can do that but they want to make it open for uh the game to go on it just when you have these games that are so big and so expensive it makes sense from a business perspective to make them uh modifiable to add on to them to continue the revenue stream since of that huge initial investment into the game there is obviously lots of risks with this in fact right now we're seeing battlefield 2042 we're going to talk about that game later just completely uh crumble under this but i just wanted to pump the brakes a little bit that that a live service game doesn't necessarily mean free to play fortnite and warzone I think yeah. actually, for example, uh, GT seven, GT seven is a live service game. As far as I'm concerned, it has extensive online. It has new things coming and has events, stuff like that. Maybe it's not what we would traditionally say a live service game, but it certainly has live service elements. So keep that in mind. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Fair enough. I think uh, that's a good That's a good I I do want to pump the brakes on that, too, because I also think just the sheer, you know, the profitability of live service games doesn't necessarily just go back into the live service. Like you could you could make a pretty good argument that these live service games that have like limitless profit potential could act as a good method of funding for these single player experiences that we all really we really really gravitate to. And, And the fact that. I don't think you're ever going to see a, a reality where single player games just go away in favor of live service because I think single player games are still the, especially for PlayStation, it, it's the main draw to the machine. 
that's how they hook you to the machine and then like when you're hooked in the machine because of the single player games then it's when you okay then you delve into the live service then you delve into multiplayer and then sony's making money on on your you know microtransactions and your and your in-game purchases and all that but you still need that hook to grab you and if you don't have a hook uh grabbing you to a specific console you know a big kind of problem with live services is that you know, to really be profitable and like really crazy profitable to the, to the degree that like Fortnite is, they have to be widely available. They have to be multi-platform, you know? So even if you make something that's like live service, you know, you need something to pull you into the ecosystem that you would benefit most from having that live service a part of, you know? Like we're going to draw a lot of people into PlayStation with God of War, with Horizon, and then they're going to spend a boatload of money on Fortnite because they're here because of those other games. And, you know, there's, there's a whole strategy here. I do also want to say that no doubt one of these 10 live service games is Factions. Yeah, definitely. You know? We'll talk about yeah. that because uh, <clears throat> someone wrote in about Factions. A lot of people wanted to write a talk about Factions this week. So we'll yeah. definitely get to that. No, 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 no doubt about it. And I think you both make great points. I, Gran Turismo is a live service game. If something like Street Fighter VI comes, that'll be a live service game technically. You know, th- so I I feel that I, I wonder how they're defining it. We don't really know. But the two things that I wanted to introduce to this conversation. We'll talk about choice in a second, which is something I've discussed a lot in the M&A kind of ecosystem that we're now dwelling in. But I wanted to re- reaffirm this idea of culture and organics. When I read this Nintendo, the following Nintendo quote from Shintaro Furukawa, who's the president of Nintendo. I felt so justified in what I've been saying for weeks and just was laughing inside at all the people that are like, it doesn't matter. And there's no, there's no such thing as culture. It's money. And we root for companies. Here's what he said. Quote, our brand was built upon products crafted with dedication by our employees and having a large number of people who don't possess Nintendo DNA in our group would not be a plus. End quote. And so, and went on to say that Nintendo will not be acquiring anything. So this kind of dovetails with this idea of choice, but I wanted to bring up this idea of culture again. Nintendo, first party and second party, but the production of Nintendo is no doubt the most well-respected output of video games in the entire history of the industry. Their president at a time of mergers and acquisitions, reaffirms my theory that culture is everything to making games. And again says, quote, our brand was built upon products crafted with dedication by our employees. And having a large number of people who don't possess Nintendo DNA in our group would not be a plus, end quote. This is the argument I've been making for how Sony has been, until this point, acquiring studios by making sure that PlayStation DNA is in Bluepoint and Housemark and Sucker Punch and whatever going all the way back to the first acquisitions. And I feel like the Bungie acquisition doesn't comport to this. It's confusing. And this goes into my second point about choice. Participation in the arms race is a choice. Every acquisition that is made or not made is a choice in and of itself. Nintendo is choosing not to participate. Nintendo is the most respected maker of games in the world. Nintendo is a video game company first. Microsoft is a video game company sixth, seventh. PlayStation's a video, uh, Sony's a video game company, maybe first or second, but Sony is a bigger brand than this. 
the guys who make games only are saying we don't want to participate. I think that's like a big thing that no one's paying attention to. They're like, we don't want to do this at all. We have no interest in doing this. We have no need to do this. We develop things ourselves slowly and intentionally. And rooting for consolidation and rooting for corporations, as a lot of people are doing, isn't also of itself a choice. And I want to just point out when everyone says that it's inevitable, at least it wasn't 10 cent. Well, maybe the most respected player is saying we were just going to sit on the sidelines and let you guys gobble all of this stuff up. And so when I saw that, that made me question the wisdom of what's happening full stop. Now, the questions that I'm about to read will allow us to get into more of why I think maybe this acquisition happened and why maybe we're not even looking at it through the right lens. And Elijah Miller kind of gets into this. He says, hey, fuck buddies. The letter from Pete Parsons, the CEO of Bungie, detailing the deal with PlayStation highlighted numerous times that PlayStation brings them the possibility of, quote, building a multimedia empire, end quote. Ignoring how cringy that sounds, do you all think is something PlayStation and Sony can weigh when making these acquisitions, possibly starting as part of the deal? We can make an MCU-like intertwined media universe with Sony Pictures. I think, unfortunately for PlayStation fans, that might have been looking for something out of Bungie, although I'm glad that Bungie was purchased and just kept for everyone. I think that that was actually intentional too, and we'll talk about that. My thought here, and I'll throw it back to you, Chris, is this is more important than the PlayStation part of the deal. Sony wanted Bungie for Sony Pictures first and PlayStation yeah. second. And mm -hmm. that's why they came right out and said, no, 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 exclusive, no exclusives, no exclusives, no exclusives now, no exclusives ever. I mean, they basically said it. Anyone who's trying to parse the words, I think, are too used to reading Phil Spencer's fucking gobbledygook, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's it's yeah. they're too used to being like, well, I got to read what where Sagittarius is in the sky and then pull out some cards and <laughs> I got to talk to my neighbor and flip a coin. And then that's what Phil Spencer and, and that's but here yeah, they're no, very it's, clear. It's very clear, which which says to me that, yeah, the, the, the primary motivation, the motivating factor behind this is is multimedia. They're definitely trying to make a big push if they're going to make an Uncharted movie. That tells you all that all you need to know about how seriously they're taking, you know, just this push into multimedia. And if I think they understand, it's actually a, a pretty shrewd move on Sony's part just to, to kind of identify the potential of Destiny as a as a as, as a series that exists beyond video games. Like, I, I really do think it's it's a massive round in the chamber as far as this goes because destiny is great like it, it is genuinely like some of the best science fiction fantasy shit that you'll you'll probably see ever like it, it is genuinely fan freaking tastic and the fact that they have that the, just the essentially the rights to that it's pretty huge um i don't know how again i, I don't know how important necessarily uh you know television and, and, and movies are in the grand scheme of things i don't consider them that important but if sony if sony believes that to be like kind of this next level thing about in this industry then it would make it makes perfect sense that they would go after something like destiny that's very very malleable and very 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 um i don't even, I don't even know what the word is just uh there's a lot it's a of very flexible IP. There's like a lot you can do with it. I was gonna say potential, right? Like, yeah, because isn't that why they got into bed with with NetEase to begin with? Didn't NetEase inject? By the way, NetEase is out now, which is good. 
NetEase, mm-hmm, yeah. of course, walked away with probably a hundred, couple hundred million dollars in profit from the deal. But that was originally, I think, why NetEase got involved was to try to help them broaden. And I don't think it worked. And Sony Pictures just has, they're one of the five companies that makes movies, basically. So they're really yeah. powerful. And they have infrastructure. Right. Because I was reading and I didn't realize it was like this, Dustin, but Bungie's gross revenue is something like $250 million a year. They just paid like 15 times more, 16, 17 times more for them than their annual revenue. Now, that's not necessarily unheard of, but typically you multiply gross or maybe it's multiply net revenue times two. And I think that that's the valuation of a company. So to Michael Pactor's point, there was an overpay here, but I don't think that people are really looking at it through the light right lens if they think that this has mostly to do with PlayStation because I don't I just don't think it does. I don't think that even if they bought even if they bought Bungie and put Destiny 2 exclusively on PlayStation and their new IP, it's a way oh, it's a huge overpay if they weren't looking at it from a bigger point of view. And that's why I brought up Spider-Man, because that movie made a hundred or I'm sorry, a billion dollars, a billion dollars that and that's what Sony is looking at, I think. Definitely. I think that it goes beyond too. a lot of people are looking at the this as being a, a Destiny 2 purchase and not thinking about the other IP. I mean, obviously, what Chris said, like Destiny is, is huge and it's so it's it's brimming with potential. But something that you and I, Colin, got into during our uh, Sacred Symbols Plus episode is just the idea or the possibilities of whatever else Bungie is doing and the main point that I made was that Bungie was a major player in esports before esports really was big and we see Sony making moves into esports buying Evo stuff like that and there's Chris probably knows about this more than I but I saw that there's rumors about Halo or Halo Bungie's next uh, IP be or their next game being either like a hero shooter or very competitive focused. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so, matter. yeah, there's so many different angles with that. So many angles with uh, Sony pictures. And I think something else that uh, is just to bring up is what Chris said about talent being just incredibly uh, harder and harder to come by and incredibly expensive as well. So, I don't know, though, the this is just an area that I personally am not as familiar with. I'm like, did they it sounds like they overpaid by how much that's, I guess, the question. And you also have to factor in that the the current market for these things and how uh, the Bethesda purchase, the Zanga purchase, stuff like that just kind of really skyrocketed these things. Well, Mm -hmm. I want to. We'll get to the uh, <laughs> the money situation because I want to talk more about that because there is an important point about that, especially because I think more than a billion dollars of it is specifically for retention, which is right. absolutely nuts. So yeah. and I think shows maybe the fear in what they're doing. And I just want to reiterate before I read the next question that <laughs> the and I think Hogue is the one who kind of reiterates this in, in his content is what else could have Bungie possibly gotten from this deal? And if you are looking at it through the eyes of others in the family, you're like, what the fuck is that all about? They get to do whatever they want. We get to make PlayStation exclusives. They get to do cross media stuff. We get relegated to these little silos. It's going to be an interesting thing. And I think the money is even going to complicate that more. But we'll get to that. Frank Abar wrote into us and said, hey, Slitterhead Schluters, I may be going out on a limb here, but I want your opinion. 
Do you think Sony claiming Bungie to remain multi-platform is their way of playing nice with Microsoft? Keeping Destiny on Xbox to keep them from taking Call of Duty off PlayStation. Let me know if I'm right or if this is just a crazy conspiracy. I personally, and I see you shaking your head no, Chris, I believe that there that that is not the linear connection. I do believe that Sony looks at this as saying, like, we have something now that you want. And mm we have a company whose output you're going to want. And we're being explicit about what we want to do with it, but understand we control it. And if you start fucking around, then we'll start fucking around too. And I do, I do believe that there is a piece of it there that that's with that. I think that it's, I wrote my notes here. It sets a new cadence. It's right. the, it's they're saying because a lot of people were coming out erroneously saying if Sony ever made a purchase like Bethesda or a purchase like blah, 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 they would put it, they'd keep it. They made a purchase half as big as Bethesda and then they put it on everything. So what I think that they're trying to do, I don't know if that was always the intention. I think there's two points to that. I think number one, I don't think Bungie would have sold if that wasn't allowed. I, I think yeah. if they, if, if, and if they did, I think they would have, the price would have been even higher than that. And I don't think it would have, I think Sony realized, I think all parties realized that that would have just hurt destiny, hurt Bungie, and maybe even just made the entire investment worthless. So that's number one. But number two, I think that they go and say, like, we did the exact opposite that everyone thought we were going to do. And we hope that maybe this poisons the well a little bit so that when you go and make your next deal, you consider what we've done. Because when company X is, for, you know, when Microsoft goes and says we bought EA and it's going to be exclusive to Game Pass, people are going to be like, well, now we have clear evidence that your competitor will not do that or isn't planning on doing that. Now, maybe if they buy Capcom or Square Enix or something, they do. But I do think, Chris, that there may be it's like a bullet in the chamber. I don't know that they were intending on shooting it, though, and I don't think it had anything to do with Call of Duty specifically because they couldn't anticipate that deal was going to happen. Right. Well, that's that's my main that was my main reason <laughs> for saying that. I don't think that's the reason um, they couldn't have anticipated this. I also just don't I also just don't think that Destiny 2 to Call of Duty is, a, is a, even remotely equivalent. Like, I mean, you know, Destiny 2 is, I think, a better game, but there's no question that Call of Duty is like infinitely bigger than Destiny destiny to like without a shadow of a doubt so i i don't know if that was if that really was the intention it would it would have been a questionable intention I, I i also don't necessarily know how confident i am in sony's ability to really read pr in that way you know like what you're saying makes sense to to us but i don't know like you have to question like who at sony is in these meetings and how aware they are of public perception if they're willing to do you know, things like, hey, here's a $10 upgrade fee for your fucking game that you shouldn't have to pay. But like, fuck, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it, totally, just seems, totally. it seems a bit it seems a bit too wise for them, like, which, you know, that's insulting. But I mean, it's true. I uh, I do think it's it's probably an aspect of it. I do think there are probably there's probably an element of like, yeah, well, we'll look, we can we can play nice. And, and we do have something that I think it has more to do with Bungie's history I think it has more to do with like hey look we have we have this thing that arguably made you even remotely viable in this entire space and just so you know we have that I don't think it has really much to do with destiny too so much as it is like a a cultural thing because I think that's kind of how they look at it a little bit more but there's no doubt that uh this is going to make it a lot harder for Microsoft to respond to acquire something in the future and argue that it should remain exclusive to their platforms because they, that's, it's a good, it's a good move on that part. Well, but I also don't know if Microsoft cares that much. It's, you know? that's a good point. Like 
what do they care about? Is it interesting to them? Do they realize that it would be suicidal? It's almost like, go ahead and shoot yourself. Like put the gun to your own head. Take take destiny off of Xbox. Like you're going to start ruining the whole zeitgeist of the, of the game, right? By removing it from these platforms. And I think that maybe they realize that, but I would also argue that the bullishness about Microsoft taking Call of Duty off the platforms, I think, is equally erroneous. Like, I, I just don't think that's well, no, going to happen. Well, no, for sure. You know? For sure. But yeah, but that's why I don't think that's going to happen. Right. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I understand. I, I, I think you're right. And I think I like your point about them saying, like, we have your old crown jewel that didn't want to be with you anymore. And there is something weird. I was talking about it on Discord with our listeners. Like, there is something interesting at Bungie that I think Sony wants to tap into, which which is this feeling, I think, of inevitability for some somehow Bungie extracted itself from Microsoft's first party at the top of its IP like when the IP was probably biggest went to the biggest publisher in the world made an IP and a 10-year contract with them right somehow got out of the contract five years early with the IP and then went independent and I think Sony just looks at that too and is like well what the hell is this I mean this is this is interesting. You're an interesting company. I, there's no doubt about that aspect of it as well. So I like I like the idea of that from an optics standpoint. But, Are they also the only yep. studio that's ever been acquired by Microsoft and Sony? Right, that's true. They're the only studio that's ever been owned by two first parties ever. You know, like uh, other than Rare. So yeah, uh, Rare mm-hmm. was the first one. So it's it's a very rare thing to happen. And I I don't know. I I, I just look at it and it seems. There's a desperation to it in some way, too. Like, yeah, whatever. Three, we'll give you everything you want. Like, and it, there's no, there's no benefit for us apart from this, this, I guess, kind of osmosis that they hope is going to happen, right? When they mm-hmm. integrate the teams together in some way. I don't know. But I wanted to acknowledge that, Frank, yes, I do think that, that there is a point to it with that as well. Now, we brought up factions earlier, and Dylan Tucker and many others wrote in, but Dylan says, Hello, Chris and the two others. What are the chances that Factions has turned into a live service game and their reference to wanting to get it right from the start with Bungie's help is directly related to it? I would think Sony would be willing to spend any amount of money to make sure that their flagship studio has all the tools to continue to knock it out of the park from the start. Plus, with no announcement or release date at all yet, they have plenty of time to work out those details with Bungie. I don't... For me, this connection is not obvious, and yet many, 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 many people are making it. So I, 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 it's worth connect. It's worth talking about. I think because the only game we hypothetically know about from first or second party right now that's multiplayer yes. is factions, and that's yeah. crazy. Especially because they're saying, "Well, more are coming, many more," and we know they're going to come from Firewalk, and we know they're going to come from uh, Deviation Amen. and all these other places. But Chris, what's your take on this idea that factions is somehow to benefit from this acquisition first? I just don't understand this argument because yeah. they're not the same. And and le- I do think Factions is going to be a standalone big product. It could be a full price product, but I don't know that. It, I don't know. It, I don't know. What do I, you think? I, I would say Factions is probably far too far along now to really benefit from this. I I, I think this is and also Naughty Dog is a, is a, is a very competent studio. They're, they're probably they, they can handle it. I'm sure uh, even if this is a, a an area in which they don't normally play. I think this deal is more to help everybody else, like the studios that don't necessarily that aren't the top dogs of Sony's uh, of Sony's uh, entourage, you know, like uh, especially the new ones like, you know, like Firewalk and Haven. It's like you're definitely going to if you have access to Bungie talent to 
to assist in those tasks, then you're going to use it like without a shadow of a doubt. They know what they're doing. They've done it for a very, very long time. They kind of arguably pioneered a lot of this stuff. So, you know, I, I could I could see everything else benefiting. But factions, I believe, is far enough along at this point. I would hope so anyway, that anything that they could hope to glean out of this probably wouldn't really alter the trajectory of of factions too much. I would also say that the question says, what, what are the odds that, um, what are the chances that Factions has become a live service game? Factions was always going to be a live service game. Like, I, there's no doubt in my mind that, like, if you're going to make a standalone multiplayer, like, the, the second it was spun off of the original game, that was, that was the moment that it was like, okay, this is a live service. Because there's no way that you make a standalone, you know, Last of Us multiplayer mode in the time that The Last of Us 2 came out and not have understood that this game was going to be a live service game like every other multiplayer game is basically. So I don't think it, I don't think it changed into anything, but I would, I would, I would be surprised if factions is, is so, is still so early in development that they could stand much to offer from Bungie's acquisition of Sony, especially because it's so recent and it's going to take a little bit of time getting this organized. Like I, I just don't see it being fulfilled in factions fair enough or whatever or whatever factions is called yeah just assuming it's called factions yeah i don't know what thing i would be very interested to see what they're gonna end up calling it uh dustin do you think that also my concern similar to what we were talking about here with chris this idea of culture and cultural impact and the ability to kind of say like we're missing it's kind of like a, a team like a football team going out onto the market and saying we need a running back and we we're signing a running back and the running back comes in and, 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 and the running back either fits or doesn't, but it's not a guarantee that going and signing a running back is going to fulfill the goal of the team, even if that's what you feel you need. And I guess what I'm saying is it's unusual for Sony to openly go out and say, we we're missing this key component of fundamental game design that is becoming increasingly vital to our money and we don't know how to do it. And we're going to kind of skip ahead. And so when I see people talk about integrating it with factions that makes me nervous because what does that even look like i i, I we, we don't even know what sony's activities in the space would really look like outside of very very rare occurrences like kill strain and these other like half-assed that you know drawn to death which wasn't half-assed but just kind of ill marketed where they tried but there's been no effort in this space maybe some second party efforts with uh some of the ilphonic games but what do you think yeah for- I the only way that I could see Bungie being involved with factions is just on a consultation level. You know, maybe Naughty Dog presents their roadmap or something like that or you know, presents what they have and and Bungie people at Bungie whatever leadership or whatever there can say, "Well, looking at this point here, uh, in our experience, this is how communities reacted when we did this. So you might want to keep that in mind. Or instead of announcing it or saying this this way, maybe you should do this instead. I could see that making sense. And this is something that Bungie is has gotten much, much better at from having a lot of experience since... 2014 with the original destiny uh something and i mean they kind of 
I don't want to say crash and burned initially when Destiny 1 came out, but a lot of us remember that launch was not so rosy. Yeah. So they've had years and years of, of experience of not only making a live service game, but learning how to interact uh, with their community. I think that that's one of probably the most essential parts of these live service games is being willing to learn from what other live service games have done. Look at, I mean, not to rip on Anthem again, once again on this podcast, but <laughs> that game was made in a bubble and it's obvious and they completely fucked it up because of it. And you got to imagine that Sony thinks, hmm, we're making our own live service games. Why not? Let's let's make sure we don't make it in a bubble and learn from somebody. Maybe not necessarily have them co-develop or anything, but take advice from a team that's been there and, and done it. And it's not necessarily perfect, but definitely better than many of the other live service games out there. Yeah. They've made them. They've made all the mistakes. Yeah. yeah. That's fair enough. And they've, they've definitely said that. And I think that that's part of what I wanted to bring up too here before I read the next question, which is rumor. Rumor is from multiple sources that 1.2 million, a billion, I'm sorry, 1.2 billion of the 3.6 billion is specifically to maintain the worker force, the workforce at, uh, at Bungie. Now, I'm a little confused by this because this isn't unusual. I'm not entirely sure why this is being reported. I think that there is this assumption that when you buy a company, you go and give the owners the, the money and then you're like, all right, everyone can leave. Sometimes that happens because they want you to leave. But if it's a talented, a talent oriented company, like, for instance, when Sony went and bought Insomniac, it probably went something like this. For Ted Price, the leadership, the board, and for like all of the heads of the different departments and maybe verticals like the disciplines. We're going to you're each going to become millionaires now multi-millionaires but it's going to be vested over five or seven or ten years and you'll get it over that time this keeps you here that's part of the deal right and so that stops you from buying bungee for instance and then everyone just leaves and creates bungee too right and that what would stop them from doing that so i'm a little confused about why this is being reported but it is a lot of money and it goes into original reporting that i can talk about more here in which i've been talking to developers saying it's just becoming very difficult to hire talent in the AAA space. And he was saying that there are people getting offered two and three times more money, like literally, than they're being ma they're making right now. Say they're at Ubisoft and they're going to go to Sony or whatever. They're like, we'll double your pay to come do what you do here. You can stay exactly where you are. You can work four days a week. You get all of these bonuses, blah, blah, blah. I think part of the reason Sony went in here as well, aggressively buying Bungie and then spending this much money on talent is because they want the talent. Because that allows them to keep everyone together and so many people are spreading to the wind and it's really injuring game development. And that is part of the reason why games are struggling to come out. It's not only COVID. It's not only work from home and being separated. It's that there is a lot of workers are in, an, in the driver's seat in many verticals right now and many enterprises like we've never seen. And we see that all over the place. I, I'm doing all sorts of building things around my house. Part of the reason why part of the reason why I'm having problems with pool and problems with this and that is because there's labor issues that one of the builders I'm working with says like something like he got three of his 14 people back after COVID three of his 14 people. Right. And so there's just and these are artisans, craftsmen. So anyway, I'm going on and on, but I wanted to point that out that I think that might have something to do with it, too, that mm. it allows them to just have this team of like a thousand people or something like that. And 
or maybe not, maybe not that many, maybe it'll become that big. And they can just gather them all, give them all money. A lot of very wealthy people now there, and they're going to be very happy that Sony made them that way. So, and there's a big difference, by the way, between $1.2 billion in compensation is six times their annual revenue. It's a lot of money to them, even if they are millionaires already, even if P. Parsons is a millionaire, of course he is. But now P. Parsons has maybe $100 million, and that's going to be a big difference. You know, P. Parsons' yeah. life. Okay, let's see. I have this question here. Xtian, I don't know how to say your name, but that's how it's written. It says, hey, CDC, do you think the acquisition of Bungie is actually a defensive move to prevent Microsoft from taking away another multi-platform title from PlayStation? And if not, do you think this is a strategy that Sony considers for future acquisitions? It seems strange that they would agree to an acquisition deal like this where Bungie is still independent. What message does this send to other PS studios? Is Bungie the White Ranger in Power Rangers? He's part of the team, but still independent. Dustin, I want to go to you on this one first. I think that this is a legitimate ask and something that I'm not really seeing a lot of people bring up. The rosiness of this deal is something to behold. And if you are at an internal team that can't even put your game on Xbox, don't even think about it. And then you see these guys come in and they're like, well, they're Bungie's great, but they're better than us at Naughty Dog. They're better than us at Sucker Punch or Sony Santa Monica. It's, it's a little weird. I'm going to kind of keep my ear to the ground to see if any of those rumblings happen. But we have to understand that the reason PC games came to begin with is because the developers asked for it. And I wonder if this might be the opening of the door of, of saying the exact opposite has almost happened where Bungie has now brought this reality in which maybe PlayStation games come to Xbox because why wouldn't they? I mean, I don't know. What do you think about this argument? So something important to bring up sorry i'm trying to bring up the exact quote because i thought it was really interesting it's in one of these interviews with jim ryan uh let's see i have it from oh when he says he's gonna buy more no he said we are starting to go multi-platform you've seen that so and he says we have an aggressive roadmap with live services and stuff like that so i i don't know that when he says something like that it it makes me wonder if we're going to see other Sony first party games be multi-platform on Xbox, some of these live service games. So maybe Bungie's opening the door for that. I don't know. But when you have your president on an, in an interview with gamesindustry.biz, say we are starting to go multi-platform as a general statement. I think that that's not something to just brush over as, oh, just just Destiny and PlayStation and PC. I think that that means potentially other things as well. And it's important to bring up that a lot of these live service games, one of their biggest strengths is that they're the ability to play them anywhere. Uh, Something like, well, not anymore, but I was going to say Fortnite, which you could even play on a phone, which you can still play on Android phones, but not... um, iPhones, but you know, it's uh, there's that's a, a really important aspect of it. So, I don't know. Do you think I'm onto something here, Colin, with this this idea of maybe we're gonna see some some first party games? I'm not saying like every first party game now is like a multi platform game. I think that there's there's stuff that's gonna remain exclusive that you know the high quality single player experiences that we talk about. I don't think that that's fading away, but. When you see a company go out and say we have 10 uh, live service games coming out uh, over the next five years or whatever, 
and they also say we're going multi-platform you gotta wonder mm-hmm. yeah it it you do have to wonder and by the way you say is it possible i think i think if the last six months to a year is shown maybe let's even go back to 2019 when the Bethesda deal first broke i think anything's possible i really do i I, I think anything is possible i think bungie's influence within sony could be formidable we don't really know how it's going to turn out I think the one important thing that people have to understand from a development standpoint is, and I know this just as an owner of a developer, I'm a PlayStation fan, but our games are going everywhere unless other unless someone's paying for them as exclusives. And when you're a developer and you realize that your bonuses are contingent on how many games you're selling and how many people you're reaching, it's a reasonable question to say if you're at Sucker Punch, why are we being asked to make Ghost of Tsushima for PlayStation limiting our reach and the amount of money we can make when our the studio across the street from us, basically, which they are in in uh, the seattle suburbs is allowed to make and reach all these other people and have a much higher ceiling than us it's just not really fair i think that this can set off something within sony that's interesting i think it'll take time and i think you're right that some of these live service games will be inherently multi-platform i don't think you're going to see the last of us or god of war or spider-man or anything like that on xbox right. but i do think you're going to see something like socom i wouldn't be surprised yeah, if, that's what i, I wouldn't say, be surprised socom if on xbox. Zone or something like that was on everything i don't know i don't know dude dude I, I wouldn't be surprised i wouldn't be surprised to see factions even even possibly make this show because again we're living in such an unprecedented moment in, in this in this industry where a lot of these things that we would have thought were like really really pie in the sky ideas are just like oh yeah sure why not sony has bungie now what <laughs> and they're multi-platform excuse me like it, it's it, it stands to reason that anything that is going to be a live service game uh sony is going to want that to be as ubiquitous and convenient to access as possible uh, because that is the biggest boon for live service games you have a live service game that's like stranded on a single platform it's not going to that's not going to be the big thing you want it to be it needs to be on pc it needs to be on playstation if you can get it it needs to be on mobile it needs to be on you know if you if you can there's a reason why halo infinite hit 20 million players and it's not because it was on xbox it's because it's also on pc it's because the barrier to entry is so insanely low with Game Pass and the free-to-play multiplayer. That being on two platforms was massive for it. And I think, I think Sony is wise enough to know, even if they don't have a live service of their own, they're wise enough to know what makes a live service tick and what makes a live service explode and it's and it's why i think this acquisition of bungie makes a great deal of sense for them it's well because it, yeah you're well it's also why yeah. they know that 25 percent of their money is now coming from games as a service yeah so even though spider-man sells 20 million copies which is extraordinary yeah there are still all of these people playing genshin impact many more people playing that elder scrolls mm-hmm. online and Fortnite, and yeah final fantasy 14 and I mean, I see I look through my friends list every once in a while. I have 2000 friends. I can't I don't even know any of these people, but I, I try to see what they what they're playing. And it's like always the same shit. It's very rare to see anyone playing what I'm playing. And that's fine. <laughs> I mean, that's but that's the normal gamer. Now, I want to bring up this next question. I'm actually gonna bring up two at the same time because they bounce off of each other. Easel Games wrote in and said, really wish we could put what company should they buy next questions on hold for a few weeks? It's getting old. And the discussion is already brought up this week just by virtue of what Sony has already done. But then Ari Levi wrote in and said, slid aheads. Let's cut to the chase. And he didn't do the hard R there, which I appreciate. Nice. The consolidation war may not be the one that we want, but it's the one we're getting. What studio publisher or what studio or publisher do you anticipate Sony to acquire next from Softsquare and Xquanic? Dare I say CD Projekt? 
would love to hear what you guys think. So Easel, to your point, I personally agree. I think it's a little bit trite, but the audience wrote in a great deal about this and we'd be foolish to ignore this question because I want to do what you guys want. You're not always right, but you're right often. So Ari, to your question, what should they buy next? Again, my answer is they should buy nothing. What do I think they will buy? I said today uh, in our Discord channel that I believe now it is entirely likely that PlayStation will buy Square Enix or Capcom and that that will happen this year. I don't think both, but I think one or the other. I would argue Capcom is more obvious and probably cheaper. But Square Enix has tendrils everywhere and would be, I think, more consequential because Capcom Capcom has some first and or some second party relationships. Like, for instance, Dead Rising, right, was really Xbox affiliated. And it didn't have to be. It just was. Tomb Raider from Square Enix, though, was an example out of the other side. But Square Enix has these connections with Nintendo, these connections with Microsoft, these connections with Sony, the stuff going on on Steam. It's going to be way more complicated to broach that. And I don't know. So my personal answer from that perspective is on the big level, I wouldn't be surprised to wake up one day and find that they took Capcom or they took Square Enix on the smaller end, Quantic Dream. I just think that came and went. I think that that was obviously going to happen. I think it would probably would have happened. I think that that relationship was bad. FromSoft, Dustin, you made a, a compelling case, as I recall, about them. And that's interesting. But what did they have to gain from that? And then right. CD Projekt, I just think, is injured. If you want to play the, the game where you're like, yeah, let's get CD Projekt now. We'll own The Witcher. We'll own Cyberpunk. We can have all this stuff. And they're probably going to be cheaper than they were. They certainly are. They lost a bunch of market cap. Maybe you do the sly thing, but it's like, why would you want to be associated with CD Projekt? No offense, but why? And this is why I think people are saying, like, just buy anything. I'm like, but CD Projekt, they're not, they don't even have a good reputation anymore. Why would you want them? They don't fit. So I don't know. I think anything's possible. Chris, what's your gut tell you about the next acquisition? Since inevitably, I think Ari is right that this will happen. I think it will be a, a major publisher. I think my, my gut is telling me that it's probably good. I think you're right on... Uh... The idea of like Square Enix or Capcom, I, I I would I would think Capcom is probably next on the table just because they they have a good reputation and they're also probably, again, on the cheaper side. And they have I, a good I relationship with Sony going back. To, I mean, going back a long ways, but most recently Street Fighter people bring up. I mean, Sony's Street Fighter exclusivity basically killed fighting game community on Xbox. Yeah. And um, of course, they have a good relationship with Arc System and others, but also Resident Evil 7 was on PSVR. They have these other things going, so maybe those connections exist. And it would be interesting to see Sony have control of Resident Evil, yeah. Mega Man, which would be Hello. bonkers, and the others. But yeah. I just think that if they, I think people should check themselves because I think if they buy Capcom, they're going to be like, we're not doing anything to the to the exclusivity of the company. And I think a lot of this stuff might be Chris to say we have to start. If anything, we need to be defensive to say like, if we're going to, if you think you're going to get these games on Game Pass, think again. But they're going to be on your platform, right? And I think that's right. kind of going to be the move. But anyway, do you think uh, a developer like a, a, some people throw up Remedy or IO or others? But I just think people are putting out names. I don't think any of these really make any sense. You know? Yeah, I, I Remedy is weird because Remedy is one of those few where I like if I were Xbox, I would have acquired them ages ago just because I feel like that makes sense. Like they, they, they fit in the Xbox ecosystem a lot more than Activision Blizzard does, you know, so that's a weird one. I, I don't I can't think of any developer right now that I would be 
eyeing necessarily. Like, I, I guess if I, if I, if it were me and I was in charge and I had money to spend and I saw that there was an acquisition war, I would probably go after something like IO. But I think, uh, I think they're happy being independent. <laughs> Yeah, they're doing a James Bond game. I, I think I think Remedy Remedy's interesting, but I think people have to understand that if that deal ever happened with anyone, it just comes with all of these strings. They have so many publishing partners. You have to get out of all of these projects before you even get anything from them. And yeah. I just think that they've put themselves in a position where they're almost unbuyable. I would I would argue FromSoft would be an interesting acquisition target, but and I think that maybe if you looked at developers, that might be the only one that really made any sense. If you want to argue that it makes sense. But again, I. You kind of already have them in Bluepoint now, like Bluepoint almost has that essence now. You know, I don't, you need you need mm. them both. As far as I know, I mean, Bloodborne, you know, the new stuff's coming from Bluepoint. It's not coming from FromSoft. So I guess that remains to be seen, though, if I mean, if they can recapture a FromSoft. Title, whatever, an IP without FromSoft, that's. That's the biggest question. I get to ask that literally every time I stream is like, are you open to Bloodborne 2 from Bluepoint? And I'm like, I don't I don't know. That's such an a, uh, a difficult question. But as far as publishers and who who they'll buy, I think that um, Colin, you mentioned Capcom and I think Capcom makes the most sense specifically you already mentioned a lot of the already the, the partnerships that have, have happened, whether it's Resident Evil VR, stuff like that. But I think that their culture and their their releases, specifically since 2018 ish, around the time of Monster Hunter World, has shifted more in line to a Sony like very high quality at release model. Think about uh, like 20. I mentioned 2018. Uh, that was Monster Hunter World. Huge respect to legacy IP like doing the Mega Man uh, legacy collections, which have been awesome. Resident Evil 2, Devil May Cry 5. What else we got here? Resident Evil 3, Resident Evil Village, stuff like this. These are like just banger after banger. Super great games. Uh, there are, of course, a few exceptions. If you think about like the multiplayer mode. Uh, that they put in Resident Evil 2, stuff like that. It's it's not all rosy, but, you know, I I feel like there's some similar culture there. It's just as far as, like, folk, a, a shift to really high-quality releases. And I think it's just, uh, you know, and like you said, uh, Street Fighter also is, I think, a huge, huge element to consider especially now with Sony's purchase of Evo. Definitely. We'll see what happens again. I hope none of these things happen, but we'll find right. out, I guess <laughs> I do. I do admit that. And it's to the point we had earlier that this is, and who was it from Ari where he said, this is, this is, it was it the one you said. Yeah. It's the one we're getting. It's not the war we want, but it's the one we're getting. I agree with that, but I do want to reiterate and underline again. It's a choice. Nonetheless, the participate is a choice. And so I'm going to blame a lot of different people when this gets all fucked up in the few years, because it definitely is. I feel anyway, I don't want to say definitely. Eric Wilson wrote in and said, what's up, guys? Colin, since you voiced your concern about Sony potentially buying publishers and studios left and right as a response to Microsoft, would it be more advantageous for them to buy IP instead? They already have a good relationship with Marvel, but is it possible for Sony to pry open Ubisoft's clutches around Tom Clancy? Remove the nucleus from the cell as a war. <laughs> Ubisoft would never do that. Ubisoft would be done. 
without Tom Clancy. But no, guys, dissuade yourself from this. What is the point of that? You know, make yeah. new things. Please, God, make new things. One of the reasons why PlayStation has no truly identifiable mascot is because they constantly change what's most important on the console. And that is to the chagrin of some people, but to the benefit of the brand and the most players. Crash Bandicoot gave way to a whole smattering of things like Jack and Daxter and Ratchet and Clank and Sly Cooper, which gave way to a whole smattering of things of like Uncharted and the God of War reboot and even the original God of War games laid in PS2 and Infamous and on and on. We got Killzone in the PS2 and PS3 era, Resistance in the PS3 era. Right, right. And that moves on to Until Dawn and Bloodborne and uncharted 4 and kind of the waning of uncharted and the revival of the last of us and we have ghost of tsushima and we got spider-man and miles morales and all these things it's different it constantly changes and it's not because they ever went out and acquired anything that's what i'm trying to instill in everyone it had nothing to do with anything they acquired nothing even the sony spider-man connection just comes from sony pictures that's not something they had to go really get so I don't know, guys. I just, Eric, I appreciate the question, but let's start thinking about what PlayStation's, think about Nintendo again. And the Nintendo DNA. They're not going outside to seek new answers and new ideas. Now, maybe they're not getting many new ideas, but I would argue that the way that they release games, the style of game, when you play Zelda Breath of the Wild 2, it's going to be a very fine game. I mean, we all know that, right? It's going to be a very fine game. And that doesn't come from them going outside and be like, who can help us uh, with Zelda? They had, to, they had to slowly learn themselves how to do an open world RPG. It took them for fucking ever, remember? We were all wondering where the hell is the open world role-playing games on, on Nintendo Switch, and then they delivered finally their own thing. So I don't know if my pontification is resonating with people, but... I think there's one exception, though, Colin, Please. about getting IP, uh, and that's Konami. That's true. I think that that is one of the rare exceptions, though, because the IP is basically dormant at this point. And there's such a legacy with many of them with PlayStation in particular, which I guess the question always is people mention, like, you know, should could Sony go out and buy or license or something these IP? And I think that that's a compelling idea idea. But the question I always have then is like, okay, well, then you got to force companies to work on someone else's IP and maybe they want to do it. Maybe they don't. And that's getting into a, uh, some questionable territory, but I think the argument stands though, to Eric's point that maybe there are some options for that. And maybe the idea is like, who knows you, you get the silent Hill IP and you give it to Kojima and you, you fund that. Maybe that's the the move there. And maybe that's already in the works. I don't know. But but I will, it, I will. I think you're right. But I will say just to push back is that. Everything happens at a cost, right? So right. and maybe it wouldn't be one or the other. It certainly almost wouldn't. But if Sony were to say we're going to spend two billion dollars to extract Metal Gear Castlevania Contra and a few other things from Konami, and then we're going to take them and do what we want with them or. We can take that $2 billion and invest it in new things. I'd be like, go invest it in new things. Like, I love Castlevania. No one loves Castlevania more than Colin Moriarty. Come on. But if given the choice of having 
them say like, or could we make a new Castlevania? Like, could we do our own Eastern European style vampire hunter esque? That's what the questions they should be asking themselves. See, that's what I, I wonder if is giving them pause when the Metal Gear rumors come up, which may be true or maybe not. But it's like, well, you already kind of have a Metal Gear and Siphon Filter, which is a little more Bond than Metal Gear. But if that's what you want, you already have it. You can make it yourself. You know, if you want to do Castlevania, you own Bloodborne. You know, if you own, if you want to do Contra, you own SOCOM. You know, like that's that's kind of would be my argument against that but i think that's only an academic argument because i don't think it would be either or i think if they were if if they were offered those things for two billion dollars and they said for four billion dollars you can have the games and we can make new studios i'd be like oh we'll just do that so yeah nonetheless before we back out of this topic finally i did want to read this from john lisa jr who said dear cdc hello from long island word could you guys break down the hierarchy at sony post bungie People confuse PlayStation Studios as a publisher when it really is a division that oversees the studios other than Bungie. Basically, as I understand it, for all intents and purposes, Sony Interactive Entertainment is PlayStation. Is SIE the publishing arm? Even though Bungie is self-publishing, would they still be going through SIE with Bungie label? I think there's a lot of confusion, and Colin is so knowledgeable in this area, it can only positively contribute to the discussion. Thank you. So we don't have the full answer to this yet, but here's how I understand it. And I'll give you guys a little history. Sony Interactive Entertainment is a company. I think some people think that Sony is like this big thing and everything's within this one Sony. But no, Sony and Interactive Entertainment is a company. It used to be called Sony Computer Entertainment, as we know. It was founded in 1993. It's a fully owned subsidiary of of Sony. So that is the PlayStation brand. You're right, John. Worldwide Studios is an umbrella under SIE that was founded in 2005 to organize first party studios. Because remember, at the time... Sony only had two or three or four first parties going at any one time. And first party games were not important in the PS1 and PS2 era as nearly as much as they would become. Remember, even Crash Bandicoot and Spyro were exclusives, but they were not first party games. And that is a that is a major difference. And why, of course, they were able to get Crash Bandicoot away from PlayStation. Crash was uh, universal, right? Right. Exactly. And Spyro was, too. So that's how Activision got their hands on all that stuff. So. Worldwide Studios was founded in 2005 to organize the teams, and that's a vertical under SIE because SIE has like its hardware stuff and its PR and marketing, all these things that normal companies have. But then there's a vertical that is now PlayStation Studios. It used to be called Worldwide Studios. That's the silo where all of the teams are under. So if you picture Sony at the top and then SIE below it and then launching into a bunch of different brands or a bunch of different verticals that you don't care about, like marketing and whatever, one of those is PlayStation Studios. And then there'll be another vertical next to it that will be Bungie. So it's true that Bungie will not be under PlayStation Studios. Bungie is a publishing arm. And in this regard, this is very similar to Microsoft's acquisition of Bethesda, where Bethesda Bethesda is a first-party publisher and a first-party team of studios, but they are their own publisher. When you play a Bethesda game, it's still going to say Bethesda. And when you play a Bungie game, I doubt it's going to say PlayStation Studios. And if it does, it's going to also prominently say it's a Bungie game. So that's the way it works right now. It's not as complicated as you think. Thank you for writing in. All right, let's move on. Other news to get into. Number two, Sony's recent financial disclosures indicate a company in a strong position, but one that's held back by global economic forces, including the inability to produce enough product to fulfill demand. As reported by Newswire Reuters, Sony's recent reports actually raised their profit forecast by 15%, a rosy sign. However, that has little to do with PlayStation and much more to do with the mega performance of Spider-Man No Way Home. 
As a vertical, PlayStation secured a profit of its own, supported by 3.9 million PlayStation 5 consoles sold in the previous quarter. However, as we all know, this isn't nearly enough to satiate demand. And as a result, Sony has cut its full year estimates for PS5 from 14.8 million units sold in the fiscal year to 11.5 million, a drastic shortfall. PS5's full sales numbers through the end of December 2021 is 17.3 million units, a very healthy number that has nonetheless fallen behind PlayStation 4. At the same point in time in its sales cycle at the end of 2014, PS4 had eked past 20 million units sold. PlayStation 4 sold another 200,000 units last quarter as it slowly sputters out. PS4 is now just shy of 117 million units sold. According to website Push Square, 92.7 million games were sold across PlayStation platforms last quarter, with about 10% of them coming from first and second party. 62% of game sales were executed digitally. PSN itself had 111 million monthly users on average, and PlayStation Plus subscriptions are also at an all-time high, 48 million. An important note from the website Push Square, and this is a quote, For all the doom and gloom that circles Sony sometimes, the actual data paints an extremely positive picture. Despite the PS5 being supply-constrained, the PlayStation division registered its second largest quarterly revenue even during the holiday period just gone, totaling $7.15 billion. That number is higher than any other platform holder has ever achieved, end quote. Dustin, I want to go to you first. This seems to be a really important note that we need to balance things out. PlayStation is still by far the most successful gaming brand in the history of gaming and makes more money than its competitors on gaming by a mile. And uh, I wonder if that's important to note at a time when we're being pretty negative about the overall culture, the changes in the M&A. How do you feel about these numbers, especially the downfall or the shortfall rather and the and the falling of PS4 behind or PS5 behind PS4 in which it's unclear if it'll ever really be able to catch up. And that's a shame because that doesn't portend very well for PS5 success compared to the console it's replacing. Right. I, I feel like as far as the 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 positive note here, I think it is worth mentioning um, and worth bringing up just because Sacred Symbols is a week to week PlayStation news podcast. And so if the news on a week to week beat feels negative, then that's how we're going to present things. It's not a, a broad strokes podcast, but it doesn't mean it's not worth looking at this and, and acknowledging it. They're like, yeah, Sony is on top, like by a lot with with PlayStation 5 and clearly has made a lot of the right moves to ensure this console is a giant success despite uh, a competitor that is growing uh, more and more formidable every week, it seems like, with a new announcement of something uh, to be concerned about. And uh, the success of this console during a global pandemic as well, despite major, major stock um and inventory shortages it's uh it's not anything to just you know brush off it's it's an amazing amazing feat it's it's funny thinking back to when we were doing this show before the ps5 launched and being like oh yeah there'll be some some supply stuff and it'll be hard to get for a few months and then it'll go away it'll get better and then it didn't. And then we've estimate, oh, well, hopefully in, in 2022, it's going to get better. And it just doesn't seem to be getting better <laughs> at all. No, it's not, it's got and a, so, the shortfall is 15% that they had to cut their 
there, or I'm sorry, the shortfall between PS4 and PS5 is 15% at this point. So that's only going to grow. And that's not good. Yeah. No. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where I just don't even really know what to say about it anymore. This is the, as far as like the, the supply chain and, and, uh, whether it's a, you know, there's, there's shipping issues and there's issues with the, the, the silicon and stuff like that. It's, uh, it's gone so far beyond, I think, the reach of the three of us and not saying that we're just going to raise a white flag and just say we're ignorant. We don't understand it, but uh, I'm I'm starting to be, in the words of Chris, a little baffled mm. at this point. You have anything to add here, Chris? No, I, I, I mean, I think uh, I, I do. I, I did have a thought. About the inertia of PlayStation 4 and how we we had talked about on this podcast how that had carried a lot of a lot of uh, goodwill into the PS5 generation and and how there's no doubt that uh, how well PS4 did carried over to how well PS5 is doing now and i wonder you know if if this shortfall and and, and if this difficulty getting their hands on the proper chipsets and getting and and, and uh, their difficulty meeting supply constraints is only dwindling that inertia faster than it otherwise would have and giving kind of the competition a bit more of a leg up. Uh, like, I, like I wonder how long it would have taken for PS five to fall below PS four had there not been the pandemic, you know, that's the only thing I was thinking. Yeah. Well, no, I think you're right in the sense that it's entirely likely that if, if they could make as many as they want, then they would have sold more than they sold PS four. Yeah. And that's that's a shitty situation. And I think everyone's in it right now, but mm-hmm. it goes to show you that maybe some of this this more archaic technology like Nintendo Switch is dominating right now. Yeah. Mostly because it's just easier to find and easier to produce. And Nintendo mm-hmm. finds itself in an advantageous situation because the the components they need are just not as in demand. So there's there's a problem there. But. I just wanted to paint the picture of PlayStation that's a little more accurate financially. Yeah, because it's worth noting. And I saw people saying this, like even after Microsoft bought Activision or announced that they were going to buy Activision on their financial calls for the quarter, it never even came up. Like from the Q&A, from investor Q&A, because they don't care about video games, right? Like it's it, it the the stakes are so much lower, which is why I feel like it's such a shame that their money is the one dictating the terms when the other companies are so much more reliant on games. Sony, mostly Nintendo, wholly reliant on these games. Well, Microsoft could really just snap Xbox out of existence and they'd be fine. Wouldn't matter at all to them. And they're still cagey about things like game sales. They're still cagey about things like hardware sales. So whatever, we'll see what happens. But nonetheless, Sony is doing well. PS4. I'm sorry, PS5's, uh, I don't know, man. Good luck finding one. I, I, I keep saying, if you keep trying, and if you've really been trying, you should have found one by now. I do believe that. I do believe that. Number three, beloved baseball game, MLB The Show, has a release date. The Show 22 will come to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 on April 5th. The game's cover athlete has also been revealed. Los Angeles Angels pitcher and outfielder Shohei Otani, arguably the most explosive player in Major League Baseball in decades, will grace the cover. That guy's fucking amazing. Just absolutely. I don't know if you know anything about that guy, but he is absolutely he is a an all like a Cy Young level award winning all star level pitcher and a 50 home run 100 RBI hitter. It's just absolutely bonkers how good this guy is like old style Babe Ruth style, just 
incredible. And he was playing in Japan all these years and just, I don't know, man, his best years. It would have been amazing to see what he could have done this whole time. But nonetheless, where am I here? Okay. Now, there are a few other notable issues here. As we know, the show now goes to Xbox 2. And MLB The Show 22 will again go to Xbox platforms and will again be a day one Game Pass game. For the first time ever, the game will also go to Nintendo Switch. This is all notable because all three platforms will be able to share progression between the platforms and crossplay between platforms as well. As is usual, the PS5 version will sport a $70 premium price tag, while the PS4 version will go to $60. The show, which has been running for 17 consecutive seasons, began on PS2 and PSP in 2006. It comes from Sony San Diego. It later came to PS3 and Vita as well. It's, only, it's the only AAA baseball game licensed by the MLB in the world, and MLB The Show 21 was the ninth best-selling game in the United States in 2021 not counting its performance on Game Pass or its a la carte sales on the platform either. So this is an important point I wanted to bring up. MLB The Show 21, even though it was on Game Pass, was the ninth best-selling game in the United States, only counting its sales on PS4 and PS5. That's nuts. And as Mm -hmm. I said, because of the baseball labor strife right now, I feel like MLB The Show has the potential to be even bigger because it might be the only way you get MLB baseball this year. Well, that remains to be seen. Kurt Ferguson wrote in and said, hey, guys, does it make sense for Sony to continue to pay a premium for the MLB license when their competitor just gets the game on their platform for free? With Microsoft putting the game on Game Pass, Sony isn't even going to get the 70% cut from each copy sold as most Xbox gamers will just play the game on Game Pass. Microsoft is literally getting a AAA game for free that's completely paid for by Sony. Unlike other third party games on Game Pass where Microsoft has to at least pay the publishers a commission, Sony gets nothing because it's MLB that's forcing them to put the game on Xbox. This is now going to be an annual thing where we talk about how embarrassing it is for Sony that the show is on Game Pass day one while PlayStation gamers have to pay $70. Is Sony only, Sony's only logical move to put the show on Spartacus day one and sh- spare themselves the annual embarrassment. I wanted to read this because I don't think it's right. As far as I understand, MLB is the controlling factor. MLB would, as we understand, only renew the license with, San- with Sony if they agreed to go multi-platform, so they did. However, Sony is the publisher of the game. Sony is the publisher of the game on Xbox. Sony is the publisher of the game on Nintendo. By the way, this will be the first Nintendo pub or Sony developed game on Nintendo, I think, since mm, Wipeout 64, maybe something like that back in the day from Psygnosis. So it's been a long ass time in coming. But it's important to note that Sony as publisher is getting paid by Microsoft for that Game Pass game. Now, it might be possible that Sony is not allowed to say no. That might be possible. But there is no way that Microsoft is not paying Sony for that as well. Yeah, there's just no way that that can be. I do think it's embarrassing. I think it's ridiculous, actually, that 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 might. And I think it shows a great disrespect to Sony. I said that at the time. I'm like, MLB doesn't give a fuck about Sony because it makes them look so dumb to do this to them. But Sony is making enough money. And as I illustrated, Chris, the ninth best selling game of the year. In the United, in the United mm-hmm. States was MLB The Show. So what do you think about the new game coming to Xbox, the new game also coming to Switch, complete cross-progression, complete cross-play? Seems like a nice new Sony. Very interesting. I've been in that studio many times. Very interesting to think of them with Nintendo dev kits. It's almost unthinkable. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's it's, uh, it's it, We're... It's so interesting how the same story uh, from a year ago just somehow finds a way to get more interesting. It's like, oh, it's on Nintendo now. It's like, and we knew it was coming, but we didn't know when. So it surprised me when I saw the box art. I was like, oh man, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, that few things 
few experiences in, in, in video games have been trippier than seeing PlayStation, the PlayStation logo pop up on a Game Pass game. Uh, when I when I tried out MLB the show for the brief period of time that I, I tried it out, it's crazy. And it's it's kind of cool. Like I think this is kind of neat. Like I know it's like disrespectful uh, on the MLB's part, but it you can't deny how interesting it is to see like to load up a Switch and see PlayStation Studios. That is crazy. Not something that I ever thought I would ever see. And yet here we are. So <laughs> what do you think about this, Dustin? It, it seems like the sales suggest that maybe this wasn't even that big of a factor. And right. It, if anything, just promoted the game for for free. Really, Sony's still getting money and probably lump some payments. So I, I don't know. It seemed worse than it is. I do think it's to Chris's point, it is disrespectful and embarrassing, but I don't know that it's nearly as because they can just look at those sales data and be like, well, whatever, man. You know, <laughs> like, that, well, well, they also they also got paid for it, you know, right. like they got paid to put the game on Game Pass, you know, and, and surely like, yeah, Game Pass is pretty huge on Xbox. And I, I would argue that it makes sense that you would assume most people who have Xboxes have Game Pass, but at the same time, or at least like active players, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of Xbox consoles in general out in the wild. And, you know, I think Xbox Game Pass is at 25 million. I'm fairly certain there are more than 25 million Xbox One, Xbox One X's, Xbox Series X, Xbox, you know, under that banner, all of which run the same software. So there's a pretty healthy contingent of people who are probably on Xbox who probably also bought MLB The Show and and got, you know, that that's I, I that surely happened. So as far as I'm concerned, it's just a benefit to Sony because they just get a lot more money, you know. Well, it's embarrassing on the outset, but yeah, go well, on. You know. That's what I was thinking is just that I'm sure that when the negotiations with the MLB happened and they said, if you want this, you got to make it multi-plat. I'm sure that that was a blow to them because they knew that there were probably a, a decent percentage of people that chose PlayStation over any other console because of that. Uh, you know, the only MLB baseball game. I know someone that was in this case that went with PlayStation because of MLB, the show. But at the same time, now, uh, Jim Ryan, we are a multi, we are going multi-platform. You got to think that maybe they're like, well, we kind of can make a shitload of money releasing this game elsewhere. I would imagine the MLB The Show on Switch is going to sell like crazy because it is a portable MLB baseball game that's of really high quality. And people will probably buy it on Switch and they'll get it on Game Pass and they'll get it on PlayStation. So and and like you said, like you said in the write up here, uh, the ninth best selling game in the United States, despite Game Pass. So, yeah, yeah that explicitly sure. does not count any Xbox sales data explicitly. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it doesn't not even, even count, Xbox. Yeah, it doesn't even count a la carte sales on Xbox. Okay. Yeah. So even I mean that just supports the point even further Definitely. that uh yeah, they may have been a little disappointed when it happened, but now they're probably like, Well, I'm guessing the money is quite <laughs> high on on releasing this all over the place. So in the end it they can uh it's not so bad. It's got a little bit of a silver lining. Yeah. yeah. It's it's like making a lot of money on a on a on like a dare, you know? Like you, oh, you gotta like you gotta run through a you gotta run through Times Square in a dress and you'll get like two million dollars. Like ah oh, well you know that sucks that I had to do that, but I'll take two million dollars, whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, and I think that if you're looking for new PlayStation products, like this this 
throughout even the worst times for PlayStation during the early PS3 era, this series was huge, always. And yeah, it's always been big. It's always been very well respected. The MLB is all over marketing it. It has real baseball players. That's how I, I met a bunch of players when I was at IGN because they come in and promote the game. So it is interesting. I actually think that bigger than it being on Game Pass is being on Switch. And yeah, no huge. I, I think that that could just that could just blow that game up in, in such a good way for Sony. We'll see. Because I don't think baseball is an old school game. It's a slow game. It's a old Americana game and it's beautiful on PS5. But I don't think a lot of people give a shit. And I think people would kind of be happy to play it on Switch in bed. I mean, we were playing baseball yeah. stars on fucking NES in 1989 and it looked like shit, but we loved it it's baseball yeah. i mean i mean mlb the show even on psp right of course and the vita versions and all the rest the, the, a lot of they were releasing the show on ps2 until 2012 true story crazy number four in a surprising twist you'll have the option to play ghostwire tokyo on your playstation 5 sooner than you may think the game launches on march 25th word comes by way of a post to playstation social feeds which announced the release dates alongside the reveal of a ghostwire centric state of play that by the time the show will be seen and heard has already happened there's little else to say then other than that we'll have this game in our hands in less than two months. Revealed at E3 2019, Ghostwire Tokyo is the third game from the Bethesda-owned team Tango Gameworks, which now falls under the Xbox first-party umbrella. However, deals were in place before the Microsoft acquisition that assured PS5 would get Ghostwire, as well as another Bethesda-published game, Arcane's Deathloop, as year-long console exclusives. Tango, founded by legendary survival horror director and designer Shinji Mikami, is a Japanese team only known for one other franchise, The Evil Within. The original Evil Within launched on PS3 and PS4 in 2014, while its sequel came to PlayStation 4 in 2017. Mike W. wrote in, said, hey, CDC, with it basically confirmed that Ghostwire Tokyo is coming out in March. It's not basically, it is confirmed. I got to ask, is Bethesda just sending this game out to die? Since its reveal in 2019, we've heard very little about the game and its seemingly troubled development only the mar for the marketing to begin a short time before its supposed launch. Do you think this is cause for concern or is it just a result of Sony having too many games to release this year? that some might not get as much attention as others. Thanks for all you do. Chris, this was a big surprise to me. I couldn't believe how soon they're going to release this game, and I think it's completely ominous. Now, I don't know if that's going to pan out. I hope the game the game looks great. I, I hope it is, but I don't know what's going on here. I have theories, and I that my theories are mostly about what Microsoft is trying to do to get out of this deal as quickly as possible. Because the, the quicker they can get this game out, the quicker that it's off their books and the quicker they can get it on Game Pass. And I think that they're probably pretty acceptable. Like, I, I'm surprised by how well-received Deathloop was because in my experience, I was like, this is cool, but this is not a revolutionary game in any way, shape, shape or form. And I kind of maybe feel like this game might fall into the same category in which Bethesda is happy and Microsoft is happy to say, listen, we're getting a seven or an eight out the door. Bye. And then we'll have it on Game Pass later and we can just be done with this. And so I think that they have no real reason to slave over Ghostwire Tokyo beyond one inch what's in the contract that they signed. And I think that that's kind of what you're seeing here. Anyway, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think I, I think similarly where they I, I feel like they just want to be out of this awkward period of time where they're they're publishing exclusive <laughs> timed exclusive games on a on a competitor console. Uh, I think this is not going to be something that people are crunching on. You know, right. I don't see, I don't see that necessarily. Yeah. I was going to say, I don't, uh, I don't want, I want to be clear in the sense that I don't think that they're saying like wiping their ass and being, we're done with this game. No, no, gonna, no, no. But I do think that they're not, 
that concerned about this game compared yeah. to other projects. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if I would not be surprised if this game is, is another like death loop in the sense that, you know, not in the sense that it's as, as divisive, but in the sense that a lot of people are probably going to really like it. Um, and I, I hope I'm one of them because I wasn't one of them with death loop. And I hope that this is like the, you know, the second chance, uh, of these two awkward Bethesda PlayStation exclusive titles. But yeah, my, my gut tells me that this is, you know, you, you don't, <laughs> you don't launch it. So you don't launch, you don't announce a release date this soon. If, if you're trying to like get people excited, you know, like typically it's, you know, I, I could imagine maybe six months, you know, be like hey it's coming out in six months like almost how fallout 4 was announced where it's like hey here's here's the game and it's coming out in six months or whatever this is this does not strike me as that yeah it wasn't even it was like four months and i think it's funny you brought up fallout 4 in 2015 because that was the exact game i was thinking of too the difference here though is chris and i guess i'll throw it over to didn't announce it obviously right is that we know about this game already i think it would have been much more compelling although impossible if they came out dustin with a triple a horror game and they were like the game comes out in six weeks and the first you ever knew about it was when they told you that that's yeah, fucking yeah. cool i think that that's right. mostly impossible in the industry to do because there are too many people telling secrets i hear from them all the time and yeah i think also it just it it hurts marketing and some people i think look at fallout 4 as maybe that being the mistake a mistake because we never really had time at the same time to judge it we were just so excited that it existed and that it was coming so quickly. They had no time to think about it. It's almost discombobulating. So what do you make of this? Of course, this game notably lost its director in the middle of development as well. And um, I have very, I'm not going to watch the state of play because I don't want to see anymore. I'm going to play it, but I'm not hopeful. What do you think? I think the writing is on the wall here. Evil within evil within two. I know there's a lot of people that like these games. But let's if we look at the critical response, each of these games are uh, let's see, even within one seventy five, even within two seventy six. Not bad. By no means. to eighty. And well, something to think about right there. So there's that. There's that angle of it. Then you mentioned the fact that it's it lost its director during development and how we still we've seen gameplay clips and stuff like that. But suddenly all this is just getting dumped on us all at once. So we got a release date. We're getting this uh, thing, which Colin, I, you know, when we did our Sacred Symbols Plus, we had a back and forth about actually corrections and stuff. But this is for my point here. If you search what this thing, Ghostwire Tokyo, it's not a state of play. It is not granted the status of state of play. It is listed as Ghostwire Tokyo February 2022 official showcase. Hmm. Not a state of play. So hmm. I also, think that that's, also to your point, no PlayStation blog post. No PlayStation. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a great point that you brought up. This game, there is, like I said, maybe when the state of play comes out, I mean, the, the listeners are listening to this on Friday. Maybe the state of play is fucking awesome. I would love that. I want the best for Ghostwire Tokyo. But as it stands right now on Thursday, as we record this podcast and you think about the details I just listed, not confident. Yeah, it's let's put it in the other direction to not be too conspiratorial. If Sony had 
a good second or third party exclusive on their hands, like a really good game, they would say so. There's no reason for them not to play this game up unless unless and here's the other angle. They are so hesitant to praise or give any more attention to something that they don't own and that is being made by a competitor and that will ultimately find its way to Game Pass that they're just like, we're not doing the free marketing for this game. And Mm. there could be something to that, too. I I don't know that it goes that way. See, the thing is, the reason I don't think it goes that way is because um, Tango is not arcane. No offense. And I would argue that Tango is the weakest studio in that family. So. I mean, you're talking about id, arcane, but that's the game studios, machine games. I mean, these are real powerhouses, and uh, I don't think Tango is that team. So maybe we'll see. And I, I brought up the point, too, that they lost its director. Now, the, the claim is, is that she got pregnant and you know went away. But I don't like that excuse because um, women work in the industry all over the place. They get pregnant and have kids all over the place. And you want to know what the evidence is of that? Why don't you go read a AAA games production baby list next time you next time you beat it? People are having babies left, right and center on teams, men, women, places in high on the hierarchy. Maybe forn- fornicating during development. Maybe fornicating. Yeah. Men are, you know, their wives or their girlfriends, whatever, having babies, women having babies, obviously the very top to the very bottom. So I don't like this excuse. I think that it portends poorly for any game to lose its director and it rarely turns out well. It turns out well for games that are consistent. So like Siege is on its like sixth or I'm sorry, like fifth or fourth, you know, director at this point. But the game's been out for seven years. And then you have games like Final Fantasy 12 that somehow worked, even though it had two different directors. But it's rare. So I'm not. I'm not optimistic about this one, but we'll see. And maybe it'll look great. I don't know. You're right. Maybe, maybe it will. Look. And I'll play it one way. I'm going to buy it one way or the other. So we'll see. Number five, in a surprising but mostly welcome move, Yacht Club Games has finally revealed its next game. It's called Mina the Hollower. And if Shovel Knight was an ode to NES side-scrolling platformers and action games, then Mina is an ode to the Game Boy and Game Boy Color Zelda games like Link's Awakening and Oracles of Ages and Seasons. I'll be still my beating heart. The surprise comes not in the form of the game itself, but rather than rather Yacht Club has opted to kickstart it. It was fully funded with a moderate ask of $300,000 or so in less than a day and will no doubt end up in the several millions of dollars raised range. Yacht Club, founded in 2011 by ex-Way Forward employees, launched Shovel Knight to Wii U, 3DS, and PC in 2014. It came to PS3, PS4, and Vita in 2015. DLC followed in 2015, 2017, and 2019 as well. Mina will be the first internally developed project since and is limiting itself strictly to the dimensions and color palette of the Game Boy Color. Four colors per 8x8 pixel tile and no 3D or other tricks. Fuck yeah. However, some people aren't satisfied with their explanation as to why they're going to Kickstarter. Here's what they said in part, quote, Compared to our original Kickstarter, we're not in dire straits. We're financing a majority of Mina the Hollower's development internally. Our main reason for launching a Kickstarter this time is to build a brand new universe in the same way we did it with our first game, Shovel Knight, with our community involved in creating something special along with us, end quote. Now, a couple of things I need to say off the top. First of all, I'm very close to this studio, so you can take anything I say with a grain of salt. In fact, they, they'll t- they tell the story, and I've said it before, that they, they targeted me intentionally knowing that I would be so in love with Shovel Knight that I wouldn't help but be able to gush about it. And uh, they tell that story on 8-4 podcast, which is a great, you know, a very popular Japanese podcast. And um, so I'm friendly with them. And, you know, I wrote the introduction of the official art book for Shovel Knight. And when I saw this go up, Chris, I emailed them and I was like, are you looking for investors? Because I want in. This game looks fucking dope. I haven't heard back from them. But I always think about like they asked for like $60,000 for Shovel Knight. And it's like, oh, my God. 
you know, like that's nothing for what you had. How did you, how did no one want to publish this thing? So some people are concerned about the Kickstarter. We'll talk about that. But um, I just want to know what you think of the game. And uh, if you think this is a surprise, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by this. I want more Shovel Knight, but what I was afraid was going to happen was they were going to make a new game that was more modern. And what they actually did was make a new game that is less modern. And uh, yeah. to that, I am very respectful. So what do you think? Yeah, it's even it's even more retro than Shovel Knight is in a lot of ways. So like, it, I mean, it looks cool. It looks um, I, I, I'm I really appreciate pixel art. And I think I, I've played I mean, even even things like the like uh, the messenger and, and, and Celeste and, and uh, Cyber Shadow as, as of late were like some of some of the standouts in, in, in my view. This kind of top down. I'm not gonna lie. These top down like kind of like Zelda esque games they don't really jive with me as much as pure side scrollers do i don't know what it is about them there there were a few there there were like link's awakening was one of them that i i enjoyed a lot and and link to the past and stuff like that but i don't know i I think i'm curious about this one more than i'm excited about it but it was i was pleasantly surprised to see them not just do another shovel knight um as much as i know you want that it it can it can be it sucks to see a studio uh, just kind of be the that studio, you know, like, oh, hey, Shovel Knight until we die. You know, <laughs> it's cool. It's cool that they were able to uh, yeah. just kind of come out of, out of the blue with something different. Uh, I, I the Kickstarter nature is a bit. bit a bit suspicious to me, a, a little weird, but at the same time, they don't really this is a studio that hasn't really done anything to uh, garner negative will. So I don't really I'm not that concerned about it. Before we talk about the Kickstarter, Dustin, I wanted to ask you what Alex Watson wrote in about. He says, hey, gents, with the announcement of Mina the Hollower as Yacht Club's next game, I think we can pretty much rule out a proper Shovel Knight sequel anytime in the next decade. Wondering if you guys are bummed about that or happy to see them go in a new direction. Personally, I think the new game looks pretty dope. What do you think? We're both fans, of, you know, especially with Shovel Knight kind of being part of the Amiibo situation and kind of having a lot of staying power. I think it's surprising to some people that to see them abandon it for now but i think the writing was on the wall because of the dlc support which i think was a huge mistake i know that they promised it but i just don't understand why they followed through on it i don't think anyone would have been mad if they didn't make those games and we could have gotten like a proper sequel but we didn't so what do you think about this i think that we or alex mentions it being in the next decade i think that we have the the mindset of the fact that it took them so long with Shovel Knight because of in order to meet these Kickstarter goals and they really wanted to do it right to their credit with this new game. I don't know if I see this as a, a 10 year project for them. Um, I haven't, I didn't look to see like what their stretch goals are for Kickstarter, but I would expect this to be a more traditional release. So does that mean we won't get Shovel Knight two in the next decade? I don't know, but um I think that they've learned from the the Kickstarter goals of their past that really kept them chained to Shovel Knight for for so long. So overall, though, I'm I'm a bit mixed on this this I don't know if mission statement is the right word or the goal of this game to keep it very strict to the the color palette. You said the eight by eight pixel tile stuff like that. This is. It's it's cool to do that. But at the same time, I think what I one of the aspects of Shovel Knight that I really liked was that it it felt like 
it could be an NES game, but it was willing to compromise doesn't feel like the right word, but it was willing to go further than the NES in certain aspects in order to make the game better. So it's an interesting I feel like as a developer, the idea of making this your challenge is is cool, but I would want to make sure that the game is served first and foremost, which you know, knowing Yacht Club, they'll do a, a fantastic job. But I'm also with Chris in that a game of this style particularly just doesn't speak to me as much as a traditional side scroller or other types of old school games. But either way, it's Yacht Club. It's it's going to be awesome, most likely. So I'll, I'll check it out no matter what. Yeah, I'm, uh, we don't we don't have target dates yet. I think they're targeting the end of 2023 for delivery on Kickstarter ps4 and ps5 i think and other consoles i'm interested in seeing more but i am curious about the kind of controversy around it elia starovarov wrote in and said colin this one is for you what do you think of yacht club doing a kickstarter for their new game i don't have a big problem with it because i'm sure that it will deliver but something about it still feels a bit gross i don't really get it to be honest and i don't think they needed to do this i think it's hedging their bets and maybe doing a little marketing and recapturing the zeitgeist of the original Shovel Knight, which was on, you know, it's hard to easy to remember. Kickstarted almost 10 years ago. So it's been a long time. I like that they're straightforward. There's like no stretch goals, I think, or like there's no like extraneous shit. It's very straightforward. They're not going to get trapped, like you said. And I don't know that it see the power is in the is in the consumer's hands. If we have a problem with this, then don't support it. But it's way too late. I mean, the thing is murdering on Kickstarter right now. I just don't think people mind. But from their perspective, I would be curious to talk to them and really mine the answer more because I, I'm not satisfied with that answer. It's not a good answer. I think I think they could have just been more straightforward and said, like, listen, we're a small studio and we need to hedge our bets. And we we're just not able to, you know, safely facilitate the full production of this game. But I don't think that that's the case. So do you feel weird about it, Dustin? I feel like my theory about this is that Kickstarter is a platform that people are familiar with, much like, not like, but in in a way, people are familiar with Patreon and, and stuff like that. And a lot of these Kickstarter goals involve collaboration with them like you can i think there's like a there was a it's probably full now but there was a tier where you could like help design aspects of the game with with yacht club and so my my theory is that the idea of using a kickstarter also lends to that it's just a platform in order to facilitate this uh community and interaction with the fans that want to support the game during development I would argue that if you're Yacht Club and you have, I'm assuming, a lot of money from uh, Shovel Knight is that you got to like, could you build some kind of platform that's specifically to your needs on your own website? That way you don't need to pay the Kickstarter fees and stuff like that. It doesn't seem like it would be uh, impossible to to do, but, you know, that's kind of like us with last year, not that it's uh, completely comparable, but. We stay and we remain on Patreon because people understand the platform. They support other creators there. It's easy to ask someone to support you if all they got to do is add you to their their list. And so 
that might be part of the thought process too is that they liked the way that they could alert their backers throughout development they could share pictures or videos or a new song or whatever um and that community is already used to that on kickstarter and so that makes sense again i don't i don't it's definitely not necessary i mean i don't want to say definitely i don't know the financial situation of, of yakub games but based on the success of shovel knight i don't think that it's nece- was necessary but based on the feature set of kickstarter i think that that might be what they're going for yeah fair enough fair enough we'll, we'll keep a close eye out i'm really excited about this if you guys want to go check it out again it's called mina the hollower and yeah it reminds me a lot of Oracles of Ages and Oracles of Seasons, which were Capcom developed Zelda games at the turn of the century. And I I loved those games. I wasn't as big of a fan of Link. I think Link's Awakening is actually fairly overrated as a Zelda game, but those two games I was really, really fond of. So cool to see them invoking those. Number six, Battlefield 2042 is officially a mess and its own publisher is the first to admit it. As reported by IGN, Electronic Arts notes the game, quote, did not meet expectations, end quote, when it came to sales and told investors in an earnings call the following in part, quote, developing this game with our teams working from home for nearly two years ultimately proved to be challenging. Though our process of testing and preparation, we believed the experience was ready to be put into our players' hands. We launched with strong stability. However, as more players experienced the full game, it became clear that there were unanticipated performance issues that we would need to address. Some of the design choices we made with the game also did not resonate with everyone in our community, end quote. Launched in the fall of 2021, the DICE-developed shooter immediately met with headwinds. The results are bad enough that prior to the earnings call, the developer already confirmed that it's delaying future content so that the core experience can be fixed. The letter to the audience reads in part, quote, we have heard you, so we are heavily invested and committed to the future of Battlefield 2042, working on taking action on multiple fronts to address feedback and implement extensive fixes to the game, key features that are important to you and getting team play where it needs to be. The game's first content season has thus been shifted from earlier this year into the summer. In the meantime, updates will be launched on the fly, adding much requested features. DICE, once famous for its work in the Battlefield franchise, which began in 2002, is far more notable these days for its Frostbite engine on which EA runs most of its games. Chris, you had a visceral reaction to this. How do you feel? No, I mean, like, what do you mean? Like, you didn't anticipate, oh, we thought it was, like, totally fine that people were <laughs> driving boats up skyscrapers at, at 15 frames a second. Like, are you kidding? Like, what do you mean? I, it bothers me when it's just so patently dishonest. Like, there's no way you didn't know the game was in this state. Yeah, and I I'm know confused what could have happened run- to, to, to make it break the way that they didn't anticipate it was going through. That, that it, makes no sense. It's not possible. It's not possible. It's just straight up not possible. Because I remember being invited to a like a preview stream. Like you could you could uh, log into a, a press account for EA or something early and play Battlefield 2042. And we couldn't talk about it at the time because obviously it was like there was like an embargo thing. And, and I just didn't bother bringing it up in the future because I just didn't really bother with it but i played for about like 40 minutes in this preview period of which we only had access to the game for about two hours um (laughs) which is already super suspicious but we like it was way broken even in that preview environment where like people were getting their impressions like it was like unstable. It like ran really poorly. Like I was, I was looking people, watching people clip through the fucking ground. And I was like, all right, well, this is an experience. You know, it. it hopefully, it's ironed out by launch. But we know how that went. And and I, I don't know, man. This is uh, 
they really fucked up. Like people went back to Battlefield Five and repopulated that to a degree that way, way, way overshadowed 2042. And Battlefield Five, I'll remind you, wasn't super well received either. Like Battlefield Five, <laughs> I think Battlefield One was the last one that people were like, "This is a good one," and this is stable and this works. There were people, there were people who didn't like it who thought it was a little too arcadey. I personally loved Battlefield One; I thought it was great, but. Battlefield 5 was like panned immediately and it had that weird failed battle royale mode that nobody liked and just the idea that people have flocked away from this game to the previous entry which was not good even hackers are abandoning 2042 because not enough people are playing it not enough people to mess with <laughs> dude that's a real story that's real like people people are hackers and and people who are, who make cheats for games abandon 2042 because not enough people play it it's awesome it's crazy I love that I, the, the the clusterfuck of this game i i understand like cyberpunk is a whole nother thing where it's like oh you know that it was it was a mess for a lot of people and it got pulled off the playstation store i would argue genuinely like this is you could argue this is a, a, a like a, a way bigger clusterfuck than than cyberpunk only in the sense that i know people who had positive experiences with cyberpunk i don't know anybody right now who's playing or who has who thinks fondly or even remotely positively of 2042. And I know a lot of people who play FPSs and a lot of people who were excited about Battlefield. Crazy. What do you think, Dustin? Just another example of the EA effect, whatever we want to call it, the EA effect on the studios uh, that they purchase, just a complete downward spiral of dice. Think about the downward spiral of Bioware. And some companies that I think time has started to forget, like, uh, is it Maxis, right? SimCity? Oh, yeah, Maxis, yeah. Just yeah. completely down the shitter with that one. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll praise EA when it's deserved for games like It Takes Two, the funding and willing to take risks with that. Yeah. Uh, the success of Respawn uh, in, in recent years. Sure, that's that's cool but uh it just sucks to see them completely kill stuff and i'm not saying that it's just ea right like surely dice has had a hand in well, their their own yeah, downfall that's, as that's well that's the whole thing man what do they even mean yeah. anymore what does that even right. mean anymore it's just that you can you can clearly see the 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 games before before ea and the games after and how it's just like a yeah. just a downward trend dice is just a name now and dude i i know <laughs> i don't know i don't know about you Dustin. i don't know if you play a lot of battlefield i know colin doesn't really dabble in multiplayer stuff but dude battlefield 2042 does not have a scoreboard what <laughs> yeah what? you're, you're, you're sure that's gonna be added in march yeah, yeah, they're they're adding the scoreboard in March, so you can tell how many kills you have and how many points you've accrued in the match. They don't, it's not currently there. So wait, is the what? idea is the idea is that your actions you're you're focused on winning as a team over individual, which I can understand wanting to try to push players to do that. But I'm sorry, you you can't make players not focus on their own individual stats that's just never it's not how a game like that will ever work <laughs> it, it's uh, 
just even beyond just the functionality, just so many design decisions that I just cannot understand with that game. It's it's such a such a mess. I wonder. Well, let me let me read this. Fernando wrote in. So, gents, on a 2019 episode of the show, both Colin and Chris agreed the price increase of PS5 would also bring an uptick in quality. During that discussion, you also said how you would be shocked if Cyberpunk launched in a broken state. We all know how that went. More recently, Battlefield launched in an awful state and Vice announced, I think you mean Dice, announced they're going to take six months or so to launch season one. Warzone has been a buggy mess since the Vanguard integration in early December. FIFA has a content crisis every other week. Halo wasn't broken, but also has its problems in their launch game modes. How did we get to the situation where game studios have no shame at all in releasing broken games, breaking them with the updates and leaving them in a state for weeks on end? All we get from them are comments like, we're working hard. Thank you for your patience. People like to blame the publishers, the suits, but at what point should these developers start getting flack for consistently shitting the bed without any kind of accountability? People should be getting fired over these fuck-ups, but seemingly a tweet apologizing seems to seems to be all they offer. What are your thoughts on this? This is interesting. I, I There's no doubt that there's a deficit of talent at some of these studios. No, no doubt about it. Not every studio is going to be able to hit, you know, uh, home runs every time they come to the plate. But... I still feel like the publishers are the ones that are responsible. If Dice was its own team funding its own games, that's different, but they're letting Dice do whatever they want, I guess. And there doesn't seem to be any consequences because you think a team, a guy, you know, EA would come and be like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And we have to abandon this game now, basically, and you're done. And it would show other developers, I guess, that they're serious because remember, they created a small constellation of studios to support Battlefield. Now, all of these teams are being sucked under like Gothenburg. I think they used to be called Ghost Story or not Ghost Story, Ghost Games, right? Uh, the guys, some of the guys that didn't need for speed. Now they're beholden to Dice. You have Ripple Effect in Los Angeles that used to be Dice LA that is beholden to this game. You're creating a whole ecosystem that no one even gives a shit about anymore because it's not good. And Fernando, the question is, where, why, how do we get to this place? I don't know. I think publishers in part allowed this to happen. I think developers in part allowed this to happen. But I also think that criticizing individuals is not really effective because it's not like a football game where there's a play and the quarterback gets sacked and and fumbles the ball and loses the ball. And that's the play. And we can see who is responsible. And they got through the offensive line. So it's this guy's fault. And the quarterback didn't roll out this way. So it's kind of his fault. Game development happens over four or five years. There are all these moving parts. It's impossible to even probably say from the outside what went wrong. But internally, they definitely know who the weak links are. And I think DICE is getting a pass because of Frostbite. And I think this obsession EA has with an engine, which I don't blame them. Every publisher has this obsession with getting engines because it removes massive parts of their cost and allows them to create tools that they don't have to go and get middleware and all these things. It's very complicated. But I don't know, Fernando, I'm frustrated by it, too. You guys want to make EA hear you loud and clear. Stop buying EA games. But you won't. Number seven. We hear you. (laughs) A compelling leak indicates that Supermassive Games ongoing horror series, the Dark Pictures Anthology, will indeed see its promised eight game run through and that production may be both more organized and further along than we had assumed. A sleuth on social media mind the da- a sleuth on social media. I'm sorry, mind the database of the European Union Intellectual Property Office, finding five dark pictures related filings complete with logos. As reported by website Video Games Chronicle, all of the trademarks belong definitively to Supermassive, and the titles are as follows: The Craven Man, Directive 8020, Winterfold, Zero Death, and Intercession. 
It's unclear what order they may be presented in or what any of them are about, though you could glean some clues from the logos themselves. For instance, I think the intercession logo seems to indicate it might be like something from the Renaissance or some, like some older thing, which is kind of neat. It's unclear what order they might be presented in or what any of them are about, though you could. Uh, I'm sorry, I already said that Supermassive based in the UK originally started as a Sony second party studio and worked on a number of games across PS3, Vita, PS4 and PSVR. Their biggest game was no doubt the PS4 exclusive 2015 horror game Until Dawn, though the team was also responsible for Killzone's PS3 port in 2012. The PS Move game, Sackboy's Prehistoric Moves in 2020, uh, 2010, and more recently, PSVR games, The Inpatient and Bravo Team, both launched in 2018. Starting in 2019, the team settled into a cadence of releasing a new game in the Dark Pictures anthology on PS4 and later PS5, including Man of Madon, Little Hope, and House of Ashes. These games, along with future projects, are assumed to be published by Bandai Namco. Supermassive was also working on a game for Google Stadia, though, as reported on this show. The game is now being published by Take-Two. All right, so... Dustin, let's start with you. What do you make of this? It seems like they're really going to go all the way. We were kind of wondering if they were going to get cut off in between because remember that the the upcoming game, the fourth one, says that it's the end of season one. And we had kind of wondered, are they kind of going to just not do this? And uh, it seems like that's not the case. It seems like they are quite ready. The logos are really cool. Uh, you can glean a little bit of information from them. What do you think of this? Uh, didn't you uh, didn't you recently play one of these games or am I making that up? Uh, I actually so when we were figuring out Christmas content in advance, we oh, were House of thinking Ashes about was, doing one right. House of Ashes and I bought it and then I never ended up playing it, which I still want to. Me too. Those I still want to play them all. I just don't know when that's going to happen. Yeah. Dude, those games are super fun. If you've got, you know, some friends over, it's a great friends. So. Uh, well, maybe, you know, we could we could maybe play it together. Colin, mm-hmm. I don't know. You love playing games with other people. Mm-hmm. Uh but so I never ended up playing that one, but I did play Man of Madon and it was fine. It's not until dawn level, but it was interesting. Nonetheless, I I love looking at these logos, like you said, Colin, specifically this one directive 8020. I'm wondering if that's some kind of like futuristic. They, they got the moon in there, so maybe it has some kind of sci fi horror element to it. I'm wondering if since they have all of these trademarked and these uh, th- there's other projects in the works, if they're going to start ramping these up and try to release them to it to a year, maybe that way they're not spending the next five years working on this project. <laughs> if they have other ambitions yeah. outside of that, they do have other ambitions. So, they definitely do. So, yeah, you're, you might be right. I don't know. Nordisk owns them, which is like a film entity. And so I wonder what their intention mm. is with this. I do think that Supermassive, in some ways, we talked about it. Supermassive's PSVR games were not very good. But I do think Sony made a mistake by not getting in bed with them after Until Dawn. Because I just think Until Dawn felt like it fit. It's like, yeah, this game makes sense. It's like Quantic Dream. And I think that Sony was like, oh, we kind of already have a Quantic Dream. And I think that was a mistake. Uh, Chris, what do you make of this? these reveals that I guess dark pictures will go for at least five more years, six more years, technically, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I'm all that enthused by these games, just to be honest. Like, I, I just feel like I, like I'm wondering if it's worth committing. It, it, it's, it's almost like somebody who, uh, it's like they're, they're, they, they're telling a joke and it's going on like a really, like, like it's going on a little bit long and, 
Yeah, you, you wonder if it's better better if they just get to the punchline like now and maybe try something else. <laughs> it kind of feels like we're in the middle of this like really really long joke, and I'm like waiting for the punchline. I'm waiting for it to be like worth it, and I just it it's not there yet. And the thought of having like what how many more of these like five five plus the one that's yeah I guess it's gonna be five more yeah the original yeah, deal was for eight I, so it actually got extended yeah yeah I I don't know like because I tried. I'll, I'll be real. I wasn't like necessarily the biggest fan of Until Dawn either. Like I thought it was it was cool. It was like fun to watch, but I, like, actually playing it, I didn't, didn't really find myself enjoying it all that much. And then what was the first one that came out of this? This this Man of Madonna. Was it Man of Madonna, the first one. Yeah. I I watched a friend of mine play it, and I was just like, this looks kind of not interesting at all. Like I know there's one that I think is about. I think Colin, you, you and I were talking about that the premise seems interesting because it's like about war or whatever. Like, yeah, that- I think one of them takes place during Iraq or Afghanistan, which is awesome. Yeah, that's House of Ashes. Yeah, yeah that one. That's House super of Ashes. Cool. Right. I mean, that's a cool that, idea. That, yeah. that idea is like really cool. But at the same time, like, I don't know how confident I am that it's going to be fun to play, you know, like or mm. how how engaging. So it, it's got a lot of potential on paper, but I don't know. I'll I'll check these out as they appear and decide whether or not I want to play them based on how appealing they are to me. But I, knowing my tastes and knowing how I feel about the games that they've put out so far, I I don't imagine that these are going to make much of a splash for me, which is disappointing because that means Supermassive is just kind of off the table for me for quite a while, you know, before I can expect something that is like maybe a little bit different or maybe something that, I might gravitate to a little bit more than whatever it is that they're doing. So not super, not super enthralled. Fair enough. We'll wait and see. I'm sure we'll see from them or hear from them next fall. What I'm more curious about is when take two will announce that they're working with them too. Yeah. All right, let's see here. Number eight. If you were looking forward to playing suicide squad, kill the justice league later this year on PlayStation five. Well, don't reporting from website. Bloomberg indicates the game has been delayed and won't launch until 2023. Announced in 2020 and in development since 2016, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League will be the first project from WB-owned Team Rocksteady since 2015, when it launched the third of its Batman games, PS4's Batman Arkham Knight. The team had previously developed 2009 surprise hit Batman Arkham Asylum and its 2011 sequel, Arkham City, both on PlayStation 3. Rocksteady also delivered a Batman PSVR experience in 2016 when the headset launched. Their new game, like Arkham Knight, is an early next-gen exclusive and will forego release on PlayStation 4, so it's entirely possible the delay has as much to do with finishing the game as it does making sure there are enough people out there with machines that can even buy it. Trevor Myers wrote in and said, Hey, CDC. This morning, Jason Trier put out an article saying that Suicide Squad game will be delayed until 2023. This is possible, however unlikely, as we have seen a lot more of it than we have of Hogwarts Legacy, and that is still scheduled for release this year. It also hasn't been confirmed by Rocksteady as at the time of writing this inquiry. My question is, why do other sites trust what Jason reports as much as they do, even after this hit piece on Ken Levine and constant complaining about crunch? I don't know, Trevor. I think you're talking about two different things. The game's not coming out until 2023. There's no way that they would have reported that if it's not true. What I would be more curious about here is, uh, I mean, I said that I heard that Hogwarts Legacy will not make it either. I don't know if that's true or not, but I heard that from someone who would know. Uh, But right now, the intention is to get Hogwarts and Gotham Knight out in 2022 and then Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League as a next-gen exclusive next year. Chris, how do you feel about this delay? Annoyed. Because that was on my fantasy draft. Oh, man. Yeah, that's rough. But that's why we yeah. picked too many games. I mean, so That's true. That, yeah. that is true, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess, uh, you know, take your time. Like, I, I'm never going to be like, oh, man, oh, I'm so sad. 
uh, that a game is delayed, um, I'm pretty aware <laughs> that usually it results in a better product. Although, at it, although I will say, man, <laughs> we're getting games that have been delayed, 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 and then they come out and then they're still fucking broken. So <laughs> part of me is just like, are we even getting, are we even getting the benefit of these delays in the first place when it comes to these things? Because we, we could, we could talk all day about like cyberpunk being broken. Right. But that game was delayed endlessly, you know, it's constantly, constantly delayed. And we were like, Oh, well, at least we're going to get a functioning game. And it's like, well, no, it not. turns out. Yeah. You don't even know anymore. I think it's, it's funny because, um, with, <laughs> with, uh, with the situation as it stands with, with Justice League, I think the biggest question is just what's going on with Rocksteady. I mean, I, I, I feel like we're going to have to start asking that question. This is yeah. too long. And I feel like we're just going to hear about COVID for fucking ever with, uh, with people's excuses. And I'm not compelled by these excuses anymore because mm -hmm. good games are coming out. Great games are coming out. Some of them were built mostly during COVID. Some of them didn't turn out well. These are just excuses. Dustin, I, I wonder what you make of this surprise. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with J Jason's reporting. I got, this is true. I, I just don't see a possibility in which Bloomberg would put its name on this. So what do you make of this delay? Yeah, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable to question what's going on with this game since it's been in development since 2016. I think, though, at this point, I, I wouldn't say that the delay is concerning, being that we have seen gameplay, gameplay. It looks promising, and I think you're right in that it could be multi-factor. It could be a, a multi-factor in that they're might as well wait if, if they need more time to polish the game and it's next gen only and they need some time in order to, uh, you know, let more and more consoles get out there. It seems kind of like a win win situation, but it just it, it comes off of also <laughs> a game that's been in some form of development since 2016. Mm. So it does read poorly because of that. But. Uh, I I'm still looking forward to it, but uh, we'll see when it when it comes out. I, I, I'm do you guys think it's weird that this news has been out there for a little while now and they have not commented on it yet? You might as well just say it. At this yeah, point. I don't know what I I think. I don't know if WB has had their financial calls yet, and maybe mm -hmm. they're waiting to do it all at the same time. But I am here. I've heard from a reliable source that like WB Games is operation is just not very efficient right now like it's just not a lot of these games are just um kind of getting stuck i think they're gonna all be great but what i wonder about this just from a philosophical point of view or maybe just a curiosity point of view i shouldn't even say philosophical is is this an opportunity for wb montreal to finally get its comeuppance by releasing gotham knights and it being better than what rocksteady makes is it possible i don't i, I it's definitely possible i don't know if it's going to happen but i always disliked the, dis, the disrespect they got uh, with Arkham, uh, what was that? Arkham Origins. Origins, right? And but to be fair, it has been even longer since those motherfuckers have released the game. So yeah, it's I don't know what's going on over there, but WB Studios are clearly not managed well. All right, 
Number nine is a wrap up website. IGN reports the Witcher in game card game. Gwent is the new subject of a standalone game called Project Golden Necker, and it will launch on PlayStation later in 2022. The website also reports that co-op centric Evil Dead game originally due out in February on PS4 and PS5 will now launch on both platforms on May 13th. Website Gamatsu reports horror RPG Chernobylite comes to PS5 on April 21st and sandbox platformers Koa and the Five Pirates of Mara and Mika and the Witch's Mountain, both of them look pretty cute, come to PS4 and PS5 at some point in 2022. And finally, publisher Capcom revealed new sales data accurate up to the end of 2021. The king of all Capcom games remains Monster Hunter World, which sits at shit, which sits at 17.8 million copies sold. Its Iceborne expansion is at 8.8 million. Devil May Cry 5, brought up earlier, is at 4.8 million units, while Street Fighter 5 sits at 6.1 million. Meanwhile, in the realm of Resident Evil, 7 is at 10.6 million, 2 Remake is at 9.3 million, Village is at 5.7 million, and 3 Remake is at 4.9 million. Very respectable numbers for all those. Yeah. All right, boys. Tradition dictates as we get to the end of the show. Six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from Patreon. Patreon.com slash Media. Join us over there to submit these questions on the weekly thread. Get early ad-free access to the show, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, get your name in the credits, join Discord, all the rest. We would love to have you. Let's start with macro. And I checked. It's macro, not Marco. Greetings, crusty dustbin. This question is mostly for Dustin, but the C-Men's input is always appreciated. Dustin, your disinterest in souls likes is I'm sorry, I think he meant your interest, by the way. Your interest in souls likes is widely known. No, he's right. Wait, you're Oh, I'm sorry. He, I, because I'm not I'm not interested in imitators. Oh, usually. I see. I, yeah. see. I see. I see. I see. I see. All right. So let me read yeah. it again. Dustin, your disinterest in souls likes is widely known. And with last week's talk of Jedi Fallen Order, there you go. I was thinking. Do you consider Fallen Order a Souls-like? What about it does or does not make it one? I've gone back and forth on this myself. Thanks, boys, for the weekly distraction for the constant from the constant depression. Welcome to the club. Macro. Dustin, talk to me about this. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of Souls-like elements in uh, Jedi Fallen Order. I think that that's one of the things that I really liked about that game is that there was a lot of souls in it there was a lot of uncharted in it it feel felt like it pulled from uh, a lot of different games and inspirations in really good and uh, unique ways i remember when i played it which was a while ago now so maybe my my memory isn't serving me quite right but i remember kind of wishing that it actually leaned in some of its dark souls elements even further i remember I think I was I was trying to make it feel more like Dark Souls and playing on a harder difficulty, but I ended up getting frustrated and not a Dark Souls type way where I felt like the the bosses weren't as well designed as a from software boss to be playing on that level of difficulty. But yeah, I, I actually would say that of the Souls like games, if you want to consider Jedi Fallen Order a souls like at some to some extent is probably the one that i enjoyed the most and why i'm so excited for a sequel to that game because i think they laid a really great uh foundation and i am excited to see what's next it'll be interesting to see if they lean further into some of the souls like mechanics that they put into the game or if we see it kind of go a different direction but i hope that it it does what do you think do you have anything to add to this chris I think it, I think it's I think it has enough souls uh, souls elements in it to be considered souls like for sure I, I think uh, that's fair and I think uh, I, I like it I, I don't have a problem with souls likes actually like I I think they're fine. like I I remember a friend of mine was telling me that the surge was was kind of good also 
uh, as like a as like kind of like a a like a double a kind of um attempt at it but i never got around to it um but i i tend to enjoy those games i don't tend to finish them necessarily but i always i always i do appreciate them and, and enjoy playing them for what it's worth well this next one's for you chris it says well it's from eliezer it says hey guys question mainly for chris but anyone can answer is it time for destiny 3 i know bungie had mentioned that they have a multi-year plan for destiny 2 but could this give them a chance for destiny 3 you mentioned it's a game you love but can't recommend because it has a huge learning curve a third game can make a fresh start and allow new people to jump in also allows for a new destiny build with current a uh, built with current tech gen current gen tech in mind no longer cross-gen holding it back so as i understand destiny 2 first of all it came out in 2017 right and they they're planning on maintaining it with new content through 2024 and presumably it'll just be playable after that will we get yeah. a destiny 3 and is that something that you want i don't know it's it's, it's hard to say i i know destiny as an ip is pretty big it's it's it's, it's valuable it, it's part of me assumes that a destiny 3 must happen at some point uh just from a cynical standpoint of yeah we want to we want we want a sequel to this thing and to cash in on it but at the same time i think i think destiny 2's existence in the first place and the fact that it couldn't just remain destiny kind of hurt it a little bit because there was a lot of there were a lot of design decisions and a lot of there were a lot of evolutions to destiny's core formula throughout the life cycle of destiny one and and destiny one started in a pretty rough place but i would argue it ended in a really in a really satisfying place like there was there was real rpg mechanics in there and, and you could really be flexible with your builds and it was it was it became uh something that was really satisfying to put your time into and then destiny 2 came out and it kind of undid a lot of that because they were responding to fan feedback in the creation of destiny two from destiny one's like review cycles. So it was, it was actually streamlined like to hell and like exotics where you were just getting exotics all the time and they had no value. Really? Everything was, everything was reined in, in, in as far as complexity goes. And that created a, a destiny two or a destiny experience that was way less satisfying than where destiny one ended up at the end of its life cycle. And they kind of had to learn that lesson over again, uh, where they they kind of they're backtracking a lot, or they have backtracked a lot since Destiny 2's launch, where they're going back and and doing the same kind of uh, class customization that they had in D1 now, where you could like really mix and match and choose your build, and and exotics matter more, and and you know they've also learned a lot in the live service elements with with uh, you know seasons and seasonal story patches and stuff like that. And just dungeons and all this stuff. And it, Destiny 2 is in a really good place from a gameplay standpoint. And while I would selfishly be very, very interested in uh, like a Destiny that was purely next-gen that wasn't held back at all, I, I can't help but feel that a refresh like that might be detrimental to the health of the game and might even come bring with it some some dire unforeseen consequences in the, in the in the form of you know a potential reworking of a lot of the things that are working so well already so and and I don't know I think the live service element of it and the fact that it is available on on multiple platforms is kind of what keeps it really accessible as accessible as it already is you know it is a game that is hard to get into it's it's got a lot of currencies it's got a lot of management it's got a lot of sub menus it's got a lot of narrative that you're probably in the dark about 
But what keeps it engaging and what keeps it accessible as it is, is the fact that it's available on so many platforms and the fact that it's available cross-gen. And I don't really see what Destiny in particular has to gain from technology that is only available in something like a PS5 or a Series X or, or a, a modern PC because it's an internet dependent game so your fast load times don't really mean much if you're still connecting to other players i don't really see where the gameplay could really benefit from any new t- you know what i mean i feel like the framework of what destiny is doesn't stand to benefit much from going purely exclusive to next generation consoles um, unless they entirely rework the game and turn it into some crazy like wide wide open world mmo monster hunter kind type game which at that point would not be what destiny is so i I don't know i i i don't expect a destiny 3 at the end of destiny 2's life cycle i i expect maybe destiny 2 to kind of just evolve over time and, and maybe get passed on to maybe a legacy team that handles it while bungie moves on to matter or whatever it is they're working on after that that could be also destiny single player games that could be destiny games in different genres i I would love personally a destiny tactics game i think that'd be awesome but yeah that'd be cool you know yeah it'd be sick i I think i think it would work extra well but as it stands right now i i i would be surprised to see a destiny 3 but i would also have been surprised to see bungie uh, acquired by sony so who who the fuck knows at the end of the day do you have anything to add dustin i think chris covered it there I, i don't know if there's anything i disagree with there or can add fair enough Let's move on to the next question. Nuclear Prostate wrote in and said, Dear Sacred Sluts, I'll get straight to the point with this one. Why the frick hasn't Sony rolled out Fat, Fat Princess again? Could it ever be done again? Thanks and keep pounding that poultry. It's been a while since we've seen Fat Princess. The last Fat Princess game was Fat Princess. What was it? Adventures or whatever it was called. It was on, it was a, a multiplayer game on PS4 pretty early on in the PS4 lifecycle. I want to say it came out in 2014 or 2015. Fat Princess is legendary. And PlayStation circles because it's such an amazing character and it is so offensive. It's amazing that they got away with doing it for people that don't know. It was a multiplayer game on PS3 in which two teams of warriors were fighting over a princess and the way that you got her to you, you would feed her and make her fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter and fatter so that she was harder and harder to move and kidnap. And there were <laughs> was like different classes you can play and stuff. It was awesome. It was a really fun game. and. They brought it to PSP and then she was in she was a character in PlayStation All-Stars. And then obviously they did kind of the more child game. I question their ability to ever bring this back. I just don't think they're going to get away with it. We live in a world now, although we lived in a world then, but certainly we live in a world now where we've convinced obese people that it's not their fault that they're obese. And when we live in a world like that, like I'm I have a gut. It's my own fault. It's math. Calories in, calories out. That's it. I know there are very few people that have these. uh you know, these things wrong with them. But I think we live in a world of excuse making. People are going to get offended. And it's not even worth Sony pursuing Fat Princess, no matter how good of an idea it is. And it is a good idea. And no matter how funny it is, and it is funny. We live in a world that's just too sensitive to wait. And Fat Princess just couldn't roll out again, I don't think. Do you agree, Dustin? Yeah, I don't think that uh, Fat Princess exists anymore in 2022. Just, it's just... uh how about this? I think that Fat Princess could exist if it wasn't Sony making it. I don't think this is a game that Sony can make anymore. Um, and that sucks. But 
I I just imagine there would just be too much backlash at this point. Yeah, the remnants of the team that made Fat Princess as a second party ended up forming as fun bits, I think, and they made Escape Plan, which was an awesome game on Vita. Later came to PS4. What do you think, Chris? Do you think that we could see Fat Princess again? I think if you want Fat Pr- Fat Princess again, you can have Fat Princess again. I, I I know we live in like a culture where like everybody's like offended by shit and like people complain a lot, but really that, that doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Like it matters in the sense that like oh people are mad on the internet and maybe that'll that'll rile some people up. But I promise you, if if Sony made a game, if Sony made Fat Princess two, and you know there were a bunch of articles about it. And they just decided, you know, we're going to make it anyway and we're going to put it out. People would buy it and people would play it and people would love it and it would be good. And it would it would be totally fine. I think a lot of these, a lot of the, not cancel culture stuff specifically because it's more about people, but like the, the idea of, um, the idea of not being able to do something because people are going to complain about it is is kind of, it's more of a self-fulfilling prophecy than I think we think it is. And I think we can't make something because people will complain about it is the wrong attitude. I think the attitude is people will complain about it. So what? I think that's the attitude that we, I think we would benefit more from. I think it's why it, I think it's so cool that we're getting shit like six days in Fallujah at all. Even mm. if, you know, we might, we don't know how the hell that's going to turn out quality wise, but the fact that it exists as a premise is interesting and intriguing and cool. And I, I support it as it, as a, as it exists. And I, I don't, I don't know. Fat princess is just so dumb that like for anyone to take it seriously would would almost be their fault you know Hmm. and i can't help but feel like we are creatively stunlocked by by a hypothetical fear that upsetting people is the worst thing that we can do and it just bothers me that that's the case. It bothers me that you're probably right. We're not going to get a fat princess because Sony is afraid that people will complain. But what bothers me even more is that people will complain and it wouldn't matter. Hmm. And we're still not getting it. Yeah. It's funny because you could predict the whole arc. People would complain. I could yeah. write the articles right now that people would have written while we saw fat princess back on in the PS3 era as what it was like. It was, it was exactly what it was. It was just supposed to be facetious and I love what you said about kind of us psyching ourselves into the situation, but I can't blame any company at the same time for just being wary of these fucking psychopaths, you know, and it's no offense to obese people and fat people. I'm, I, I don't know if I'm overweight or not, but I work out every day, but I eat like shit. I have a gut. The only reason I work out is to not be fat and I don't do it out of any other passion. It's just like, it's the, the balance I have to bring in and you can be as heavy or as light as you want, but that, again, it comes back to this. It's a choice, and I just feel like it, it does suck. It's the same reason why you can't, why, remember when HBO was experimenting with the idea or playing around developing the idea of a, a, a show in which the Confederacy either won or survived the Civil War, mm-hmm. and yeah. that sounded awesome, and people were like, what the hell are you talking about? Is slavery and stuff? And I'm like, guys, it's fiction. What if the South won the Civil War is like one of the most famous alternate history premises ever, probably explored like yeah. hundreds of times. Yeah, we have we have so many like what if the Nazis won? Right, exactly. Yeah. And for some reason, that was just a, and that robbed us of this really cool idea. Very similar to a book I really like called Underground uh, Airlines, in which four states in the modern era still have slavery. It's an amazing book because it's fucked up. And so I agree with you. I hope that. 
if they wanted if they if there's a need for fat princess then bring it back but i really have a hard time believing that they will be able to pitch that game and because it's a sony controlled like, ip it's just it's dead yeah well tell you what some studio out there if you're listening make a game just uh obese wench and just the same exact premise just steal it entirely and if sony sues you that means they want it obese heiress <laughs> they should call it yeah obese heiress <laughs> jack virgin wrote in and said hey boys not so much a question, but a comment that I hope might spark some dialogue. Last week, a listener wrote into the show about the unsustainable business model, apparently, of Game Pass, given Xbox's nonsensical value proposition. One key point needs to be put in front and center of this topic of Netflix-like game subscription models, microtransactions. It is often said that companies such as PlayStation and Xbox sell hardware at a loss to make up for it with software sales. What do you say to the notion that the burden of being profitable has now been passed up on from upfront software sales down to the microtransactions therein? Xbox doesn't make any make money off of Game Pass, but they make up for it with the whales that spend thousands on gun skins and Call of Duty and, and cat ears and Halo Infinite. It's an interesting point. And Chris, this really bothers me if this is the explanation, because I feel like. Microtransactions don't belong alongside. Or I'm sorry. Microtransactions don't belong in paid games or in Game Pass games. Microtransactions were designed to sustain free games. This is what I'm talking about, about the mirroring of all of this fucked up economic principle set by Apple on iPhone that we're now going to have to live and die by. As I said, you people that were on iPhone early will remember that you used to pay real money for things and then suddenly you didn't. And that was the responsibility of a few people and everything getting drawn down. I wonder, do you think that maybe Game Pass becomes sustainable because it will be supported by microtransactions? And if that's the case, don't people have a right to be offended by that? Because it's gratuitous in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that's uh, I think I think that's probably true. Um, it's it's weird. I feel I feel like it's. It depends on the the implementation, because we, I've spent a decent amount of time in the X Xbox ecosystem and I know how Game Pass uh, games are typically monetized. I've seen specifically in Gears 5, like the, the multiplayer monetization for that is is egregious and it's insane like way, 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 way beyond anything that you would expect for something like Gears, you know, which is kind of on the back foot as far as Microsoft's most relevant IP. I, when I see it in that game, it's like really, like really off-putting and really offensive. In a free-to-play game like Halo Infinite, though, where it's not nearly as egregious, even in, even in comparable situations, it's hard for me to get super upset about it and I'm, I, I, but I don't know. That could be just like a lot of bias as well, and also just the fact that the game, the core game, is fun, uh, doesn't hurt either. I, I do think it's worth being concerned about it. I do think like you don't want to have, you don't want to be playing Hellblade two and then have that for some reason like be, you got to pay like, <laughs> you got to buy, uh, I don't know, chapter points to progress in the story or whatever the fuck. Like, the second it gets to that point where it's like this is fucked, this is like really really not good, but. If the business model is to remain as it is right now, I'm not too annoyed by it because it seems like it, this. It, there's a there seems to be a healthy enough divide between, you know, what they're charging you for and how disruptive it is to the actual experience. But that can that can change in like a day. You know, I, I talk about often how but the, how sad I was when Crash Team Racing just like plunged microtransactions into the game like way, way, way after the review period for at, like out of nowhere, even though it was very clearly obvious that that was coming with the way that storefront looked, looked like an iPhone store. 
And that's not even a free to play game. That's not even that's not even a free to play. That's a sixty dollar game that wasn't on Game Pass that, that that looked like an iPhone game when you went into the monetization aspect of it. So uh it's a it's a fucking mess but this is the world now yeah it is and i agree that i'm so not touched by any of this stuff again it's the neo stuff where i'm like i don't care you well it's well each other out i'm happy to sounds like i'm telling you guys to that's whoa sounds like I'm whoa. You fuck people i mean do what you want but whale me out baby whale me out let's go uh, <laughs> well dustin let's keep it to you then i mean what do you think about this i, I find People's willingness to try to talk about why subscription models will work is funny to me in some way. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. But it's funny how people like just want to jump through hoops to prove that this thing will work. And one of the ways that it will be sustainable is by just milking people another way, just like Netflix does. Right. No. Just like Hulu does. Right. No. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's it's like. (laughs) So like we're now the now the subscription model will work for games, but only if we augment it. It's like, okay, what do you think of this? Yeah, I. There's an argument that could be made that, well, if the microtransactions are done correctly or in the in the interest of the consumer, then somebody can subscribe to Game Pass. They can play Halo Infinite and they can even enjoy the multiplayer and have a really great experience without having to spend any additional money. And the people that do spend the money, uh, hopefully when they do feel like they, it was worth the additional expense and that it felt like it was something on top of that was worthwhile in addition to their game pass subscription. So I, I'm not quite as familiar with what Xbox has done with their microtransactions. I will say from a personal level, there was a point where this isn't a microtransaction, but I wanted to check out the the Lego Forza Horizon stuff. And you just can't on Game Pass. It's you have to pay for it. And I thought, well, that's kind of annoying. I thought (laughs) I thought that Game Pass got me everything but uh, apparently it does not entitle you to major dlc expansions and i guess that is probably the concern that i would have is that if you start to see these games become smaller and then incorporate more and more paid dlc in order it's like oh well you got the base experience and now in order to flesh it out you gotta pay for xyz i don't think there's anything that we can accuse and point to for that right now but not yet no it's definitely something to be concerned about a possibility of happening yeah Yeah, it's it's a weird it's it's definitely new and and strange but like i can't help but like always defaulting to this thought of if if bobby codex like rich freak children want to subsidize like a million people's ability to play a, like a really great game and that not have a deficit on the overall experience then i'm totally fine with that like if if you know halo infinite exists as a game and it's like very very good and very competent and very fun and it's a genuinely good experience and that is free because some rich guy's kid is able to spend fucking i don't know <laughs> 200 250 dollars a day on fucking random skins because for some reason he's that irresponsible, you know, I no skin off my nose, you know. Hey, pardon the pun. But, but the yeah, but the problem, the problem I think will only really, really manifest the second that the experience itself is is hinges on 
monetary contribution. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how long that takes. Well, let's expand this a little bit. Expert B wrote in, said, hey, CDC. Last episode, you guys couldn't see how Game Pass could be profitable while releasing a AAA game each month. Game Pass already so has over 25 million subscribers right now without those monthly games. Now, imagine once 2024 rolls around and Xbox Studios are ready to release their games at said monthly cycles. Xbox Game Pass will easily reach the 100 million goal in a few years after that. Now, 100 million at $10 minimum is $12 billion a year. So it's easy to see how you can fund 12 AAA games a year as well as secure third party deals. Of course, this doesn't even include retail and digital sales. Man, I can't even begin to tell you how many things are wrong with this. But thank you for writing in. I appreciate that. And we want to have, obviously, all sorts of honest conversations. Now, Game Pass is at 20 million subscri- 25 million subscribers. It took them almost five years to get to that number. Somehow, in two years, you think that they're going to roll to 100 million subscribers. Each of those subscribers will pay a minimum of $10. There's no way Game Pass will call t- cost $10 if and when they scale to this, to this, you know, a AAA game a month. And I think your money is just totally off. Do you know how much? I wonder if you guys know. Do you know how much money Netflix spends spent in 2021 on original content? Wasn't like a several, several, several billion. It's yeah. For original content, it was five billion dollars. For securing the rights to other things, twelve billion. For seventeen billion dollars total, those are for ninety-minute movies, miniseries of six episodes, documentaries, all sorts of shit. In what universe is Microsoft going to get off paying less than that for a full-fledged Netflix-style offering? Not like it is now, but something much more expansive and permanent. I just wanted to throw this in, not to beat up on you, Expert B. I appreciate you writing in, but there is no guarantee that Xbox will ever reach anywhere near 100 million subscribers. In fact, I think that that is a number, if you told them, that would be like, oh my God, we have won everything if we reach 100 million subscribers. And it's going to and the scale will be necessary. But don't underestimate how expensive it is to make games and don't underestimate how much money it is to license what is on Game Pass, which is the bigger expense. And I don't think people are thinking about that either. Yeah, you're going to get your 100, 150, 200 million dollar games from Xbox Studios, but they're paying that much for games, too. I mean, what do you think? Outriders cost them nothing. Yeah, I mean, you think you think they paid Turtle Rock nothing? For Back for Blood, these could be fifty, hundred million dollar deals or more. I mean, what do you think the show costs? Now multiply this out by a thousand games, or two thousand games, or three thousand games every year that you have on your service, and now all of them are going to demand that much money. We want to get Lily Mo games on our service. We're obviously not going to get millions of dollars for that, but I imagine we would get tens of thousands of dollars for that. Now, even if you multiply that at the bottom end, and then you go work your way all the way up, I don't see it. That's why I'm dubious of this. And that's why a lot of people are skeptical of this at other companies because they just don't believe it. And as much as everyone hears, well, developers like Game Pass, you're only hearing from the developers that are on Game Pass that like it. There are plenty of developers that don't. I'm not saying it's going to work or it's not going to work. I don't know. But I think people think that there's this linear and quick math equation that you can write that's going to make Game Pass work. And you're wrong. It's Mm. so much more complicated. And you said, of course, this doesn't even include retail or digital sales, but you're not looking at it the right way, Expert B. There will be no retail or digital sales. <laughs> you think that Game Pass is not going to just subsume everything around it? So that's the only see Microsoft is making the, is making a move where it's like we're going to have one bucket where money comes in, just like Netflix. And that's scary. So I disagree with the, the premise completely. James O'Halloran wrote in and said, hey, guys, 
This is the final question. He says, last week, as I fixed my niece's Joy-Con drift issues, I booted up the Minecraft game that was loaded onto our system to test it out. To my surprise on the title screen in yellow text was a slogan saying to be anti-racist. I rebooted the system to be greeted with another slogan, telling her to educate her friends on BLM and to be a better ally. I follow a lot of gaming channels and never heard this spoken about once. I feel that politics shouldn't be removed from games, but strongly disagree that such ideological perspectives be presented to children in their block building game. Would love to hear your guys take on this. I totally agree. It seems to me to be the case that there are some people in entertainment, some people in education, some people in other places that you look at their platform as the platform to get anything they want to say out to the public, no matter if it's relevant to what they're doing or not. And sometimes you see this and it's a little more questionable than others. Like you see end racism on the back of NFL helmets. And I'm like, all right, that's fine, whatever. But I have a problem with ideology being foisted upon people, not part of fiction or part of a storytelling device, but being like, this is, this is just what we do. And I feel like a lot of parents don't know what's happening. And I feel like in the United States, you're seeing a lot of back backlash to this in classrooms. I mean, I was unfortunately my sister, you know, well, not unfortunately, they're it's a great profession and it's important. But my sisters are both teachers. My mom was an educator, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law is a principal who's actually the head of our county's middle schools. So I, I have lots of educators in my family. And I was talking to them recently, some of them at a family event, and I was like, you guys have to know that educators are looked at probably worse than ever right now in the, in the modern United States. And they didn't know that because they're kind of in their little bubble. But certainly that's true. You just have to read polling and just read everything just here in Virginia. What happened with our governor had everything to do with teachers and education, I think. And I'm only bringing this up because I feel like it seems a little bit sinister to put political ideological messages in Minecraft where no parent is ever going to look. and. It seems innocent enough to say, like, be anti-racist. Like, okay, of course. But of course, these things all have an ideological position. And I have a special problem with BLM being used because, of course, in the lowercase, Black Lives Matter matter, of course. But BLM, if you just are literate and can read, is an organization that for several years now has been under serious siege as far as its finances, the character and quality of their founders, what they've done with millions and millions of dollars. It just ties people up into these things unnecessarily. Why even open up your platform to that? Mm. So you can have some ideological message that you want to send to an eight-year-old. I don't like that shit. So as much as I'm into politics being in games, I agree with you, James. I think that that's a step too far. I wonder, Chris, if you agree or disagree. Yeah, I don't know. It it, it bothers me just because I, I think, like, why is it relevant? But at the same time, I could. it looks like, hey, they have a platform. And they're going to use it how they want to in the same way that if Joe Rogan wants to go around being like, hey, fucking, I don't know if you should get the fucking, I'm not going to get the fucking vaccine. Who needs the fucking, who needs it? You know, maybe take uh, horse medicine or whatever. And by the way, I understand that that's like kind of like a straw man, by the way. Um, but I, I don't know. I think you should be able to do whatever you want with your platform and it's weird that they're doing it in Minecraft. I'd imagine most people are probably skipping, skipping way the hell through those things the same way that I do every time I go log into destiny and they're like, ah, fucking new events happening. Like, cool. Let me play the game. I don't imagine eight year olds are sitting there genuinely reading like, ah, I wonder what BLM is about. I'm real curious. I don't think they're fucking doing that. And it's, I don't know. It's, it's one of those issues where 
they're allowed to do it and they should be but do you really have to like do you like i don't know i wouldn't do it you know if i was if i had a game that was that popular i don't know if i would be going around being like hey it's my responsibility to tell you how to think or present to you my personal viewpoints on things i just i've made a game and i want you to play it i have the right to do this i have the right to just sort of put a message up saying vote for bernie or whatever the hell but i don't see how that would benefit me my company or my game in doing that and so the decision making behind it i question it could be worse (laughs) i'm glad it's not like welcome to minecraft fuck white people right right well (laughs) because it's like it could i'm sorry go ahead you know what i mean no, that's well, what, what I was going to say was it's it's one of those situations where it's like you put Black Lives Matter in front of someone and you're like, well, I dare you to say something against Black Lives Matter. But mm. the and it's like, of course, in the in the main Black Lives Matter, just but then you can't say like, well, don't all lives matter because then that turns into this whole thing and this whole meme. And then and then it's like, why can't we just say, like, treat everyone with respect or be nice to people? And Dustin, I guess the point I'm bringing up with BLM specifically is when you bring up a term like that. It comes with loaded stuff. I mean, BLM as an organization is delinquent on its taxes, has had its collection of monies suspended in multiple states. It's being sued or pursued by California and Washington and other states. Its owners or its its founders are all living in these stately mansions, clearly from money or seemingly, I guess I should say, from money brought from this organization. So my point is, is that when you when you introduce that stuff, it comes with all of the baggage. That's why you need to be as inclusive as possible. And the inclusive way to deliver a so-called anti-racist message is just to say to treat everyone with respect, irrespective of who they are. You don't have to say BLM and 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 showcase your your uh, you know I don't even know what I'm trying to say. Your uh, yeah yeah go on. So no the the thing about the the Black Lives Matter thing is that anyone who says that it doesn't like yeah the the lowercase Black Lives Matter everyone can agree with but there is an official organization it's like when people are like oh my grandpa was antifa too he fought in world war ii it's like shut the fuck up yeah. you know exactly what people yeah, are talking about your grandfather would have taken the butt of his m1 garand and hit you over the fucking skull with it just so, yeah. just so you know uh yeah <laughs> so i i guess you know we, we we always say like minecraft they're they're you know, they're owned by Microsoft, but they can do whatever they want. If they want to put stuff like that at the beginning of their game, cool, whatever. We can, you as the consumer can choose whether or not uh, that's a deal breaker for you. I would argue that Minecraft, they can have their cake and eat it too. For example, I, I was just looking to see what their other splash screens are. And one of them says, I, I, I'm not ver- fully verified on this, but I'm reading Reddit. and says, speak out against injustice and up for equality. Cool. I think that that's a if you want to put these types of messages at the, at the top, then that's perfectly fine thing to say. I think it's a, a a great thing to say. Speak out against injustice and up for equality. Cool. Yeah. Which, by the way, is like I I guess the idea is that if you put these messages in the splash screen, that it might make someone curious about that. But it's also at the same time, it's like. Oh man, this guy was going to commit a hate crime, and then he played Minecraft, and he saw that splash screen. I mean, yeah, who, <laughs> and decided not that's to. That's the thing is that so, I think it's 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 just it's total. I think it's okay to be relatively indifferent. Where it's just, who are you really going to convince with this? You're just creating more issues. And the the word I was looking for before was virtue, like signaling. Hmm. Yeah, BLM signaling your virtue, but and it's challenging you to say like, well, don't 
I dare you, you racist. I dare you, you bigot. And it's just like, well, when I see things like, you know, be a better ally, it's like, t- stop telling me what the fuck to do. I'm sick of everyone being in my mind. You know, like you don't need to inject yourself into everything. When people turn on Minecraft and, and sometimes when you do personality driven stuff like this, our politics seek, seep into the show. But the point is that we're not telling you that there is a thing where we don't start off every episode of Sacred Symbols and be like, you know, uh, and just God and justice for all. And let's do the Pledge of Allegiance. And let's, it's like taxation is theft. Right. It's like, what? It has nothing to do with anything. Of course, it's going to paint what we are out, our, our, our views. But I find very pernicious and scary this insistence by a small group of people in many different places of just shoving their bullshit into everyone's face on a constant basis where you cannot escape it. You can't watch football, you can't watch a movie, can't watch TV, can't play a video game, can't read anything. And it's I think a lot of people are over it. And um needs to be said anyway that's four plus hours it is time to go chris do you have any closing comments uh no man i should i should i should really eat (laughs) i should really fucking eat poor death well this is i'm in la in fairness i am in la and i woke up i walked out i rolled out of bed at like 9 40 and like got everything set up to record so i i just it's not like i'm recording this at one like we usually do on the East Coast, and I haven't eaten like a psychopath, but I don't know. I I, I just want to. I, I just want everybody to just calm the fuck down. Would be would be my message. Just agreed. To, just let just just ease up a little bit. You don't gotta. You don't gotta be up everybody's ass all the time. You be a better gotta... ally, Chris. I'm sick of hearing your voice. No. <laughs> make fat princess too. I know. Stop being fat phobic and make fat princess too. Dustin, closing comments. There you go. Uh, closing comments. You know, I have a lot to consider, a lot of self-reflection, as I did at the end of last episode when I uh, verbally assaulted Chris Chris's uh, attire, you know, his shirt. And now I am have to think about this whole Joker arc that I've been on. I, you know, it may have some positives. Maybe this is something I need to lean into further. Maybe it's something I need to scale back. Maybe I need a new angle. There's just... Um, there's too many things to consider. And so I'll be doing a lot of uh, self-reflection over the next week. Well, good to hear. Thank you, boys, for your dedication and time. Thank you all out there for your love, kindness, and support of all things Last Stand Media, Sacred Symbols. Hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see you next time. Remember, Patreon, patreon.com slash Media. We'll see you live for Beyond... Or I just said, almost said Beyond 200 for no. Sacred Symbols. Well, that was the first 200 <laughs> we ever did. I'll see you live for... Uh, I almost said it again for Sacred Symbols 200. I still have my PlayStation 3 with the Beyond 200 logo on it, too. So maybe that's why it's distracting since I see it every fucking day. But that, of course, is the inspiration for the show. So, okay, that's it. See you at the show. See you next time. See you on Patreon. See you on Discord, etc. Goodbye. See ya. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product and trademark of Last Stand Media and Collins Last Stand LLC and is proudly recorded in the USA. The show is conceived by, is written by, and is directed by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-hosts are Chris Raygun Maldonado and Dustin Furman. The show is produced by executive producer Dustin Furman. It's edited by associate producer Ben Smith. All of Last Stand's theme music is by my best friend, Ramon Narvaez. As you know, all of Last Stand's shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Media. The following names are at the producer level on Patreon, our highest tier, and we're grateful for your thoughtful and kind contributions to our independent endeavor. Thank you.
Andrew Morgan, Stephen Nieder, Ross Marenka, Begele Brewer, Morgan Ashley, Azan, Michael Vecchio, Jerome Ferreira, SLDFMA, Jorge Palomino, Daniel Diamor, Brad Cooley, Jeremy Key, Patrick Leslie, Dave Cowell, Tom Quinn, Stephen Innerfield, Christopher Nock, Zeno Adam, Grayson Maxwell, Cody Woodle, Nuclear Prostate, Sorta Serious Gaming, Unofficial Controller Podcast, Colin Farley, Mark Arnold, Zia Parrix, Henry Groth, Relentless Rex, Troy Miller, Meyer Katz, J.A. Zhu, Tristan Palacios, Drew Mullen, Christian R., Jad Rita, Patrick Skipper, Sweaty Mitt, Chris Kelly, Dustin Graff, Peyton Stone, Josh Howland Rui, Tyler Watkins, Michael Buffel, Troilus True, Dan Root, Talisman, Christopher, Randall Holsey, Robbie Nauman, Nuke Dukem, William Holbert, Landon Pipkin, Josh Godfrey, Kalike Souza, Vornak, Betty Ann Moriarty, Daniel Johnson, H. Trons, Jay Getter, Bjorn Campbell, Jeff Mercado, Gregory Slavinsky, Galja, Of Fortuna, Boots, Tyler Brown, Megadet, Poot, Gavin Newland, Saul Balcazar, Zach Parsley, Brian White, Raul Melendez, Alex Bolton, Matt Martin, Kinnums, Joseph Baker, Rodney Coleman, Chris Moore, Caswell, Andy Kinnanen, Chris, Will Hernandez, Chris Galvin, Justin Gonzalez, Mason Cadillac, Ollie Fritz, Zach Allum, Kyle Kyle Hagel, Colin Love, Daryl E. Naaman, Ryan R. Kittredge, Toby Ryland, Michael S., David Bostick, Stewie 108, Patrick Montgomery, Damon W., Fat Houdini, Richter 86, Steve Hodge, Barrett Boswell, Christopher DeVaio, Chris Morton, Kevin Kamaki, Mark Liberto, Johnny Waffles, Roto 24, Jonathan Coach, Sean Mason, Josh Gravelick, Jordan Town, Brian Chan, Organic Produce, Shane St. Pierre, Carlos Algorit, Richard Hebert III, Miranda Grubba, Josh Yeager, Martin Beck, Gavin, Joey Andrzejczyk, Nathan R., Joe McPartland, Gary Cavallo, Christopher Moore, Jacob Bell, Dennis Usel, Lou and Ray Loper, Jonathan Cortez, Dylan Burns, Jason Lusky, Malachi Wall, John Schultz, David Chestnut, Anton K, Brian W. Rath, Alan Tremblay, Tyler Bello, Ryan T. Mandel, Tony Zaniga, Sean Battershall, Robbie Hensley, Alex Cabrera, Lennon Brixey, James Kidslow III, Hugo's Desk, Peter Reynolds, Anthony Vasquez, Adam Kiniston, Tyler Goodwin, William O'Carroll, Jesper Jansen, Max Cannon, Phil Crone, Throw 7, Adam Nix, Josh McKinney, Michael Gates, Alex Gates, Ryan Robertson, Sean Chandler, Lockmore, Gio Corsi, Joey Gonholiger, Gerald Pennington, Justin Wagaman, David I. Colucci, Paul Joyce, Edwin Castillo, Chad Lewis, and Enrique Perez, Joshua Smallwood, Spencer Brand, Don Lee, John Cordero, Keith A. Lewis, Marius Garson-Peterson, Ryan Greenwood, Tyler Harris, Matthew Perdue, Patrick Harper, Madmock Media, Jonathan Rice, and Casual Misfits Gaming. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now, all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.